It's Friday, December the 9th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We're recording a little later on in the week, but we have plenty of that awesome content for you. Same sort of show. We'll dive into some quick hits in sports. We'll talk a little bit about MLB free agency. We'll do a little free agency tracker. Then we'll get into college football, some of the news, the bowl game schedule, Heisman stuff coming up this weekend. Then we dive into horse racing. We have Saturday best bets at Gulfstream Park and at Oaklawn. Oaklawn opened up this week. And then we get into NFL week 14 with Eric. Yep, just like always, every single game previewed, deep dives like you'll expect that great analysis every time Eric joins us. We get into wrestling with Chad Cooper. We talk SmackDown. We talk Raw. We talk NXT. They've had a deadline show coming up this weekend. We also talk AEW, and there's a a Ring of Honor Final Battle show coming up this weekend. Finish up with the old wrestling rewatch. Andrew Champagne joins me, and we talk WCW Wrestle War 91. We actually recorded this uh, about a week and a half ago, and it was relevant because there's a really fun War Games match on this card, and recently WWE brought back the War Games, and they're going to be doing it at the Survivor Series pay-per-views, it looks like, each and every year. We'll keep our fingers crossed and hope on that one. So, Andrew and I dive into Wrestle War 1991, Ric Flair, Sid Vicious, Sting, the Steiner Brothers, Larry Zbysko, Luger, Dan Spivey, the Freebirds, Doom, Dustin Rhodes, Buddy Landell, such a, a fun card to discuss. So a really packed episode of That's What G Said coming up here. And it's presented by our friends over at BetterThan.Vegas at BTV Bets. Go give them a follow and subscribe to the YouTube channel, the Better Than Vegas YouTube channel, because there are all sorts of individual game previews, match previews for the World Cup. There's going to be stuff for all of the bowl games coming up. I host shows for them on Twitter and on social media all the time. So does Eric, who you hear on this show. So give them a follow at BTV Bets. MLB free agency right now. There is a lot going on. Let's go through some of the uh, the free agency tracker right now. Money has been dished out. Aaron Judge, we heard, goes back to the Yanks. $360 million for nine years, $40 million a year. Trey Turner, one of the big signees, $300 million. He goes to the Phillies, $27 million a year, 11-year deal. Boston lets Xander Bogarts go. He goes to the San Diego Padres for 11 years, $280 million, $25 million a year for the shortstop Xander Bogarts. DeGrom went to Texas for five years, $185 million, $37 million a year. Nemo heading back to the Mets for $20 million a year for eight years, $162 million. Edwin Diaz headed back to the Mets for five years, $102 million. They pay, they're paying him $20 million a year. Wilson Contreras heads to St. Louis. Five years, eighty-seven million. So no more Yachty. Seventeen million, seventeen five a year for Contreras. Verlander to the Mets for forty-three million dollars on a two-year deal. He's going to make eighty-six million dollars plus for the next two years. Tawan Walker goes to Philly for four years, seventy-two million. Jamison Tallion goes to the Cubs for four years, sixty-eight million. Jose Abreu went to the Astros for. Three years, $58 million. Listen to all this money. Robert Suarez stays with San Diego. Mitch Hanager, he goes to the 40, uh, 49ers. He goes to the Giants, $43 million for three years. Zach Eflin, 
goes to Tampa. Anthony Rizzo stays with the Yanks. Tyler Anderson goes to the Angels. Rafael Montero goes to Houston. Let's see, Josh Bell. Kenley goes to the Red Sox. Jose Quintana goes to the Mets. Andrew Heaney leaves the Dodgers. Dodgers did re-sign Kershaw. Jock Peterson stays with the San Francisco Giants. Cody Bellinger, he goes to the Cubs. So the Dodgers haven't really made any signings yet. What they look to do is probably elevate a lot of their um, their minor league players. Let's see any other big names or kind of interesting names that jumped out. You have Mike Clevenger, who goes to the White Sox. You have Carlos Santana, who goes to the Pirates. And Dodgers did sign Shelby Miller and Jason Hayward to a minor league deal. Some of the big names that are still out there to uh, to be discussed. Let's see. So who are some of the big ones? We have Carlos Correa, Carlos Rodon, J.D. Martinez, Noah Syndergaard, Brandon Belt, Justin Turner, Evaldi, Longoria, Chapman, Brantley, Nelson Cruz, all some of the free agents that are out there. Dansby Swanson, he's one of the big ones, obviously. You have you know a couple other pitchers, Zach Granke, A.J. Pollock, Joey Gallo. They're all free agents right now with no deals. Sean Manaya, another pitcher out there who's still looking for a home. Kevin Kiermeyer has been rumored with the Dodgers. You have Ben Attendee, McCutcheon, who are out there. Corey Kluber, that's another relief pitcher, another arm for someone. Trey Mancini. Expect Jurickson Profar, Uleski, uh, Yuli Gurriel. They're all still out there. So we'll see where they land, and we'll let you know when they do right here on That's What G Said. Let's shift over talk a little college football. So, I wanted to try to go through the transfer portal and talk about some of the por- the, the the transfer portal moves so far. As of tonight, there have been 1,331 football players that have entered the transfer portal since Monday. 858 of those have been FBS players. That's just players that have entered since Monday. Can't really keep track of that, but we'll let you know when big names start landing places. Big names have started to land places in as far as the world of coaching. Deion Sanders, we know where he's going to Colorado. Bunch of people already calling, wanting to transfer over there uh, already. So that's made a splash quite a bit. Hugh Freeze to Auburn. Tim Beck to Coastal Carolina. You have Matt Rule to Nebraska. Luke Fickle to Wisconsin. Trent Dilfer to UAB. Some of the big names that have moved so far. So player movement coaching movement for the players that have hung around and had good years it's the Heisman coming up this weekend and you have Stetson Bennett Caleb Williams Max Duggan and CJ Stroud so they will be at the Heisman ceremony Uh, Caleb Williams as the odds on favorite transferred to USC this year Duggan led TCU to an undefeated regular season then you have Bennett quarterback of the number one team he came back to Georgia for his senior season and you have Stroud who was a finalist last year and he with a good game against Michigan he may have been favored here but Caleb Williams down the stretch had a couple really good weeks and then unfortunately he didn't finish that way but he sort of had the big moments early in, in you know the UCLA and Notre Dame games when others didn't so still probably Caleb Williams um, Eisman Trophy, Saturday night, New York, 8 Eastern. Wonder, you know, with Caleb, I can't imagine he's going to want to play in the uh, 
bowl game. He's injured right now. He's going to come back next year. So for Caleb Williams, you know what? Win this Heisman and then go get healthy. He's the heavy favorite right now. I mean, it's hard because when you exit the way Caleb Williams did, you know, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth when USC got beat up the way they did. So you feel like, really, he was the Heisman winner. But I guess you kind of compare the overall body of work. And I would have no problem with someone like Doug. And I thought he did a really great job this year, like picking that team up and leading them many times. And they're going to be in the uh, in the Final Four with the chance to play for it. They had an undefeated season. They lost in overtime. So I wouldn't have a problem with that. But uh, the uh, heavy favorite right now is Caleb Williams. The bowl schedule is set. We'll talk about the bowl games here. And if you follow our friends at BTV Bets on Better Than Vegas, we will have like five different preview shows with myself, with Eric, with Jim, XFL Jim, where we go over, you know, probably five or six games at a time that are coming up. We're going to try to keep it in groups of like five or six because we don't want to preview them too far ahead because a lot of these games, we don't really know who's going to be playing this far out. So we'll wait and we'll do it a couple days before or as close as possible so we have the best information possible. But just a quick run through of the bowl schedule. We will start on Friday the 16th of December, so next week, Miami UAB. You have uh, UTSA and Troy both on Friday. Then Saturday, December the 17th, there's five games that day. Cincinnati, Louisville, SMU, BYU, Washington State, Fresno State, Rice, Southern Miss, Florida, Oregon State, North Texas, Boise State, six games on that Saturday. Then Monday the 19th, Marshall, Yukon. Tuesday, December 20th, you have Eastern Michigan, San Jose State, and Liberty, Toledo. Wednesday, the 21st, Western Kentucky, South Alabama. Then you have Baylor and Air Force. Uh, On Friday, there are a couple games, Louisiana, Houston, and Wake Forest, Missouri. Saturday, Middle Tennessee, San Diego State. Then Monday, the 26th, day after Christmas, New Mexico State and Bowling Green. Tuesday is a fun day with four days. Tuesday, uh, with four games on Tuesday, December the 27th. You have Georgia Southern, Buffalo, Memphis, Utah State, Coastal Carolina, East Carolina, and Wisconsin, Oklahoma State. Wednesday comes back with four more games. UCF and Duke. Kansas, Arkansas should be a lot of fun. How about Oregon, North Carolina? There could be a ton of scoring in that game and in Texas Tech and Old Miss, which follow that. Lots of fun there on Wednesday the 28th, Thursday the 29th, Syracuse, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Florida State, and Texas, Washington. That's another really good slate of bowl games. Then on Friday, December 30th, Maryland, North Carolina State, Pittsburgh, UCLA, Notre Dame, South Carolina. You've got Ohio and Wyoming and Tennessee, Clemson. Saturday, December the 31st, Bama, Kansas State, Iowa, Kentucky, and the two playoff games. You've got TCU, Michigan, Georgia, and Ohio State. Then on January the 2nd, we've got Mississippi State, Illinois, Tulane, USC, LSU, Purdue, and Penn State, Utah. And then on January the 9th, the College Football Championship. Fun times ahead. We will be providing you all sorts of information on college football bowl season coming up. And our friends over at Better Than Vegas are going to help out a lot. I'm, I'm a part of a, a lot of that content, as is Eric, who you're going to hear here in just a bit, talking all about 
NFL and NFL Week 14. Eric's been here with us for the last couple of years, and he's so good at previewing the games and such a sharp gambler. He's going to help us out and uh, do all that great work over at Better Than Vegas, too, with the Edible uh, Bowl season coming up. Let's move on over from college football. We'll start talking horse racing in a minute, but right now it is the season of Christmas. It's the season of giving. Everybody's looking for presents for the holidays. Candles are great because candles are something you can get for anyone. You can get a bunch of different candles, and you can tell them the story with these particular candles. They are non-toxic. They're healthier for you. No carcinogens, no pollutants, no toxins in these candles. These are Sarah Candles, C-E-R-A, candles.com, sarahcandles.com. And when you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it will get you 10% off your purchase. Right now, Sarah Candles for the holidays has a holiday Christmas box that is perfect for someone that gives a couple of different scents for the holidays or... You can just pick whatever candles that you want. You can get them a few for the year for different seasons. These are great to have around the house. Sometimes, you know, the cooking goes a little bit wrong. You've got an animal in there, some of the young kids. It's not always the uh, the kindest smells around the house. SarahCandles.com is going to help you out with that. C-E-R-A Candles.com. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you 10% off your purchase. Let's dive on into the horse racing portion of That's What G Said. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse And you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, 
multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Better. You want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Stable Duel Saturday, Gulfstream Park, Golden Gate, and Tampa Bay Downs, all with different contests. At Gulfstream, there's a contest that costs $5 to get in, only $5 entry. There's also a $40 double up, where if you finish in the top 40%, you will double your $40. At Tampa, they have a $40 game, the Florida Bread Bonanza at Tampa. And then at Golden Gate Fields, there's a $10 entry game at Stable Duel. Download those apps for free. This is this is fantasy horse racing. So if you've ever played DFS, Daily Fantasy for football, where you have to put together a lineup based on a salary cap, this is the exact same format. You do that with a racing card, so you can't just pick the favorite in every single race. And then every Friday morning at... 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, we have a Stable Duel preview show for the weekend with myself, Barry Spears, and Matt DeSantis. We give out our best bets for the weekend. Let's give out a couple best bets for Saturday. Let's start over at Gulfstream Park. and Let's start in race number one. They're going a mile on the turf. These are maiden special weight two-year-olds here. I like the four, Junipero Serra, who has raced twice. The debut came on the synthetic back in July, and then on September the 1st, he went over to Kentucky, and he tried the the turf. He went a mile on the grass. He was towards like the middle to the back. He was sitting in about seventh or eighth out of a field of 12. He was only about five or six lengths off though, but he was wide, four deep. He made a really nice kind of sustained bid. The top two had separated. The winner actually was a wire to wire winner who had the lead and kind of got headed and then battled back. And Junipero Serra is bred beautifully for the grass. So it was no. Surprised to see him run well on the turf. His dam was a five-time winner on the turf, was a multiple group stakes winner in Brazil. Two other siblings raced on, um, on the turf and both showed ability on the turf. I think there's something here with the four horse. It's a good spot for Junipero Serra. He's 8-1 to one on the morning line. If we can get anything around five, I'd make a win wager. He probably feels more like a 7-2 to two shot in here. So, you know, this line may be a little higher than we would have liked, but let's see if we can get the value here. On, uh, on the four in race number one. Let's move to race number four, which is the pulpit stakes. Seven and a half furlongs on the turf course for two-year-olds. The number four, Ari Gold, is going to be the heavy favorite. He was a wire-to-wire winner on the turf at Aqueduct last time we saw him. I'm looking at a horse who might be able to sit just off Ari Gold, and that's congruent. He's drawn to the outside. He's shown speed, but really, he's shown the ability to just track off. That's what he wants. His last race, I think we can just put a total line right through it. He was in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. He was 92-1 to 1 that day. 
in he was behind Forte and Cave Rock and National Treasure. They all had, you know, good resumes coming in. They all ran well, and he had a little bit of trouble at the start and just never got involved. He was outrun. But his dam was a stakes winner on the turf, has produced two winners. Um, ex- uh, and there are three siblings, excuse me, that are have had two winners. Both one on the turf. One sibling is 0 for 3 on the turf, but has a second. One of the siblings is a five-time winner and a turf stakes winner. I think this guy can sit like second or third just off of Ari Gold. Six to one on the morning line. If we can get anything around five, that's fair value on congruent. Let's move to race number six. I'm looking at the number eight in here. That is Be Well. Now, this guy debuted on the synthetic back in November, and that's his only race so far. But he has trained on the turf. Since his debut, he's been on the turf three different times in the morning. And in that race, I, I think he ran sort of deceivingly well. He settled towards the rear. He was two from the back. So it was a field of 12. He was 11th. He was about six or seven lengths out of it. He makes a four-wide move all the way up into fourth. But the winner that day was sitting right off the lead, made an early move to the lead. The winner that day came right back to win next out in a graded stakes race up at Woodbine, won a grade three next time out. So lost to a really nice horse in a race where there was no passing. We saw a nice little middle move from him. And since then, they put him on the turf in the mornings. And now we're going to get to the turf, which he's bred for with a winning turf sibling. B. Well is 8-1 to one on the morning line. Let's give him a big look at anything around you know 6-1 to one or so in race number 6. Now my best bet of the weekend comes in race number 8. It's the number 3. Isabel Alexandra, who was a debut winner sprinting on the turf at Indy, then came back on October the 28th with a good start from the outside. She was at Keeneland in a first-level allowance race, in a tough race, and she drew post 11 that day, and she gets over from the outside. She kind of takes back, and she settles fourth, about three lengths off, and she's in a really nice spot. But two horses to her outside make these early moves. So all of a sudden, she ends up having to shuffle back and in this positioning battle. She's now like in the third flight and then like the fourth flight of horses, but she's not far off. She's three and a half lengths or so behind. She's traveling really well. She wants to move to the inside. There's this crowding. There's nowhere to go. She's waiting for room. She really tries to angle inside. Nope, can't go there. Then she has to take up and then move all the way to the outside. And she's in between horses, closing late. She wins a battle for second. It's a three-horse battle. She wasn't going to get to the winner with that trip. But the horse who won was actually sitting in the spot that she was. So I just think there's a lot with this with this filly. I really do. I think she's in a good spot here, and I expect her to run a big one. That's Isabel Alexandra, who's 6-1 to one on the morning line. If we can get anything over 7-2, to two, I think that's very fair value on her in race number 8 at Gulfstream on Saturday. So good luck December the 10th on Saturday at Gulfstream Park. Let's go from Gulfstream over to Oaklawn Park. Oaklawn, Saturday. We're going to look at races 5, 8, 9, and 10. I'm looking at a first-time starter in the fifth race, Juilliard. This guy will probably take some money, but he's a two-year-old son of Spitestown out of the damn Ratatap Tap who won her debut, won two of the first three, was a four-time winner overall, and the lone sibling that she's produced to Juilliard was uh, a winner of the first two starts and three of the first four. There's just a lot of precocity this barn is very capable first time out. 
I just think this guy's super live, and if he's anything close to like three to one, I think that's a great uh, price on Juilliard in this spot. I expect him to run a big one. If you want to use someone under, maybe running for cash to the outside, who I thought ran pretty well in that debut at Keeneland, was pressing from the outside and now cuts back, and you know won't be the easiest trip, but I would maybe use underneath. But we'll give Juilliard a big look in the fifth. Let's move to race number eight. And in this race, we are looking at the number 12 in here, Parkway, who will be making his third career start. Now, in his debut, it was at seven furlongs at Saratoga, and he finished fourth that day. And the horses who were second and third came back to win their next start. They both came back to win Maiden Special Weights, and the third place finisher, Full Mood Madness, came back to win a Maiden Special Weight, then finished second in the Nashua. And then Parkway tried longer on October the 30th, but unfortunately that race was also on a sloppy racetrack last time out. But he did show improvement. He finished third in a field of 11 that day. Now he'll be making his third start. He'll be really making his first start going long on a fast track. And he'll be getting Lasix. So he's improving, and if he can just take one more gradual step forward, I mean, that really should put him right in the mix with this group. He is 9-2 to on the morning line if you know, three to one, five to two is really where I thought he should be. So if he's anything over that, I think that'll offer us some value in here. Let's move to the ninth race. It's the mistletoe. They'll go a mile, and I'm looking at the three lovely ride who just feels like the one to catch in here. The way this race looks on paper, Coach has some positional speed. I don't know if Coach and he's and he has the rail, and she, and she has the rail. This Philly does. I don't know if they're gonna try to send her quite as hard. And I do wonder if Lovely Ride can get in front of her. So I'm going to play Lovely Ride in this race at around, you know, I, I wouldn't want to take lower than about 6-1 to one because I'm, I'm sort of just hoping that she can get in front of Coach. And if that's the case, I think that will give her an opportunity in here. You know, she sh- if those two sit 1-2, I, I still think Lovely Ride has a shot. But if they are battling or if there's any kind of contested pace, it, it may hurt her chances. But let's hope Lovely Ride can clear the field here at 8-1 to in race number 9, the number 3, Lovely Ride. At Oaklawn in the 10th race, let's look at the number 5, B. Sud. I mean, overall, we can just look at this gelding, and he's never really run a bad race. He's 1-for-5 with four third-place finishes, and... He was a winner in his second start. Following that, he had four months off. He came back. He was only able to race two times in the in the body of last year, and then he had a layoff. He raced in March and April. Then he was off again till November. He came back uh, in November now, and so he could take a really nice step forward. He's also a first-time gelding. And that is the ultimate equipment change. B-Sud. At 8-1, to one. if he's anything over 5, we'll give him a play there at Oaklawn on Saturday. So there's a look at Oaklawn Saturday and some Gulfstream Park Saturday for your horse racing plays. Good luck this weekend and uh, hope you, you crush it in all of your horse racing wagers. Now we're going to move on over and get you set up for your NFL wagers with Eric. We're going to talk all about Week 14, but before we do... We have to remind you about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, Cindy Carava. And as a full-service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, 
with leasing. She can keep you updated to everything going on in the market. If you ever heard some of our interviews with her that we've played on these shows or on social media, she knows everything going on. She can answer any of your questions. If you want to know how much your home is worth, she'll do a free market analysis. If you need help with like relocating, she's got you covered. Buying, selling, leasing. Maybe you just want home improvement, she's got you covered. She'll connect you with the right type of vendors, gardeners, landscapers, painters, all sorts of folks that she has worked with and has experience with working with in her own home. And if you need help with the loan process, she'll connect you with the right type of lender that will make that easier for you. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, CindyCarava.com. That's the website. She can help you out with anything in the world of real estate, no matter where you are. She focuses in Southern California, but if you're out of the state of, of California and anywhere you are in the U.S., if you need help, she has someone in that area that she knows, that she trusts, that she can connect you with that will make your life a lot easier that's what Cindy wants to do. She just wants to make your life easier. She's one of the kindest and most honest people that you'll ever meet. She'll just shoot it straight with you, and uh, she's going to make you um, very happy that you reached out and, uh, and contacted her. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Let's dive into NFL Week 14 with Eric. We're already into Week 14. So we're recording this on Friday, so we do have... Um, thoughts on all of the Sunday games and the Monday, nothing on Thursday since we're recording it after the Thursday game. And we do have a good amount of buys this week. I think six teams are on a buy this week, but we will dive into every single game. We'll talk totals, line movement, um, how the spread has changed throughout the last few days, injuries, game analysis, and if we're playing the game, how we're playing the game with our main man, Eric from Etoff 21 Sports. Recording this one a little bit later in the week with Eric, but we're into NFL Week 14. Wow, we are flying through the NFL season, Eric. Just a few weeks left, and there's a lot of buys this week, too. I think six teams are on a buy, and we're recording on Friday, so we're not going to talk about the Thursday night game. But we do have a little bit more information now when we record at about 7.30 p.m. on Friday, uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on Friday night. Um, as far as like injury concerns, numbers have moved a little bit. We are looking at the betting lines uh, over at Betfred Sportsbook, and we'll kind of reference them, and we'll talk about how numbers have moved uh, and kind of moved at other places all over. And the the object always for us as a gambler, Eric, is finding value. So it's not – sometimes it's about the spot, but always it's about the number. Right. Sometimes it's about the team and the matchup. Sometimes it's about the spot. But no matter what, you always have to look for and try to find the best value that you can get. Yeah. And so it's all about, you know, finding value. There's there's one interesting matchup I'm sure we'll get to later that I'm, I know we'll get to later where, you know, I got it really, really early and now the numbers change. And it's kind of getting to that point where, you know, you maybe may I'll, have to go the other way. Yeah. Maybe I'll look to go in the other way. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, I did want to ask you a question, though. I'm not sure if you saw Matt um, Matthew Berry's video. He put out this video. He said he has no idea. This is just him spitballing things. Does Stafford just hang it up after this year? I that that's that's not a bad sort of like take, right? Because if you're Stafford and you just sort of look at the lay of the land with the Rams, yeah, they had the great year last year. Everything came together. You left Detroit to go try to win, and you did. But, man, this is a guy who's had a lot of injuries through the years, right? He was banged up 
in with your lions a lot. And now we're talking about neck and like concussion issues, right? Yep. Like neck back concussion stuff. That's really scary. He's already got the Super Bowl win. Does he look and think, man, this offensive line isn't that great. Are we going to be a great offensive line next year? We don't really have a whole lot of weapons in the backfield. Um, you know, we're getting older. This was a bad year. I know it's not the way you want to go out, right? Because you could have gone out last year after winning the Super Bowl. But now you kind of have the perspective of the year after. And maybe maybe you do. Like, I, maybe you do. And then I really get my uh, my Baker jersey, my Baker Mayfield, who was you know, cooking. I'll give, him, I'll give him props. He looked better. Yeah. In the, and- well, you know what? When we're talking on Friday, so the Rams beat the Raiders on Thursday night. One, great spot to come in for Baker because there's absolutely like no pressure on you because nobody's expecting anything of you. You just got there. So in the first half, they didn't really ask much of him. And then in the second half, now you've gotten warmed up a little bit and you're playing against one of the worst defenses in the league. But yeah. he, he, I will say, like you were, you're giving him credit. I'm going to give him some credit too. It's not like he has a bunch of playmakers out there with the Rams either. I'll tell He's you still- what, I like the kid from Louisville. Um, Skronik? Skron- At- or Atwell. Atwell. Well, like Atwell, Skronik, and Jefferson are, are who, who are out there, right? So we're not talking even about like – Cooper Cup, or you know, he's just kind of making you know, throwing it to one or two guys who are breaking it. Like, he had two nice drives, too. So, credit to him. But now, sometimes we see this, especially with a guy like Baker, because Baker is such like a like an emotional kind of like head case guy, positive and negative. He gets up for stuff like that. Now, next week, everybody knows. For sure, you're playing, you're starting. People got film on you now. They know your tendencies now. Now that you have a week and there's now a little bit more pressure on you to actually go out there and execute, can he do it and look good? Because you know what? This is a really good opportunity for him. He's in a great spot. He could have gotten released from Carolina and nobody could have picked him up. If if he would have gone through waivers and nobody picked him up, it wouldn't even have been that surprising with as bad as he played. But now he came back, and the first thing we saw was him go out on Thursday night when everybody was watching, have a couple big drives, a game-winning drive. And now there's sort of – there's a lot better mojo for him than there was just a week or two ago, right? Yeah, people are feeling him a little bit. You know, people are saying, well, it didn't matter because San Francisco was so far down. San Francisco should at least put a claim in for him. I mean, honestly – you know, wouldn't have mattered, but, but it's, and it's kind of a good rivalry thing to do. If you're the Rams, you just kind of block the, the 49ers yeah. from getting a chance to get him too, you know? And so I, uh, yeah, you know, cool for the Rams, take a little swing there. And like you said, maybe something happens where Stafford says, Hey, I'm done. I got my ring. Let's, let's just end it right now. I'm out. Maybe, maybe you have Baker to take a look at right there and you can get him for, for pretty cheap. So interesting spot. And uh, we'll see if, if he can, continue to progress towards the end of the year and look a little bit better because he did not look good at all this year. And what's what's disappointing is like we can say, well, yeah, it's Carolina. So, you know, it's not like he's very many people are going to win a bunch of games in there. But of all the quarterbacks that played in Carolina this year, he looked the worst in Carolina. Sam Darnold looked better than him. And so did PJ in a couple games look better than yep. Baker. So it that that's where it was hard to give him credit this year because, yeah, people could have said, Okay, Carolina is not a great spot, but there were two other guys that 
weren't in a good spot either. And they even, they at least looked a little bit better than him. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thought, you know, I, I didn't even contemplate it until I heard it until I saw it. No, um, but you're right. What? Cause what, what if, I mean, they're all athletes, right? So a lot of these guys want to come back and he's motivated. He's obviously a guy who, who may not want to go out that way, but maybe he looks around and he, he thinks about how he's, he's aging a little bit. He's getting a little bit older. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, it, also real quick for the people, if you have not read the, Oh my God, I'm spacing who wrote it. But the, if you just Google Andrew Luck article, I mean, it, oh, interesting yeah. read, real interesting read. Yep. And that's something when uh, some of these other players read something like that, right. It seeps into them. Yeah. When you hear a guy like Andrew Luck that that's on that level that decides, you know what, it's okay to hang it up because there are other things in life I want to be able to experience, then you know, and again, it's not not like a knee injury or like an ankle injury is different, but this the neck head concussion stuff, that's scary, man. Like you want to be able to bend down and play with your kids and your family and stuff. Yeah, and he's got all young kids. You know, it's, yeah. it's it was just an interesting take. I found it and really it's a good. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's dive on in, Eric, to uh to this weekend. Let's start with the Ravens and the Steelers. So Baltimore's eight and four, four, seven, and one straight up, or four, seven, and one against the spread. Steelers are five and seven, six, five, and one against the spread. This number has moved around a little bit, right? Earlier in the week, we we got this thing got up to about Pittsburgh minus three. Now I think it was down to one and a half. We know Lamar's out it's going to be Huntley playing for the Ravens um some things on the Ravens side last year they went one in four without him including four straight losses to end the year but last week Huntley did lead a game-winning touchdown drive they had to go 64 yards on 16 plays he completed two fourth down conversions and cost Eric uh, a good amount of money by uh, by doing so in one incredible you know what but it, it is what it is it was it was a fun three hour ride, ride. You had a ride, man. You I had, had a ride. ride. It was a fun three-hour ride. You know, did what? Did we end up losing money? But it was twenty-five dollars, hundred to one, no tutty, and it almost hit. But on to the so, next one. So this year they've blown three big leads in games, and th- that last week they actually did not hold a lead in the game until twenty-three seconds remaining. So it's funny. That's when people say things even out a little bit, right? Because that was a game they didn't seem like at any point they were going to win. And then they drive all the way down late in the game, complete a couple fourth down conversions. And they went 35 minutes of game time between the three points they scored and then the touchdown that they scored. 35 minutes of game time between scores. The defense, though, continues to hold strong. There were back-to-back interceptions. And because... The Broncos offense is so bad and the defense held strong. They only gave up three points when your team turned it over back to back and gave the other team great field position. Now they, they were outgained in yards per play. They had a negative true turnover margin, but it just sort of was again, like things evening out a little bit for them after a lot of games this year that they lost that things kind of went the other way. The Steelers have actually beat the, the Ravens overall four straight times by a combined 13 points. And this number last week on a look ahead, I think I saw Eric was like, with Lamar healthy, would have been like Ravens minus five, yep. something in that range. And so now 
where obviously, you know, that's telling you Lamar Jackson is worth somewhere based on what people played this at in the range of like six to eight points. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, and this, A, you know, I'm looking at it. If, the, if I could have got this at Ravens plus three, that was it. You know, Tomlin one and seven ATS is a home favorite versus Harbaugh in their coaching career. Cause it's Lamar. Cause at that point that would have been saying Lamar is worth like eight points in a game where the over under is only what? 36, 36 and a half. Like th- yep, that's a lot of points in a low scoring game like this. Um, I just, I really like, I feel with the number, I don't trust Pickett. I don't trust. I think the Steelers defense is legit. End of the day, I don't trust Pickett. Um, an interesting thing kind of happened with what the Steelers do. The majority of the time, Deontay Johnson lines up on the right. Pickett Pickens lines up on the left, which means that Pickens would be going up against Peters and Johnson would be going up against Humphrey. Johnson didn't practice. So does that mean Johnson doesn't go? If Johnson doesn't go, we have to expect that this, they're going to change thematically what the Ravens do, put Humphrey on Pickens. If they do that, I don't know how the Steelers' offense is going to be moving at all. Um, Pickens against Peters I think was a great matchup. I think it was a little sneaky fantasy play, even though this total is so low. Another sneaky fantasy play, um, and we – my buddy Nick and I talked about it. Like I have this new DFS segment on my podcast, which came out earlier Friday. Um, we talked about how Andrews averaged 17 fantasy points per game and saw 11 targets per game when Huntley was there. That's a good point. And he got, he averaged 90 yards per game. His receiving prop in this game, it's a little too high for me. That was 60. If this was like in the 50s, I'd kind of look for it. But I think Andrews is a very sneaky play. I also think Huntley is a sneaky play in DFS, too, because he get his rushing upside. He averaged close to 60 yards rushing per game last year um, when he brought came in for um, for Lamar, close to 16, close to 17 points a game, excuse me. And last week we saw him put up 16 and a half a game against pro- arguably the best defense in the NFL. So I think Huntley and Andrews, have some DFS value. I think Pickens has DFS value. Well, and, and it's like let, just kind of piggybacking your point there. Pittsburgh is bottom five in yards per pass attempt allowed, yards per completion allowed, and in touchdown rate allowed. They're awful. They have an awful pass defense. Yeah. They're just they're not that great. Now Watts been back and and he helps pick up their defense a little bit, but in the last three weeks they're nineteenth in EPA per rush. So you've actually been able to run against them. They uh, they have an injury to their right tackle, um, but they've been running the ball pretty well. They have they were fifth in EPA per rush since week ten with over fifty percent successful runs. The last four games they've been running though against teams that are not very good that have an average run defense of a number twenty rank. This week they're going to face the number six rank rush defense, Baltimore. Since week nine, Baltimore is the number one ranked defense against the run. I want to give a shout out to uh, the uh, bet the board podcast. I listen to it most weeks, but most weeks it comes out late and they usually have a couple pretty good tidbits that I don't get to uh, 
you know, talk about when we record here, but shout out to them because they do really good work over there. They're like really sharp gamblers too. Uh, Todd Furman and Payne Insider, they uh, lots of good tidbits and info. They usually like break down a few different games and they uh, they talked about a couple of these. So I wanted to give them a little credit for some of the, the stats and stuff I heard on their show as, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Baltimore is the right side in here, but I'm like you, I didn't catch the number well enough. If I'm in a situation where I have to pick a game, every game, I'm picking the Baltimore side at like anything around even like money line. If the thing, if it's this or like money line, I would still be Baltimore, but I'm not betting this game at this value right here. There's absolutely zero point. There's no, there's, there's no reason to go rush and bet this game. No. Um, if you yeah. like it, wait, like yeah. we always say, wait and see if you can get some better value live, live, game, live. If Pittsburgh gets ahead, then you can play this maybe even more, you know, so let's uh let's keep rolling, Eric. Let's go to Browns Bengals. We've got Cleveland five and seven straight up, six and six against the spread. The Bengals eight and four straight up, nine and three against the spread. We have the return of Deshaun Watson last week, and we have the Bengals now looking like you know one of the best teams in football. They are a five and a half point favorite in this game. The over under is forty six and a half. Watson, as expected, in his return, lots of rust. The offense finished with just 304 total yards of offense. Here's how they scored touchdown. Here's how they scored. They had 27 points in that game. Fumble return for a touchdown. Interception return for a touchdown. Punt return for a touchdown. 21 points on three touchdowns, none of which were offensive. It was just the second time in the Super Bowl era that the Browns have scored three non-offensive touchdowns in a single game. They haven't done it since week one of 1989. And that is the most points, 27, that any team has ever scored without an offensive touchdown since 1999. So in the last 23 years, uh, they kicked two field goals to add to those three non-offensive touchdowns to get to the 27. But Watson was just missing throws, short hopping stuff. Like, he, let me say this. He may never get back to where he was. Maybe he will. Maybe it's in three weeks. Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's in two years. Maybe the guy mentally is just different because, man, you're like secrets kind of out. I don't know how much this guy's ever going to really get supported the way he used to. People like loved this guy before. Coming out of college, he was thought like a great leader. Everybody loved him. Great locker room guy. We never heard a bad word about him. And now all of a sudden everything's flipped. And I heard someone mention this. I can't remember who mentioned it where about Tiger. Um, and, I, and, and, and it took Tiger a while after your kind of secrets out mentally to get used to it. So not only does he have to do deal with that plus physically, right? It's not like he just missed because of injury. Now he's got all of this stuff to deal with this other baggage of people booing him everywhere he goes, even his own fans, not liking him guys in the locker room, not liking him. And he got pressured on 47% of his dropbacks. So, I mean, that, that was just one week against, you know, one opponent, but Brissett this year, he got pressured on 30% of his dropbacks weeks 1 through 12. So that was 17% more than the Browns were giving up all year long. What what did you think, you know, coming out of that Browns game, just sort of like on the Browns side with Watson? I still can't believe I didn't win a bet when I had a team getting a touchdown and they didn't allow any any points um, onto the offense. I thought he just looked rusty. Um, which was to be expected. He hadn't played in close to 700 days. 
you kind of I know it's against the Texans, but you like mentally wise, you're going back to the to the game you used to play on, team on the game, the team you used to play on, all everything that happened, you have that going on. It was a big spot. I mean, that was a lot, a lot going on, you know. You know what? You're don't get me wrong, he is a dirtbag. I'm not making excuses for him, but I wouldn't put too much into that. Um, you know, I'm just looking at this matchup. The lines moved a little bit. I got it earlier in the week when it was the um the Browns plus the six and a half. Burrow, believe it or not, he's 0-4 straight up versus the Browns, and he's 0-2 as a favorite. Browns, their corners are bigger and they're more physical than the um Chiefs DBs are. So I think it's that's why they have a little bit harder time moving the ball. Um, and then are you ready to get blown away as terms of fantasy football player of the week let's hear last game versus the Bengals. nick chubb scored 24.9 fantasy points last year he played two games against the Bengals. the first game he scored 24.3 fantasy points the last game was in week 18 where he he didn't even play a whole quarter okay so you can't really put that much in there I think Chubb is an absolute stud this week, and he is the most quiet RB4 ever. Like, no one's talking about how great of a year this guy's having. PFF grades this as the third best matchup in terms of the Browns offensive line versus the Bengals defensive line. I think the Browns are going to be able to move the ball on the run. I think Watson got the kinks out for having it be his first game, and the Bengals just played the Titans. Hard fought, emotional game came down to the end. Played Playoff the, um, rematch from last Chiefs, year. Played the Chiefs. Hard fought, emotional win came down Another to the end. Playoff rematch from last year, right? And this is like, like we say it all the time buying low, selling high. Burrow went from no one talking about being an MVP to being eight to one, the, set, the third favorite. Absolutely. This is the highest value that they've been. I think that. There's value on the Browns here. I locked him at six and a half, five and a half, kind of a dead number. I would wait to see if it gets back up to six. Um, but anything over the four and a half, I would play come Sunday morning. But right now, where it is right now when we're recording, I would wait. Let me get some uh, Bengals tidbits in here. I agree with you. This number, I don't play. I wouldn't play. There's a lot of positive Bengals stuff that I'm going to spit out right now. But I'm not going to play it at the number like we're saying everybody's very high on them. And I think there's reasons to be, but I don't want to play this because they've lost three times in the last year to the Browns, two of them by more than 19 points, like in those recent losses. And, you know, like you said, they even, they, they, it's a weird matchup for them, but they do come into this with four straight wins. They've won three straight over Kansas city. They've just allowed five sacks over the last four games. They've won eight of their last 10. And in that stretch, Jets, Dolphins, Titans, Chiefs, all current playoff teams. They had more total plays, total yards, tied in yards per play. They had more yards passing and more yards rushing. They won time of possession, and they had more opportunities to score with seven trips inside the red zone compared to just four for Kansas City. They beat up Kansas City, honestly, because they could have won that game by even more. P. Ryan had 21 carries, 106 yards, six receptions for 49 yards, Chase came back, seven receptions, 97 yards. The defense continues to play well. They came up with big stops down the stretch. They made some big plays, combination of guys on the defense, Hubbard, Hendrickson, Pratt, Osai, all big plays down the stretch. They allowed 
the offensive line allowed the Chiefs to generate a season-low pressure on the quarterback, just 15.6 pressure. Chiefs had averaged over 25% pressure rate from weeks 1 through 12. And now Burrow is the first quarterback to beat Mahomes in three straight head-to-head matchups. Him and Brady are the only quarterbacks to ever beat Mahomes three times, but Brady's 3-3 three and three against him. And they enter now as the number six team overall in DVOA, even though Chase was gone for a month and they didn't have a good first two games at all and really bad offensive line issues in those first two games. But they're still ranked number six by DVOA metrics. They are fifth in net passing yards per play and fifth in passing yards per game, third in third down conversion rate. Lots of positives. Don't like the number. Flat, dead spot. I would lean Browns even again if I have to pick one, but I'm not betting it at this number. If you could gut maybe if, if it floats back up to like what over six? Yeah, over six or over. Yeah. Let's get to Texans versus the Cowboys. 17 point spread in this one. Cowboys Ooh. are favored by 17 over the Texans, who are one, 10 and one straight up, four, seven and one against the spread. Cowboys nine and three straight up, eight and four against the spread. The Texans just gave the Browns 14 points based on offensive miscues. They were only able to score a touchdown in garbage time. They had two interceptions and a fumble that was lost on a sneak. 23rd in points allowed, 29th in yards allowed. I mean, it's just, it's hard to get excited about this team. This is a massive number though. The Cowboys, they forced five turnovers against the Colts. It was their second game this year with five takeaways. The rest of the league combined has two games with five takeaways. They lead the league in sacks. They rank second in takeaways overall and pass defense with 75, uh, 179 yards per game allowed. They come off a game where they scored 33 points in the fourth quarter. Heading into the fourth quarter, it was a two-point game against the Colts. And it's just the third time in NFL history a team has scored 33 points or more in the fourth quarter of a game. It was actually the most ever a team has been outscored in the fourth quarter of a game. They had 10 different players record at least one pressure last week. And since Dak returned, they lead the league with 37.2 points per game. This is since week seven. They're the only team averaging more than 30 points that during that stretch. They're second in total yards per game with over 400. They're second in rushing yards per game with 173. They're second in red zone touchdown percentage, 87. The red, uh, run game generated a season-high EPA per rush last week, but they do have an injury to a cornerback, Brown. And, man, like I can give you all the positive Cowboy stuff in the world. I can give you all the negative Texan stuff in the world. 17 points is still a hell of a lot of points in an NFL game. All right, so I bet the Texans plus 17. I know they suck, but honestly, gambling is all about buying low, selling. This is too many, man. 15 would be like for me where I would start where it's like, okay, now I'm in. Yep. And we need to remember that gambling is all about what the public saw last. The public just saw the Cowboys won by 35 points on Sunday night football against the Indianapolis. Exactly. Teams that won by 35 points or more the previous week are 41% ATS. Teams that won by 35% or more that are 10 point favorites or more. 38%. 38%. So what it does that mean? That means they're overvalued. The number gets inflated. Gino and I will tell you, Texans are not nearly as good as the Cowboys, but we're not betting them a straight up win. We're just betting them to cover this absurd number. Texans At are 17, a- you're betting like garbage time 24, yeah. 23. 
Like, can they be down by 21 points and score a garbage time touchdown late to lose by 14? Where once Dallas is up right now, like, thinking about where Dallas sits right now, I mean, they look like a really good football team. Dallas looks like one of the better teams in football right now. But Dallas, do you give, honestly, do you give that much of a crap about beating up this Texans team by 30 points when you've got, you know, a big game with the Eagles coming up on Christmas Day that is basically going to be, you know, a game like for your season. You know, that's that's a massive game for them. That's going to be huge. I just don't think that they're going to care about winning this yeah, game not, by yeah, they're not gonna care. They got stuck, you know what I mean? Them winning by they're they're not doing B at BCS style points. Flip side Texans being undervalued. They're on a seven game losing losing streak. Road dogs, seven game losing streak, sixty-three percent ATS. Road dogs, seven game losing streak that are getting 10 points or more, 62. This just goes back to the undervalued. I just feel the Texans are undervalued. Davis Mills is coming back. I'm not saying he's a world beater, but he is better than Kyle Allen. He has won games in this league. Um, I really think that they're going to look to run the ball with Damian Pierce. I just think this totally game, it's just too much. I locked it in at 17. 17 or higher is an absolute buy. Yeah, and that's what 15 and you can start thinking about it. And then once you see that it gets to 17 and you get that extra field goal on top of the two touchdowns, like I think you got to go in. Let's get to the Jags and the Titans. We've got the Titans as a three and a half point favorite in here over under 41. Jacksonville is four and eight straight up for seven and one against the spread. Titans seven and five straight up eight and four against the spread. Jags look like Lawrence suffered an injury at the end of the first half, but he did return in the second half and physically he looked okay. Now it wasn't a great game for him. It was a fantastic spot for the lions. We were all over that spot, but he completed just 55% of his passes for 179 yards and then touchdown, but he had five drops in that game and three incompletions on throwaways. They fumbled on the opening drive. They were just three of 12 on third down, just 266 total yards and man, you we you called this out. We were hitting on it a lot. They're not using Etienne correctly. Even in a game where they were down big, he ran 27 routes um, on 36 pass plays, but he only had three catches for 12 yards on three targets. Like, why aren't you getting him the ball more when you're down? That's what you should be doing, getting him like little dump offs. Instead, they try to use him more through the like between the tackles. And okay, sometimes he can do it against inferior defensive opponents, but he gets it. It wears on him a little too much and it's just not good overall. And then you have the Titans who just come in firing their GM. Henry has been held in check the last few games. That's four straight games under hundred yards, just 208 total yards rushing in those last four games. And that's 75 attempts, 2.77 yards per carry. He does have nine receptions for 146 yards during that stretch. That's helped you a little bit if you're like in fantasy with him. But the last two weeks, Philly and Cincy, they showed if you have a strong defensive front without needing to stack the box, like if you have an okay defensive front, you don't have to put a few extra there. You can be really successful against them because then you force Tannehill to have to kind of go one-on-one. They don't really have the playmakers there. Burks ends up getting hurt. Like, and when he goes out, then they really struggle. Something to keep an eye on. The rookie tight end, um, Oconquo. 
He's had at least 30 receiving yards in each of the last five games for the Titans after only having 52 yards combined in the first eight weeks. So he's like making one or two big plays a game. Last week, he had a 41-yard catch, uh, 10.4 yards after the catch per catch. That's the most for a tight end with 10 or more targets, 2.7 yards per route run. That's by far the most for tight ends. Um, He's played more offensive snaps recently um, and in different formations. So keep an eye on him maybe as like a dart throw in DFS stuff. The passing defense, Eric, they've allowed three touchdown passes of 20 plus yards last week. Their offense has three touchdown pass uh, receptions of 20 plus yards this year as a team. Like I look at it like this. So I bet the Jags plus the three and a half. And here's I, my I thought. think you have to. Um, you know, I love Rabel. He is only 48% ATS as a favorite. One of the angles I've mentioned on your show numerous times is fading teams after they play the Eagles. Since Sirianni has become the coach, installed that physical running style, they are only 38% ATS after the week after you play the um, the Eagles. Then looking at the Jags, I talk about all the time, buying low, selling high. Jags just lost by 30 to the Lions. We sold them last week against the Lions because they're overvalued after that Ravens win. It was a great spot. Lost- they're, and now they're not as bad as they played last week in that game. Yep. And that's Team- all that people are going to think of. Yep. Teams after losing by 30 or more, 56% either way, ATS. Teams that are a dog the following week after losing by 30 or more, that jumps all the way up to 60% ATS. So a dog, public looks at it, oh, this team sucks. I have credit. I, I can fade them. That's how people are going to be looking at it. The strength of this Jags defense is stopping the run. They're 13th DVOA against it. So I think they'll be able to limit Henry in the rushing game. Yep. And the Titans passing offense isn't the same without Burks. The new NFL with concussions and like, you know, I, I get it. You know, you, you got to protect these guys. If you get a concussion, I think it's just going to be mandated now. You're going to miss the next game. I think, I think, so too. It, I think that that's going to hurt the Titans offensively. The Titans are struggling defending the pass. They're a 22nd DVOA. So I think the Jags are going to be able to move the ball against And them. last week so, coming into the game, they were allowing 266 passing yards per game. They gave up 380 to the Eagles. Like the Jags can move the ball through the air. Yeah, they can move the ball. Absolutely love it. I also, one my one player prop in the game is Derek Henry over 14 and a half receiving yards. Oh, that's He's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Two out of the last three games, and more importantly, the um, the uh, the Jaguars give up the second most receiving yards to opposing running backs. So I absolutely love that. So I, I liked uh, I liked that one. Those are my two uh, my two bets in this game. So you have the Titans, who are seven and five. So they have played their twelve games. The Jags, who are four and eight, they've played their twelve games. In the 12 games for the Titans, their point differential, negative 21. For the Jags, negative 14. They have a lo- they have a better point differential overall than the Titans do. Just something mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't have thought of with, you know, how the Titans are kind of discussed. But, yeah, this is – we talk about spots and, and, and ways to play, guys. We like playing v- Vrabel when he's undervalued, when he's on the opposite side of this, when he's getting a field goal or more. Now – this screams like a close Tennessee win by like two, right? Like a random 
win by less than a field goal where it's like back and forth. Tennessee maybe ekes out a win in this game, but the Jags cover. Like that's how I, I feel. It, oh, this that, could be a last second. I think as long as you get over that three, you're good. I agree. The last second field goal. So yeah. Yep. yep. I, um, yeah. Anything over three is a buy. This, this is going to be one of our plays. So it looks like Texans and Jags so far are two that you and I are going to take plus the 17 and then plus the three and a half. Let's get to Vikings and your Lions playing some good ball and they're a favorite over the Vikings here. Lions are a two point favorite over under in this game 51. Yes, the five and seven Lions, eight and four against the spread, are favored against the 10 and two Vikings who are six, five and one against the spread. But every week, I just have the most stuff to talk about with the Vikings um, because they're just such a fascinating team, this particular team. They came up with a couple big stops late in that game last week. They actually had two different goal line stands in a game that they ended up winning by five points against the Jets. The last two times the offense got the ball late in the game, they had the chance to ice the clock. They went six plays for a total of five yards, three and out, three and out, gained total of five yards on six total plays. Um, three of their drives were awesome on three combined drives throughout the night. They had 235 yards. Their other nine drives prior to the end of the game, they totaled 53 yards. Cousins started the game. One of eight passing for four yards. He did end up the end the half on a really nice stretch, um, going 13 out of his last 16. And he led three second quarter scoring drives, but this offensive line is struggling without Darisaw. And, you know, overall, they played a pretty clean game. And that's the only reason why they won. They didn't really have a lot of penalties in the game. They got majorly outgained in total yards by almost 200 yards. They had no turnovers and two offensive penalties. That's the only way you can win a game against a team that outgains you by that much. No penalties, no turnovers, and like two stops on the goal line. And just like hope and pray for the best. They are now nine and zero in one score games, which is tied for the most win in in one score games in their first twelve games of a season since nineteen forty. No team since nineteen forty has gone nine and zero in one score games through a full season. Only the two thousand nine Colts went eight and zero in a full season in one score games. The Vikings have already gone nine and zero, and. You know, third down, they were 7 of 11 on third down. They got up to a 20, 20 to 3 lead, and then they sort of coasted. But if you did not look at this team's record, here is a list of, like, a lot of their major metrics, Eric. They're 19th in yards per game. They're 31st in yards allowed per game. They're 21st in net yards per play. They're 30th in net yards allowed per play. They're 13th in third down conversion rate and in third down conversions allowed and they're ninth in red zone touchdown rate. They're 20th in touch in uh, red zone touchdown rate allowed. They aren't like top 10 in anything and they're bad in most metrics. They don't look like a 10 win team. They have great starting field position. They're third in the league penalty yardage differential. They're second in the league and they're third in the league with eight plus takeaways. That's why they're winning games. It's been pretty crazy to see. Normally, it doesn't last this long because only six teams in NFL history have negative net yardage with 10 wins in 12 games. 
They have negative 754 yards, which is the most negative of any 10-win team ever in their first 12 games. Lowest point differential ever of any 10-win team in history at just plus 10 points. But you know what's funny? They have a really easy schedule ahead, number 30th, based on DVA average of opponent. No games left against the top 12 teams in the league. This team's going to be in the playoffs, and we're going to be playing against them when they are. Oh, 100%. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is my thing. Um, I took this off of openers on the Lions money line when it was the pick. Um, where it is right now, if it is under the three, I think there's still value on Detroit. I wouldn't, but once it gets higher than three, my eyes, there's value in um, Minnesota, in Minnesota. You know, you kind of look at it. They are 20th in team DVOA, have a 10 and two record plus 10 point differential and are 10. I think they're 11 and one now in one score games. I saw this graph where it's like if one score games were reversed, they'd be they'd be one in ten with how with what stuff is going for them. Flip side, you look at the Lions. Lions are all the way up to thirteenth in team DVOA, five Overall, and seven record. Yeah. Yep. Since the bye, the Lions are eleventh in total DVOA. But more importantly, since the bye, at, excuse me, after the bye or whatever, their defense, if you just look at DVOA, Which, is up to nine. They have a not, since. Yeah. Since week nine, they're 15th in EPA per play allowed. In weeks one through eight, they were dead last. Like in almost any metric you look at, they're an above average defense, like since week nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the main thing that's happening is what? Is A, Aiden Hutchinson, they're moving him around a lot more. He's dropping in coverage. He's lining up on the right, lining up on the right, left. They're doing more of them. And also the first part of their season, just watching them, their top three defenders were all rookies and had absolutely no clue what they were doing. Now you're getting to the second half of the season where Hutchinson, Joseph in the back four, Rodrigo, the middle linebacker, they're all starting to figure out and playing it a lot better. Um, Vikings are 25th DVOA defending the pass. I think the Lions will have success in the air throwing against this putrid defense. St. Brown, Another guy you definitely have to look into playing. He has a great matchup. 29 11 catches, 114 yards, two touchdowns last week for him. Just another monster day. Like yeah, 29% target share. Definitely the guy Goff is looking for, too. And we kind of mentioned it last week, you know, on your podcast. Bringing Jamison, Jamin, Jamison Williams, Williamson in. What it does is it adds that deep threat, basically a three-point shooter where you have to respect that and you have to like the deep ball. That opens up so much stuff over the middle for Brown. Goff, 65% ATS playing at home for the Lions. I like the Lions here. Um, You know, I think they win the game. But again, asking a team like this to win more than three is a lot. So if this gets over three, if this gets to Minnesota plus three and a half, I'm going to buy back in on Minnesota. But right now, under three, I like it. I have the, I got Detroit on the money line. Vikings and the Lions played earlier this year in that game where they the Lions had a double-digit lead twice in the game that the Vikings came back from, and the Lions should not have lost that game. Since week eight, the Vikings offense is 23rd in EPA per play. And so you're looking at two teams here where like, it seems like the Lions are getting better and healthier on offense and on defense. 
At the same time, the Vikings are starting to struggle more on both sides of the ball, too. And they're getting that regression to the mean after early in the year. The Lions had a couple of those close losses that they probably could have and, and should have won. The Lions didn't punt one time last week. Nine possessions, they scored eight times, and they had one kneel down. First time since 1993 that the Lions have scored on their first eight drives. 437 total yards, 31 first downs. Goff, he was uh, 340 yards, 75% completion percentage with two touchdowns. You know, he's ranked number eight in EPA per dropback this year. Number eight overall. Um, they've won four of their last five. The only game they lost was to the bills on Thanksgiving in a one game, uh, in a one score game. How about Okuda? He was targeted seven times, allowed two catches for nine yards over his last three games. He's allowed a total of 26 yards in coverage. Penny Sewell did not allow a single pressure, 43 pass blocking snaps against Josh Allen. One of the best pass edge rushers in the league. He's now had eight games this year. Sewell where he's allowed one pressure or less. Swift played more than half the snaps for the first time since week two, led the team in carries, rushing yards, also had four catches for 49 yards. You mentioned the DVOA metrics, seventh overall the last six weeks, ninth in offense and defense, and sixth in special teams over the last six games. They, you know, their offense, they're third in defensive pass efficiency over the last five games, adjusted for opponent. They're sixth in EPA per play since week eight. They were 22nd before that. We're on the Lions, and that'll be one of our uh, other plays here as we continue along to Jets and the Bills. The Jets are 7-5 and five straight up, 7-5 and five against the spread. The Bills are 9-3 and three straight up, 6-5-1 and one against the spread. The Jets beat the Bills a little earlier on this year, and they could become... One of the first team, or one of only a few teams ever to beat a team twice as an eight plus point favorite in the same, as an eight point plus underdog in the same season. It hasn't happened since 2006. Um, now, when they played the Bills, it was Wilson. Now, White is starting. Last week, they played the Vikings. They had more first downs, more total plays, more total yards than the Vikings by 200 total yards, more yards per play, more passing yards, basically even in rushing yards. They won the time of possession by over three minutes. They ended up losing the game for a couple reasons, two turnovers and one for six in the red zone. They also had six penalties for 40 yards in a game where the Vikings only had two. Now white still looks a lot better than Wilson, but in this game, he had to throw 57 times, 26 incomplete passes he did get hit eight times in that game, and that was twice as many throws as he had last week. Now he did have 369 yards, and he brought the Jets back trailing by 17. And another good game for wide receiver Wilson, eight catches, 162 yards. Also had a touchdown that was called back after he stepped out of bounds at the 11-yard line, so um, could have been an even bigger game. He also drew a pass interference inside the 10-yard line. The offensive line was very good. They only gave up pressure on 8% of their dropbacks. But in the last four games, they've only scored a touchdowns four out of 14 red zone trips. And Mike White has played against the Bears and the Vikings. They are last and 28th in pass efficiency for the defense. And now he's playing Buffalo. That's the number seven ranked pass defense. 
I don't know what this matchup is going to be like for him. I mean, I'm not going to lay this number with 10 with the Bills, but do you like the Jets at the double-digit number? Talk to us about this game. Damn right I do, man. I, I bet the Jets here plus 10. couple things going on. Um, Allen, nine point. Okay, sorry. Divisional road dogs getting 10 or more points, 56% ATS. Bills, Bills got some serious injuries going on, especially to the offensive line. This Jets defense is legit. I think they're going to be able to get to Allen. Um, I know Cook has looked better. Singletary does has looked better. But for whatever reason, the Bills just don't commit to the run as much as they should. Allen's um, arm is not 100%. And you can tell it doesn't really hurt the deep throws. It hurts that medium stuff with his accuracy. The weather is going to be putrid. It's supposed to be cold, windy, rainy there. That's going to affect stuff for this Bills offense in terms of the passing game. And when it's like this, you got to look at the better run game. I'm going to favor the um, LaFleur run system that the Jets run, moving the ball with, um, with Knight, with Carter could be coming back. You got James Robinson. I'm getting a divisional dog on the road at 10 points. I hit at 56%. I mean, this this is what I live for, dude. I, I locked in the Jets. I, I got it locked in. The Yeah, the loss earlier, 20-17. to 17, Allen got sacked five times. He had a passer rating under 50 in that game. It was his only game this year without a passing touchdown. The Bills do have Tredavious White back for this game, which they didn't earlier in the year. Bills... And the Patriots have played four times in the last 52 weeks. There was a stretch over four consecutive games in 24 drives where the Bills had um, 13 touchdowns and uh, just an incredible dominance against the uh, the Patriots there. But I, I agree with you, man. Like at, at 10, this is just too high for a Bills team that can keep this game close enough. And they've shown to be feisty enough with Mike White. So big number here in the divisional game. We're on the Jets side. As we continue along to Eagles Giants, Eagles are eleven and one straight up this year, seven and five against the spread. Giants seven four and one straight up, nine and three against the spread. Eagles are a touchdown favorite in this game right now. Forty five is the over under. The Eagles they held Derrick Henry to thirty yards on eleven carries last week with the longest run of just six yards. They sacked the quarterback six times, hit him eight times in total. Five different players with the sack. It was the revenge game for Brown. He wanted to have a big game. He talked about it. Eight catches, 10 targets, 119 yards, and two touchdowns. He had more receiving yards, receptions, and receiving touchdowns than the wide receivers from the Titans combined last week. This year, he has nine receiving touchdowns, twice as many as the entire Titans wide receiver core combined. He scored forty a 40-yard touchdown on a play right after a 40-yard touchdown was overturned on an instant replay. So it was a kind of a funny sequence of events. The defense has allowed one second half touchdown over the last six games. And Hertz has been awesome. 380 yards passing four total touchdowns. The first Eagles player with at least 350 yards passing three passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown in the same game. It's only happened one other time. It was Michael Vick. He's done it twice. So he's actually done it more uh, than any, everybody else in Eagles history combined. Last week, he had touchdowns on three deep passes of 20-plus air yards. It was the second time this year he's had three deep pass touchdowns of 20-plus yards. He's 
only the second player since 2016 to ever have done that multiple times in one year. And now the run defense, which was a weakness and still may not be a strength, it's been a lot better. They've allowed 97 rushing yards per game the last three games, 4.3 yards per carry since they went and made a couple acquisitions at the trade deadline. They're 5-0 and straight up on the road this year, but they're 1-4 against the spread on the road. And one thing that Hurts doesn't do all that well or one of his weaker uh, metrics is against the Blitz. The Giants with Wink, you know what they're going to do, Eric? They're going to be blitzing. They got they're going to be blitzing. That's what love. That's what love. Martindale absolutely loves to blitz. He loves to bring it. Um, you know, got a little stale in uh, in Baltimore. It's an. This is a real interesting matchup for me. And I I took the Giants at plus seven. I have this line more at three three and a half and three and a half. What I do every week is I just when Sunday's over, I just make my lines based on the stuff I track and what I saw during the day. And then if I see value, I look to lock into it. Then I do a deeper dive into stuff. And it's kind of amazing to me that the divisional home dogs getting seven or more, 55%. This year, divisional dogs, seven or more that are home, seven and one ATS. Um, I really believe that the Giants are going to be able to run on him. I know Saquon Barkley is hurt, and I think he's going to go. Uh, we may see a little bit more Matt Breida. Matt Breida has had established career as a backup running back. He's been a great – he's actually – he was like a fantasy goldmine for four weeks a couple, yep. couple years ago. Uh, Jones, 63% ATS. Eagles have a line of injuries. Um, Gobert has – go God, Gallus, what's – I'm – Always F up this guy's name. They're tight end. Since he hasn't been there. Goddard. Goddard. Subtract the Titans game. It hasn't this, looked the same. This um, is just too high of a number of divisional. This number should be like five. Three and a half. Four, three and a half but, but like it like five would be dead, right? But like as soon yeah. as it would, it should be over a field goal, but between like the three and a half to five, once you get in the six to seven range, like, especially now at a touchdown, it's just too high. Oh, yeah. The Giants have a little bit. I'm not saying the Eagles are going to coast, but the Giants have to play for their lives right now. Yeah, like, they're battling right now for their lives. Um, I, uh, Jones, 60%, 63% ATS as a dog. They're just way better when he runs, too, right? And Last week. You know, he was running the ball, 12 carries, 71 yards. That helped with the passing game. He was 25 uh, twenty-five of 31. Takes a little pressure off of Barkley. He got 63 carries on 18 yards. It wasn't great, but it was fine. He uh, Jones had five first downs rushing. That was key, picking up big plays. What hurt them, they were 4 of 13 on third down. If they go 6 of 13 on third down, they win the game. Yeah, and... um you know, Hertz, Hertz is just, he's a second favorite to win MVP. He's only 20% ATS. This is a team that both these teams play at a sore place. Both these teams like to run the ball. And you're telling, you know what I mean? It's slow pace, high number. I love the Giants here. Anything over the seven. Um, in terms of fantasy, I really think a sneaky play and, I have this new DFS segment I do on my podcast with my boy, Nick, and we like build you a, a DFS lineup. Quatez Watkins, we talked about him. Um, three straight games, he has at least five catches or a touchdown. 
So he's kind of took it over uh, Dallas's um, tight, the tight end. He's kind of took it over that role in the offense. Um, he's a real sneaky under the radar DFS play, but yeah, I like the giants here. Anything over seven, seven or more. Um, I'd lock that in. Let's keep rolling, Eric. Where do we head next? Uh, Chiefs and the Broncos. Favorite team, dude. The Denver what? Broncos. I know. The Denver Broncos. Good old Russ. Nine and three Chiefs, three, eight, and one against the spread. Three and nine Broncos, four and eight against the spread. So last week, Chiefs had that fun game against the Bengals. They had the ball with 14 minutes left in the game, up by four, and they fumbled the ball, gave the Bengals the ball back. They scored a touchdown. That ended up being the game-winning touchdown. On their final drive, they had a 55-yard field goal that could have tied the game, but it had to be longer because the Bengals' defense came up with a big sack to force that longer field goal. They only had two plays of 20-plus yards last week, the Chiefs, and their defense generated a season-low quarterback pressure percentage, just 15. They've averaged like 25-plus percent quarterback pressure percentage by the defensive line. They've now lost games to the Bengals and the Bills, so if tiebreakers come into play, those could be couple of big losses that hurt them for a home field advantage or, you know, spot like that. They actually played pretty well. I mean, they had the lead and they had the chance to win the game in the game where the Bengals actually squandered a lot of opportunities. It feels like the Bengals might just be one of those weird matchups for them because they didn't really do a whole lot wrong in that game, but they, you know, they still rank really well all over. They don't get a lot of takeaways. You know, they're negative four in takeaways, which is kind of strange for a good team. They still rank first in yards per game, net yards per play, first in a lot of offensive metrics, second in passing yards per game, third down conversion rate. I don't know, man, but like this is another one where the Broncos are terrible. Can you get enticed to play them at plus nine at home here? I actually got them at, at – um... I got, I got him at nine and a half. Excuse me. Um, you know, again, home divisional dogs getting over seven, 55% ATS, seven and one this year, ATS. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, man. Um, Mahomes road favorite, seven or more. He's only 33% ATS. The Chiefs, they have these smaller DBs. They're really weak in the slot. And how Russell Wilson plays now, that's all I can throw to, to the slot. Jerry Judy is going to be a good a go. He's going to look to exploit that. Go with Judy across the middle. With how bad the Chiefs defense has been, they're 25th in DVOA, 18th rush DVOA, 26th passing DVOA. And we saw it last night in the um, in the Raiders game. When your defense is that bad, even if a quarterback that just got there two, two days before doesn't know the system, they're going to be able to move the ball to hit um, spots. They're going to find spots that are open. Yeah. yeah. All you have and to do I mean, is just like, be like basic. And that's, you know, the weakness of the Broncos defense is not the passing game. It's defending the run. And we've seen this Chiefs team for Pacheco's had glimpses. But ever since they cut Kareem Hunt, rightfully so, don't get me wrong, they haven't really had that elite running back that they can lean on. And I think that's going to cost them this game. And you can tell that because as soon as the Chiefs get inside the five-yard line, with all the trickery they do, it's like a circus show. They don't – maybe that's why they signed Melvin Gordon to the practice squad. They bring him up there to be the five-yard – to be the five-yard and then back. But, you know, he's got all these issues with fumbling. And we saw it last year. I don't know if you remember, there is that standalone Saturday game. You and I were both on the Broncos. 
and it was a Drew Lock game, and they were covering forever, but then there was a late pick where they got outside the number. You know, I'm getting a divisional dog over seven. Mahomes struggles to cover these big numbers because the Chiefs are overvalued. Um, and with how bad the Chiefs' defense are, Broncos' defense is legit. Um, yeah, I'm on the Broncos here, plus nine and a half. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have a lot of bad things to say about the Broncos, but I agree with you. There's, I, I couldn't be laying the number. I, I probably would wait a little bit. Like, nine and a half, I'm fine with. I may wait a little bit to see if it goes back the other way to 10. I don't know if it will. Broncos had just 189 yards passing and only 88 rushing yards. They had to punt seven times in that game. They had an interception. They gained an interception. They were set up on Baltimore's 40-yard line. They had a three-point lead. On that possession, they got eight yards. They kicked a 50-yard field goal and left the game open. Then they got another interception, and they were able to manage one first down and then had to punt it. It was the sixth time they've had a game this year where they lost to an opponent that scored less than 20 points. Six times they've lost to teams that have scored less than 20. They're averaging 13.8 points per game. They're on pace, Eric, to be the first team in the last decade to average under 14 points per game. But That's just, That's just so future. Dolchich, major focus last week. And what I'd like to see, they the first three passes they threw all went to him. So that that's like a game plan thing. You know, when you're using a guy early and they have some injuries, so they may need to get him involved quite a bit. Six targets, uh, or eight targets, he caught six passes, 85 yards. As a team, they only threw it 22 times. They do have, you know, some injuries there. He, keep an eye on him as a nice tight end. Wilson, in the first half of games this year, six touchdowns, one interception. In the second half of games, two touchdowns, four interceptions, 23 sacks, and a 57% completion rate. They have scored a total of 45 points since Halloween. The Cowboys scored 54 last week on Sunday night. Two years ago, in Seattle, after 13 games, Russell Wilson was on a team that was nine. That was a nine-win team. He had 36 touchdown passes. This year, 13 weeks, he's on a three-win team with eight touchdown passes. It was the 10th time this year where they have had one or zero touchdowns that they have scored offensively in a game. But I'm with you. I'm going to wait, but I have no problem playing the Broncos side at nine or over. I think we may be able to get to the nine and a half or 10 though. Let's get to Panthers, Seahawks, Eric Panthers, four and eight straight up six and six against the spread seven and five straight up for the Seahawks six and six against the spread. The Seahawks are a three and a half point favorite in this game over under 44 and a half. Darnold was number six in passing grade last week. He had two big time throws. Zero turnover-worthy plays. He threw for a touchdown. He had 164 yards. This is now the fourth different head coach that he has had a win with in his five seasons. It's also the third different quarterback for the Panthers that earned a win this year. And Moore looked really good. Four receptions, 103 yards, and a touchdown. So Moore, in his career, has 12, or uh, this year, he has 12 catches of 20-plus yards, and three of them came from Sam Darnold in one game. And prior to this game, Moore had been held under 30 receiving yards in the last three games. All six of his targets in this game were for 10-plus air yards. So he's a good like DFS play, and he's much better in fantasy with Darnold. Whether or not you like Darnold, they just have a better connection, and he gets the ball to him 
in down the field routes, which are, you know, very good, obviously. On the Seattle side, they got off to a really good start last week. They had touchdown drives of 80 and 91 yards in their first three possessions, but then mistakes started to creep in. Fumble, strip sack on the Rams, 40, two drives later, an interception in Rams territory. I We just don't know who this defense is. First five games of the year, they allowed 30.8 points per game. The next five, 17.4 points per game. Last week, 40 points against the Raiders. And then they play against the banged up Rams team and they let the Rams team move the ball against them without basically like a backup Rams team. And, you know, the game was close and the Rams scored 10 points in the fourth quarter of that game against Seattle. On two different drives, they almost lost the game because their defense couldn't come up with, you know, key stops. They did come back and win. Gino, uh, Gino said career high in passing yards in a game with 367. He's now passed for more yards in one season than in ever before. He's already uh, at 3,100 plus. And they're only one game behind the Niners, who are now going to be without their starting quarterback. Like, they have a legitimate chance to win this division right now. Brock Purdy is starting for the 49ers. Um, But Walker looked like he got hurt. They've been struggling running the ball, too, as of late. Just 104 yards rushing combined in their last two games heading into this week. They could be down to their fourth and fifth options at running back. I think, um, you know, I think Homer's the guy you got to tackle. Um, they did make an interesting signing. Signing, they signed Wayne Gelman to the practice squad. I like Gelman coming out of school. I, he went to Clemson. You know, was serviceable when Barkley was out in New York. I think we could see him getting some run in a couple weeks. Uh, DK Metcalf could be the best player nobody talks about. Um, you know, he's having a good year. He's going to be matched up against J.C. Horn. That leaves uh, C.J. Henderson, who's been really bad this year, um, against Tyler Lockett. You know, so if I did have to pick in DFS, I'd definitely leave Lockett just because of my respect for Horn. Um, I just don't know what to do with this game. I really want to take the Panthers, but it's just really hard for me to trust Sam Darnold playing on the road. I know. It's a tough place. Yeah, it's not uh, an easy place. I I, I just think I, I think the one guy you got to look at is this. You have to look at Chuba Hubbard. Everyone has this distorted v- vision that Foreman, this is Foreman's backfield. Foreman leads the way. Last game, they didn't have, they had a bye last week. So two weeks ago, Chuba Hubbard, first game back from an injury, Foreman only played seven more offensive snaps in him. So this is more of a split backfield than people realize. Last game he played, Hubbard, 17 rushes, 16 on the ground. Um, you know, previous three games, you know, he was he was getting run. He's caught four passes each last four games with how bad Seattle is defending the running back in the passing game. And Deontay Foreman hasn't practiced all week because he has the two nagging injuries. One of them is a rib. Um, I wouldn't surprise me if Hubbard actually leads them in carries and touches. So I play playing Hubbard in DFS. Um, as soon as his props come out, I'm sure they're waiting to see what Foreman's going. I'll probably look to get in some of his, uh, some of his props, but uh, that'd be my only thing here. I really, I really want to take the Panthers, but I just, I just don't trust Sam Darnold. Let's move to the Bucks 49ers game. So we have 
The 49ers as a three and a half point favorite here over under in this game, 37 Brock Purdy, Tom Brady. The Bucks are six and six, three, eight and one against the spread. 49ers eight and four straight up, seven and five against the spread. Tampa played that big game on Monday night and they came back late. They win the game. Now they have to travel on a short week. The Bucks have played the ninth easiest schedule of defenses. And now they play the 49ers, which is one of the better defenses in the league. The 49ers, they've played 57 games with Jimmy G. And during that stretch, they are number two in EPA per play. Without him, number 31 in EPA per play in the game since he's arrived when he hasn't played. And like you always say, he gets a lot of crap, but by a lot of metrics, he's done well and he's won games. 49ers now have won five in a row but they did take advantage of a Dolphins offensive line that was missing its starting tackles. The defense forced four turnovers, including two interceptions. Jimmy G gets hurt. Rookie quarterback Brock Purdy comes in. He had not taken many reps in practice. He ends up finishing 25 of 37, 210 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He led nine and 11 play scoring drives. They have faith in him. They let him throw the ball 37 times, but... He was dead last in air yards. It was all quick release stuff. This is a guy that played at Iowa State, and he he didn't improve throughout his career at Iowa State. He kind he of regressed. At, he was as, a cover machine in the month of October, though. Oh, Anyone yeah. That's college, bas- college football knows October was his month. He could he he could cover a lot. Um, my I was looking at my scouting notes. Um, poor footwork in the pocket. No real arm strength. Um, so it kind of goes back to your point about his dinking and dunking stuff. Um, I, I look at it like this. So I, I was playing, I like, I have a computer system that I pay for where I'm able to put in different scenarios. That's where I'm able to get these cover percentages and it goes back to 2001. Um, I looked at the quarterbacks that Shannon had, that Shanahan has coached. Um, would you agree that Brian Hoyer, CJ Beathard, and Nick Mullins fit into this Brock Purdy category of quarterback? You know what I mean? Yeah, like a yeah, yeah, those are that guy. When those guys are a quarterback for Shanahan, he's one in seven ATS. That yeah. has me a little bit worried. You I have know. the Bucks D. I like Todd Bowles. I think Todd Bowles is a legit defensive coach against a third string quarterback, CMC and, banged and- up. Even even when healthy with the full squad, this year they have played the twenty. Um, they so they have played the second easiest schedule of defenses this year. The 49ers offense has every team they've played has basically been a bad defense. They've played two above average defenses: the Broncos and the Saints. In those games. They combined to score 23 points total in those games. And now they're playing the eighth-ranked defense. This is going to be a step up for them. Like, this is going to be, and they're doing it with Purdy now, who there's a little bit of film on him now. No team has ever won a Super Bowl with a quarterback who opened the season third on the depth chart. According to NFL research, four teams have had three different quarterbacks start multiple games for them and reach the Super Bowl, but all four of those teams had their day one starter back for the Super Bowl itself. Now the 49ers defense, they've allowed just seven points in the second half of their last five games combined. 
They did post turnovers on the last three Miami possessions, and the Dolphins had scored 30 points in four straight games coming in. Dolphins scored a touchdown on their first play, and then only 10 points in the next 59 minutes and 50 seconds of the game in 44 plays. But Shanahan, that record, 38-17 and with Jimmy G. You mentioned the ATS stuff. He is 9-29 and with every other quarterback starting for the 49ers. That wasn't Jimmy G. Nine and 29 straight up. Great defense, but this isn't like an all time great defense. They're first in yards per game allowed, first in rushing yards per play allowed, and in first downs allowed per game, but like fifth in net yards allowed per play, 10th in passing yards allowed per play, 17th in third down conversion percentage, 11th in red zone touchdown rate. They're not tip top in every single thing like those lockdown defenses that don't let you move the ball at all. I don't know though. Can you play this number? Cause it's not a good spot for Tampa. That's my only concern. Tampa needs to win though. The pressure yeah. on them to win. So three they and a half. You're to... okay with Tampa. Yeah. I locked in Tampa at three and a half and something else to worry about. Um, You know, you mentioned the, the um San Francisco 49ers defense. They're really Whole, whole is what the back four and when we take a look at it where is the biggest hole there it is defending the slot okay and who runs the majority of his routes out of the slot chris got chris godwin godwin leads them in 99 targets godwin's going to be the focal point of this offense um i think he's in line for a huge game because it's going to be attacking the weakness of the defense which is the slot. Am I worried about Tampa Bay's offensive line um, getting um, having Bosa and Armstead and whatnot and that defensive line getting to it? Of course I am. But I'm going to bank on a lot of short, intermediate pass to Godwin, cross the middle, attacking the weakness of the defense. And at the end of the game, you have the last pick in the draft who has poor footwork in the pocket with no arm strength going up against a Todd Bowles defense. And I know he did it against Miami, but you and I have talked about it before. This Miami defense just isn't what it used to be. I locked him in at plus three and a half. I took the Bucks plus three and a half. Speaking of that Miami defense, we roll right over to talk about them as Miami plays the Chargers. And Miami is a three-point favorite on the road at the Chargers over-under in this game, 53 and a half. Miami eight and four straight up, six and six against the spread. Chargers six and six straight up, seven and five against the spread. The Chargers, they got beat badly on the offensive line last week by a Raiders team that had ranked 31st in sack percentage entering Sunday's game. And they got pressured on 42% of their dropbacks. They got up 10 0 to start the game and ended up losing. Second half, lose a fumble, miss a field goal, had a failed fourth down on the Raiders 42 with under three minutes left to go. This year, they're 6-2 and two against teams with a losing record, 0-4 against teams with a winning record. And if injuries continue to destroy them, you know, each and every year, what like, is it a training thing? Is it a scheme thing? Is it just bad, like, luck? I don't know. But again, you know, Williams has been banged up so much. Allen missed so much of the year. They're playing last week with a backup left tackle, right tackle, and center. And Bosa. No, like they're paying these guys big money and they continue to miss games and not they're not there to help when they need in big moments. 
they let Adams go for 177 yards receiving and just crush them. But things aren't great on the Dolphins side. Waddle's health has been a major question. Their offensive line has had some big issues, and they kind of got exposed a little bit last week against the 49ers. They hit a short pass for 75 yards on the first play from scrimmage. After that, they could barely move the ball. Tua finished 18 of 33 for 295 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He looked uncomfortable, missing on short passes, throws that he's hit through a lot of the year. He had a bad miss on a pass that was intended for Hill. That ended up as an interception. He had another bad miss that stopped the scoring drive when it was still a one-score game. It was his third-worst passing grade of the year based on pro football focus. It was his worst grade since week seven. He finished ranked quarterback number 21 on the week. During the game, there was a stretch where he went 10 of 22 for 122 yards and two interceptions. He had three turnovers in that game, and he had three turnovers in the prior nine games total. They went 0 for 7 on third downs, and they only had 308 yards of total offense. They only had the ball for 19 minutes and 26 seconds in a 60-minute game. The running backs had eight carries for 33 yards. They got sacked three times and in their final 12 possessions. They had 10 possessions that had four plays or fewer out of 12. 10 out of 12 with four plays or less. Hill, he still had a great game. Nine catches, 146 yards, and a touchdown. But man, Waddle, offensive line issues with Armstead, who probably is going to play. But secondary, Jones, Jones, both injuries. Uh, Neater, someone who's not been very good. On defense, they have been... Pressuring the quarterback, though, a little bit more with Chubb, 42% uh, in the three games with Chubb. And they you know, they are a team that you can attack the tight end. Maybe Everett, uh, they allow the second most receptions per game to tight ends, fourth most touchdowns, and they are bottom 10 defending the running back um, in passing. So it could be a very big Eckler game also for them. I mean, I think Chargers' life is on the line here. They're a three-point home dog. If this number is three or over, I'm on the Chargers side. Yeah, I bet the Chargers plus the three here. Gave this one out on my stream earlier in the week. Um, you know, who are the Dolphins to be laying this many points in the road? Two of 43 Banged up. Yes. Um, on As a road favorite, 46 on the road in general. I know the um, Dolphins offense is designed to get the ball to two his hands fast. But without Jackson and Armstead last week, he struggled. Even if Armstead plays, he's not going to be 100%. I doubt he makes it through the game. The weakness of the Chargers' defense is defending the run, not the pass. Uh, the Finns have really struggled to move the ball consistently on the ground this year. Flip side, Herbert, 63% ATS as the dog. Chargers like to throw the ball. Great matchup as the Finns are 23rd defending the pass and struggle defending the running back, as you mentioned which is shaping up to be a huge Austin Eckler day. You just kind of look at it. Like if you just kind of sit back and look at, you know, and I mentioned this before, um, you know, I invested again on the Dolphins not to make the playoffs at plus 450. It's just they've really beat up on the bottom half of the league defensively. You just kind of look at their schedule. Bills, winning record, good defense. Chargers, no, sorry, Jets, winning record, good defense. Patriots, I know you're not big on them, but they do have a good defense and a defense that can get to the quarterback with Matt Juron. No, yeah, that's absolutely true. Which is a struggle. Chargers, I know Bosa's not there, but you still have Mac who can get to the quarterback. 
they're so I mean they do have a tough schedule remaining. We saw how much Tua struggled when he didn't have any time. He little bit he did get exposed. Chargers back against the wall. You mentioned their struggles on the offensive line. They are getting Lindsey back. Lindsey's supposed to play, which is absolutely huge for them because you look at Herbert's splits when he does and doesn't play. Excuse me, night and day. I love the Chargers here. I locked them in at three. I think they straight up. I think they straight up win the win the game. And let's face it, this is a must win game for them. I really feel. Yep. I really feel that if the Chargers need to, if the Chargers have any glimpses of making the playoffs, this is the game they have to win. Let's move to Monday Night Football: Patriots Cardinals. Patriots are six and six straight up, six five and one against the spread. Arizona four and eight straight up six and six against the spread. Patriots are a one and a half point favorite on the road in this game. 43 and a half is the total Arizona's coming off their bye, and Arizona had a lead against the chargers last we saw them and they squandered that lead. Arizona had a chance in the third quarter with a seven point lead. They got the ball back three times with a seven point lead and a chance to go up by two scores. All three of those times they went three and out. They only had 363 total yards in the game. I mean, it was more total yards than the Chargers, but in those three possessions when they had a chance to put the game out of reach, 16 total yards combined in nine plays. In one year, so today's December 9th when you and I are recording this. Last year on December the 6th, they were the number one seed in the NFC. They were 10-2. and two. Since then, they've had 17 games they are 5-12 and 12 in those 17 games. They Last year, they lost to the Lions, who were 1-11-1 at the time by 18 points. They dropped all the way down to the fifth seed in the playoffs. So, like, we're going in order. Since they were 10-2, and two, this is what's happened. They lose to the Lions by 18. They end up going in as the fifth seed instead of the one seed. They get beat by the Rams in the wild card game by 23. Then in the offseason, they give huge contracts to Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, and their GM, about $300 million that get invested in all of them. We hear about all these off-field issues, crazy stuff they're dealing with. They put a homework clause into Kyler Murray's contract. They trade first and third round picks to Baltimore for a wide receiver, Brown, who had one 100-yard receiving game in his first six weeks and has been hurt since. Their best player, Hopkins, was suspended for the first six games of the year for PEDs. The home opener was... Their six straight home loss by 23 points to the Chiefs. They lost by 28 uh, to the Niners in Mexico. They This was Kyler Murray's worst passing season as a pro. A passer rating that's the worst he's had by far. Um, and the only quarterbacks this year worse in yards per, uh, per attempt are Mills, Wilson, and Heineke. Oh, yeah, the offensive assistant coach has got dismissed for improper contact with women. Is that a good year? That's, that's an interesting year. Pretty solid year for the, the Cardinals since week <laughs> six. Um, but, but again, it's about value, right? Like since week six, Kyler has averaged 56 yards rushing per game, which is much better. And he has to be running the ball for them to be competitive, for them to be competent. And they're a home underdog here against the Patriots team who, I mean, I don't think they should be favored by many teams on the road like this. Most of their offense came on one screen pass last week against the Bills, and then in garbage time, their last possession, of, so the end of the first half, they're trying to score quickly. Eight plays, 29 yards, they have to use two timeouts, 
and it ends with a missed field goal. Jones, Jones can't throw to his left. He's six for 13 for 91 yards and three touchdowns when throwing to his right this year on third and fourth down. He's five of 16 for 38 yards with no touchdowns and one interception when throwing to his left on third and fourth down. He can't go left. Uh, He was under pressure a lot last week. 39.5% of his dropbacks. That was the second highest rate in his career. I mean, I'm, I don't know if it's my favorite play of the week, but I definitely would lean Arizona as a home dog in here. Do you have a strong opinion one way or the other? Um, tell me what Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, and Kyler Murray all have in common. They're all run running quarterbacks, and the other three guys all beat the Patriots this year. And the Patriots have always been a team that's kind of struggled with the runners, right? Yeah, I mean, you're just kind of looking at it. Um, you know, Lamar and the Ravens, he ran for 107, put up 37 points. Justin Fields ran for 82, put up 33. Allen, uh, 24-10, he only, you know, ran for 20 yards. But again, I think that's more with his arm issue, why he didn't run as much. You got Kingsbury. For as much shit as Kingsbury gets, he's still 68% ATS as a dog, which is absolutely positively insane to me that he has that much ROI. Um, I think there's going to be more money coming into the Patriots just because of the negative stuff surrounding the cards, as you mentioned. So, I mean, just kind of wait. It wouldn't surprise me if this gets to a two, two and a half, but I would definitely just keep on waiting. I'm going to be on the cards in some way or shape or form. Um, There's no rushing props yet for Kyler Murray. You mentioned how good he has been running the ball. Um, and then we both touched on how poorly the Patriots have struggled against the mobile quarterbacks. So, yeah, I'll definitely be looking for some rushing props for Kyler Murray. And then I'll probably be on the cards. But, again, I'm just waiting to see if I can get that better number. Because at one, one and a half, there's no – you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You just wait. Just wait. Either way, it's not doesn't really matter. So, Oh, so Eric, I'm looking buddy. at right now. I'm locking this one in. I'm sorry. I'm locking in Kyler Murray right now over 36 and a half yards rushing. I just looked on uh, Betstamp, which is a great app if you're not using it and you're a gambler. Um, it can tell you every line. I just locked in Kyler Murray over 36 and a half. Texans plus 17, Jags plus three and a half, Lions minus two, Jets plus 10, Giants plus seven. Sounds good, my man. Those are our plays for this week. Make sure to give Eric a follow. Over at uh, Etoff21 on Twitter, Etoff21 Sports on other social media like Instagram. Eric, you just dropped your pod a little earlier, right? Because we're recording on Friday. Talk to us about what you have. And then uh, you and I, Sunday morning on the BTV show, Fourth and Inches at 11 a.m. Eastern time for all yeah. the Sunday previews. Yep. Podcast just came out. Um, you know, we, uh, my boy Brandon, who's absolutely killing it in um, NHL, him and I talk some NHL betting. Don't mean to brag, but since the segment started, nice little perfect 2-0 and in NHL betting. Uh, my boy Anders Lee, shot prop, uh, went over. Uh, my boy Nick, who is very good at DFS, him and I bill, actually go through and we build you a DFS lineup. If you listen to the segment last week, that lineup put up, I believe, 128 points, 128 point something. And in DFS 50-50 contest, that is good enough for you to cash. My boy David and I go through. We give our four best bets of the weekend. 
And since it's a UFC card, my boy Jason came on. Jason and I went through and we uh, gave out our uh, our bets for this weekend in the UFC card. Man, we're already into week 15 next week. Ed, it's crazy as we're flying through this NFL season. Eric will be back with us through all the weeks and into the playoffs, and then we'll shift on over to NBA. Thanks again for adjusting uh, this week, buddy. I really appreciate it. You have a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Sunday. Sounds good. Talk soon, my man. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks, but don't go anywhere. We still have a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Great work, as always, from Eric helping us out. Make sure to follow him on social media. Check out all the work he's been doing with us with Better Than Vegas. And, uh, I mean, he's here every week. You, you, know where, you, know, you know where to follow Eric. And we know where to follow Chad Cooper at the Chad Cooper. It's time to talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. Let's dive into a WWE SmackDown review. We'll talk about Monday Night Raw. We'll talk about NXT. We'll preview the NXT deadline pay-per-view on Saturday. We'll talk about AEW Dynamite. We'll talk a little bit about Ring of Honor and how AEW's uh, having the Ring of Honor pay-per-view this weekend. Final battle. It's this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. I'm trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Always one of my favorite parts of the week. Podcast on this week in wrestling. We're talking about everything going on in WWE, SmackDown, Raw, NXT, game with AEW. Let's dive right on in and start uh, on the SmackDown side. And things keep rolling uh, over on SmackDown with Sammy, with the Usos, with the Bloodline. Um, they are just the most entertaining thing in all of pro wrestling. And right now, they're actually starting to get Sammy to stack his things here. Sammy actually beat Sheamus um, in a match, which is a pretty good win for someone like Sammy. In the wins losses department, he's always been someone who takes a lot of L's, and he kind of will sneakily win a title here and there. But this might be something to come because they they may be building Sammy at least for the Rumble, for Mania, for Elimination Chamber. It's kind of fun to see him stack a win. Yeah, I'm glad to see it too. And and it doesn't hurt Sheamus at all if you're looking at at that aspect of it either because, yeah, you're right. Sammy has been one of those guys that's kind of been the – you put him in in a feud and he's kind of been the the butt end of the feud, whether Mm -hmm. you go back to WrestleMania with – Johnny Knoxville, um, you know, I think he's had a match or two on Raw uh, when he was trying to find his footing on the way back from that. I mean, he even lost to Butch not long ago in the World Cup. He he did. And and you know what's interesting? You know, this bloodline stuff, uh, you know, is, you know, it's easy to say say this now, but it's it's actually, you know, it, it bring, you know, some people bring up a good point. I saw a Twitter poll not too long ago about, Ranking the bloodline faction with the the other big factions in the WWE, you going back from day one, and, and it's definitely right up there. I can tell you this, you know, over the next couple of months, it will even be more compelling, the storyline. So, I, I, you know, I don't know 
where this faction ranks up at the top because you've had some good ones. But I can tell you this, when this storyline is said and done, and it, you know, possibly WrestleMania could go longer, this probably will be one of the top storylines in recent memory, not only in WWE, but pro wrestling. It just keeps getting better and better every week. And just when you think, okay, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to reinvent the wheel and tell this story? They just keep bringing good surprises, good surprises, good matches, good promos. And that's definitely one of the, one of the, the best storylines I can remember in pro wrestling for a long time. Just so many layers to this thing It has been really, really good work From all of these guys We'll talk about them again more in a minute They pop back up on uh, on Monday Night Raw Following this We had a just I love the presentation in the main event On Friday Night Smackdown It was the World Cup match And we had Ricochet versus Santos Escobar These two guys had matches back in Lucha Underground uh, yeah. Under, under yeah. masks You know, they, yeah. they've gone at it for a while and the way that both of them were presented, it was great. The show was built around that main event match. And both guys got a chance to cut their promos. We saw, even in defeat, Santos get treated and presented like a star. And wow, I mean, this this was one of Ricochet's bigger wins. Uh, honestly, he, he again feels like for a while since Triple H has come in, they've been giving him... Just a better build overall He's not main eventing every show He's not going right to the top and beating Roman Reigns But they're just making you care about him again They're sort of putting him in in good spots And I think it was a really good night For for both of these guys I think the key word that you said Is presented We knew the match was going to be a banger And it, it was It delivered And to have it the main event says a lot But presented And I think that's what they wanted to do throughout this World Cup is make it legitimate. You know, we've seen tournament after tournament after tournament, especially in WWE, um, just it it feels so watered down. And then at the end, it's kind of lackluster. Uh, The presentation was good. The match was fantastic. Now, I would like to see, uh, you know, we've been in this position a little bit before. Now, not at this level with Ricochet. I'm not worried about Santos because Santos has a massive future in front of him with the WWE because you got to remember he is just now coming up to the main roster for the first time because he's been slaying it on Tuesday nights in NXT but Ricochet now with this big win a main event on SmackDown I don't think we're going to see much of a drop off here I don't think you're, we're going to we're going to find a situation where okay what's next for Ricochet Yeah two weeks I see yeah, title I, two weeks yeah, against I, Gunther and, on and, SmackDown and, and look as good as much as I like Guther and as good as he is, I could see Ricochet taking that title from him. I could too. I could. And what's good, what's this is how wrestling is supposed to be because yeah. it's not because Gunther is presented weak right now, it's because Ricochet has been presented Ricochet. well. And I could see either one of them winning, moving along, and infuting with Braun Strowman. It sure. feels like that's where they're, they were kind of going. They teased it. A few weeks ago when Ricochet beat Braun Strowman, but it was kind of in a roll-up. So I could see this being a triple threat that with those guys. I could see them having yeah. you know Gunther win and then the big the battle of the big men, and maybe that's something they build to to WrestleMania, like a Gunther versus a Braun Strowman as a mania match. I could absolutely see that happening. Um and, or- I, and I still and I still when we get closer to the Royal Rumble, I definitely see Ricochet. I, I I'm gonna take the over his elimination total. I, I see that and, guy and length, probably right? And how long he lasts. 
He's yeah. got to be yeah. prime for one of those coming at number three, m- coming at number three and last to the final four or five. Right? He's not going to win yes. the rumble yet, but he needs to take that next big step and show that he can last long. And Ricochet needs to be. I, I honestly think he's one of the guys you could build a Royal Rumble around because he's yep. so impressive. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, Kofi already announced that he's going to be in the Rumble. Kofi, let Kofi and Ricochet be like one and two. Yeah, that, that's if, you know if, what I mean. If like, you're going to make somebody one, it, it's going to be Kofi or Ricochet, and then let them just have a hell of a run. And then not expecting them to win, but you need guys like that to carry the to carry the match and have people care because a guy like a Ricochet or a Kofi. The fans will always be invested in them throughout the match. They want to see those guys do well. You know, you put a baby face like that in early on. So, uh, yeah, really good stuff from Ricochet and from from Santos. And we'll see that that match in a few weeks on SmackDown. We then got Bray Wyatt. They're doing the slow build with him. Bray Wyatt and LA Knight. I'm sure we'll probably see that come to head in, in a few weeks. He was, you know, talking about how it wasn't him that attacked LA Knight. <laughs> The last couple of weeks, and so they're they're playing the slow burn with Bray. But what I like is he's there every week. Yeah, they're not that's a, having yeah. him in like meaningless matches, right? Like we don't need him. We don't need to see Bray like squashing a bunch of people. We kind of know Bray, so like when you put him in the ring once or twice, and then he can you can kind of shoot him up to wherever you want. But this is fine. Like we said, I'd prefer these slow builds than. Try to do too much too soon, and then all of a sudden you ruin the character. They they've got a lot invested in this guy, and we like LA Knight too. So I don't mind that this is going to be sort of a feud and not just something where he just steps on LA Knight along the way. Yeah, I, I think Bray has gotten. Now look, I'm not putting him on the same level uh, as the Undertaker, but I think I know exactly what you're saying. And his appearances have gotten to the point where too much of him. Is not good, and we saw that. We saw that with his last run. Remember the red light matches, and yep. you know, just just not very good. It just kills the character, kills the vibe. But I think now, I think they 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 did really really good by not burning him at Crown Jewel, which could have easily been done. Because remember, he came back before Crown Jewel, and everybody else was on that card. So we thought, okay, maybe Bray Wyatt shows up in this main event, which he didn't. And I just think it, it brings more mystique to his character. Like you said, he does not have to work a jobber or a mid-carder or have to be involved in a match every week, but he's on there with a different type of promo every week, and it just makes it more intriguing. I think they're doing fantastic with it, so it means it means a lot more when he finally gets in the ring with L.A. Knight. The women's division has uh, Emma and Madcap Moss. They're actually dating in real life, so they're starting to put them together on TV. Emma... She didn't get enough, I thought, in this match. In yeah. in the Ronda match, they gave her. I, I don't. I don't think she looked bad in defeat to Ronda. I thought that was fine. But in this match, I think they should have given her maybe a little bit more. Like I don't mind that they're giving her a story and they're putting her with Madcap and stuff. But she's good in the ring. Like give her, yeah. present her. I, I think you can present her like a little bit, a little more credible than they've done so far. Yeah, and I think they're. I, if I'm not mistaken, I still think we're we're. They're trying to feed us along that Shotzi's still feuding with with Ronda here. I, I, I it, It's an interesting take here. I assume we're waiting for Charlotte for so, the, the, the Rumble, right? So I uh, think what is going to happen is, from what I was reading, Raquel, the injury isn't really an injury. It's a okay. work. She's not yeah, really she, that she banged she up. She came out and made the save, right? 
So, so she's, I mean, she's going to continue to be quote unquote injured on TV for the next couple of weeks. But I think the plan is going to be for Raquel to face Ronda, Ronda at the Rumble as just oh, wow. like the, okay. at the, as the challenger, not, you know, won't beat Ronda, but she'll be in the title match against Ronda. So I think they're trying, they're kind of, they just need to get through a few more weeks with Shotzi in the mix with Raquel yeah. there. And then they'll probably have Raquel win some sort of a number one contenders match. To get the match against Ronda, I think that's the direction they're going to go, and and then yeah, we'll probably see Charlotte return at the Rumble, right? Yeah, and have her win it. Or there even some talk that that Becky might even win it. But I, you know, Raquel and Ronda is is very very intriguing. I, I like that. And Me too. It, and it's new and it's fresh and it's a legitimate contender that could take that title away from Ronda because you know we we already said it after you know Crown Jewel that we knew Shotzi going in had no chance at Ronda. Uh, yeah, and I can see it happening, you know, the next couple of weeks, trying trying to get to January, and Ronda's got to have something to do. But going back to your previous point with Emma, yeah, I, I, I didn't care for this match much at all. I, oh. I thought it should it should have been a, a crowd little was bit kind of dead. spotlight on her. Yeah, the crowd went into it, and that was a surprise. You just, yeah, you got to give Emma a little bit more, Bill, like make us believe a, a little more. Yeah, we the, don't want uh, Emmalina. Remember, remember that version oh, of yeah. Emmalina? Oh, like she's been good she's like tweaked her character a little bit but what's nice is that she she's not like super serious but she's not like super goofy right she can be funny and fun like there you got she has a mix and she looks fantastic and she's she's always been a really good wrestler like her and her stuff with Paige and like natty and nxt way back was really Really good good. like really good stuff so I, i like seeing her and i like that it did feel like on smackdown and on raw they were putting a lot of people on the show and, and it didn't really feel as like overwhelming. Some of it right. works, some of it doesn't, right? Not everything hits, but it did feel like you're trying to try to cram everything in. It felt like everybody did get a little bit of their time. And, and I like that because that's what you kind of have to do all the way through the rumble. True. That's true. And it's a good point. You, you've got to bring some people back and showcase them back because you know, I, I've 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 already started making my notes for our uh, our Royal Rumble preview, and you know there's going to be a lot of returns there. Uh, he, 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 let's say Cody doesn't come back, you're going to have an Edge type. Uh, you you know you could see Trish Stratus on the women's side, Charlotte Flair. So instead of just thinking okay one or two, you've got to start showcasing more and more. And I think they've done a better job on the road to the Royal Rumble as of right now as they have in years past too. So it makes it a lot more intriguing. The, uh, we had a Gunther versus Kofi match. Gunther picks up the victory. There uh, was a really solid, fun match, and it's a nice way to keep Gunther looking strong. Kofi's good out there, um, you know, to have a match like this on TV against a, a really strong uh, champion like Gunther. We talked about Sammy and the Bloodline a little earlier. Damage Control came out. Now it looks like Liv. Uh, is going to feud with them, maybe, and Tegan Knox comes out. So maybe we yeah. see Liv and, and Tegan as possibly a, a tag team here that maybe challenges uh, damage control. Like we've said, they don't have any tag teams in the women's no. division right now. They could use something like this. And shout out seeing Tegan Knox come back. Again, like we said, they need some numbers. She's someone who can come here maybe, be in a tag with Liv. They can get a tag match out of her in a few weeks you know, on SmackDown shows against Damage Control, and then they can get her in the Rumble. Yeah, you know, she's been, uh, 
you know, she's been hampered by a couple of major injuries throughout her career. I think the last one was a knee problem, and then she was released in NXT. And it's just, uh, it just goes to show you how much talent uh, has been in NXT and how much talent was released. Uh, And you often wonder, you know, why you kind of look around and and you can look at the indie scene and, oh, wonder why Tegan Knox hasn't signed with AEW or Impact or anything like that. I, I think it was only a matter of time before she she got the call back. I think she was waiting to be 100%. But last week, you know, we, we talked about the, the WWE. It seems like we talk about the women's, the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions all the time because it just seems like those titles have yet to ca- catch any type of decent storyline. And, yeah, there's, there's no tag team. There's no real presence especially on SmackDown, and I like this this team between them two because, again, it, it gives a legitimate contender to take these titles away from damage control. I like it. I like to see where it goes. So that should be pretty cool. Good old Kurt. Good old yeah. Kurt. Your old, your old gambling pal. My buddy. My yeah, buddy Kurt. We go way back. And then uh, – We'll have, um, uh, yeah, that, that's what's uh, that's what's on on SmackDown for coming up this Friday. Yeah. We also caught a Karrion Cross video just to keep him, um, you know, relevant. Looks like he's him and Rey Mysterio are going to have a, a feud. So yeah, that should be fun. Like again, we've got six seven weeks between now and the Royal Rumble, so we're going to need some things on TV to build up. So yeah, that's fine. You know what? Rey's a good baby face. Rey's someone who could lose and it won't hurt Rey at all, and it could. You know, give make Cross look strong, and I'd imagine they'll probably want to get back to Ray and Dominic at some point for uh, for WrestleMania. Yeah, you know what's crazy? <clears throat> when I, when I saw Karrion Cross and Scarlett come out last Friday night, I I just had to think when was the last time that you and I talked about Karrion Cross? You're and right. That's how that's how, and it's not a knock against him. It's just that's how stacked SmackDown has been, and I, you know, with this time between now and in the middle or end of January, we're going to see some pay-per-view quality matches on Raw and yep. on SmackDown. And this yep. is a good one I look forward to. A really good one, because I like Karrion Cross. We open up Monday Night Raw with... Uh, so we uh, we spoke a lot about the uh, the Ricochet and Santos stuff, which, was the, which sure. ended up being the main event there. As uh, we move along to Raw, where the Usos and uh, the Bloodline kick things off, and they uh, we see them arriving... In the parking lot, and Matt Riddle's on a scooter, and uh, so they beat up Elias. They go after, um, uh, they go after them early on. So now, throughout the night, we're trying to figure out if we're going to have a match. We were supposed to get Matt Riddle and Elias. Now, this is just such entertaining stuff, man. With these guys, uh, it ends up being Kevin Owens who has to fill in. For Elias, who's banged up. So we get Kevin Owens and Matt Riddle versus the Usos there. We get a really nice match with these guys. It goes 15 minutes. Like, we got some good long matches on Monday Night Raw. The only, and I thought they were good. My only gripe with them is, like, I wish that there would be a way. And and I don't know, like, what the contract is. I don't know what the deal is, you know, on USA. But I do remember working on TV in that you can push commercial breaks throughout the hour, you know? So if you want to stack them in a row, have a quick, like, uh, and then have four or five minutes of commercials, but not have them be in the middle of a match. 
sometimes when you have multiple commercial breaks throughout a match, it, it's hard to stay into the match. And, and then it, it, it ends up getting a little bit longer for the people watching because through the minute or so where it's on commercial, the guys don't do quite as much. You know, they kind of save it a little bit and then it comes back. I, I don't know if they can do that. I wish Triple H can find a way to do, hey, we're going to have a match. This match is going to go 20 minutes with no commercial. And we can yeah, have, that, have a, a couple commercials, you know? Yeah, that, that's hurt WWE, both WWE and AEW. For a long AEW, time. You know, yeah. and it just does. And, and, it, and it seems to happen during pretty good matches. I know AEW this, this past week, it happened during uh, one of their... Think they're only women's match, but and they do it in yeah. the picture. Picture, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't it, matter. It really, you can't it, it see doesn't. it on that small screen. That doesn't no, matter. No, I, I just might as well. You just might as well just go to a complete hundred uh, percent commercial break. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I thought the match was solid here. I just I seem to think that Elias is going to turn on on Riddle eventually. I, I I just had that feeling. I think Elias, as entertaining as he is, I I, I think they're missing him as a heel. Um, I, I hope he comes back as a heel. I, I'd like to see a little program with him and Riddle, but but anything Kevin Owens does, it doesn't matter what position you put him in, any type of match, any type of program he delivers, and the match is fantastic. So for uh, for KO and you know in the Usos and the Bloodline and Sammy, like there's just a lot of options. Yeah, where you can is. go, right? I mean, we could do single stuff. With, like, if if it was, if it ends up being like a Sammy versus Kevin Owens match at WrestleMania, I'm, go, be, I'm okay with that. I, and then they just are like, hey, we don't even want Sammy to turn yet. That's yeah. okay, right? And like, or they go the opposite way. Sammy could be in a tag with KO. Sammy could be in a singles match with Roman, and maybe Kevin helps him. Well, you know, and there's a lot of things that could happen, but it's really cool because it feels like there's just tons of options. For them right now we uh so uh we uh we have Rhea Ripley talking about how she was gonna win the uh, the triple threat match so there were two triple threat matches with for the women to set up a number one contenders match next week to see who's gonna go on to face Bianca so first we have Bailey versus Ripley versus Asuka which of course you know it's these three and you know they're gonna have a really good match Bailey kind of gets the the sneak victory here, and then after the match, Rhea goes after Oscar. So we'll probably have Rhea and Oscar have a little bit of a feud leading into the Rumble. Bailey's going to be in the number one contenders match next week. She was the first winner. This match went about 15 minutes. Again, it was very very good with these three. And I mean, I don't, I don't think Bailey's going to win next week, but I can understand why they had her win this if they're going to have something building with Rhea and Oscar uh, for the next few weeks. Yeah, and, and it's interesting too. Another take is that they protected Rhea in that match. She didn't. She didn't take the pinfall. So absolutely. Uh, you know, you kind of look at. I think we look, are we thinking she's going to be the one for Bianca, right? Maybe that's why. Maybe they've got that plan for her down the line for WrestleMania. Yeah, because we think, we keep talking about it. You know, her her WrestleMania moment was taken from her because of COVID and injury. You know, yep. was, you know, the, the, we were we were within what two weeks. Uh, in COVID in 2020, the end of March, and Vince had yet to pull the plug. You know, WrestleMania was in Tampa. That what is that Raymond James Stadium? Still, I don't know what it's called now. You know, where she where she was in NXT for all this time and trained in Tampa. So again, it's one of those moments she really hasn't got to 
do relish. And, I, you know, it's just interesting that she got protected in that match. Not not saying anything, but she didn't take the pin. Oscar did. We uh, keep rolling along on Monday Night Raw. It was poker time. It was the JBL Poker Invitational Tournament backstage. You know, I hear people that I have no problem with segments like this. No, on, no, on wrestling, no. I like I I enjoy them. Like I think you have to have the right people in these segments. You don't yeah. want to have everybody look like maybe too jokey here and there. But I thought this was fine. I really did. I I laughed a couple times. There are some of the things that are goofy, but it was fine. How did we not have Ron Simmons with the deal? I know. I know. Right? That was yeah. That that was missing. Hey, look. If you go back to the the Attitude Era, a lot of those Raw shows were filled with all these types of, of segments. And, yep. Again, you got to have the right people. JBL is one, you know, Ron Simmons was always involved. So yeah, you bring up a very, very good point why he didn't make a, uh, a cameo appearance here, but you have to have the right people that, that their personalities mix or they do run flat. But JBL is just, look, man, he's been on fire. Look, he's, he's been on social media. He and you know what? A high stakes poker tournament. That I got to say, this was a fantastic way to use the Loomis character that never, that never cracks because we kept thinking, what are you going to do as much with this guy? Because like his whole gimmick is that he's got the straight face. Oh, you put him in a poker game. Poker tournament. This is yeah, great. Like, all this money, right? I know it, it worked out. It really did. And you know what? It, it, and what was good about it is you have a couple of these segments and then they lead to something. They set something up. That's how yeah. it's supposed to be. Sets up a match. So, uh, I, I, I popped a couple of these times. I, I enjoyed these segments. <laughs> you know, we had Tazawa back there, Lewis, JBL, Gargano, uh, Corbin. We had uh, Gable and Otis in the mix there. <laughs> Dominic got into it. So, like, you, you literally had a couple different matches get made because of this. Yeah, and I'm and okay it, with that. That's it, good. It's just, it comes off a little more natural. Like, that's fine. Hey, you know what? Screw that guy. Let's go out in the ring. Like, I like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's... That's fine for me. So um, we uh, we have Seth freaking Rollins come out, crowd going baby face for him, and Seth Rollins actually has a match next week uh, against Bobby Lashley. Winner of that will face Austin Theory for the U.S. title. So they're you know it's a good way to get another couple of matches on TV, a couple of important segments. Both Seth and Bobby feel like they are. Two of the top, if not like the top two guys on Raw, honestly, they're they probably are. There's no main main champion, and so like this, this is good for me, you know. Like I, I mean, I, I think it's fine, and I feel like Seth is he's one of those guys, man. Like he's he's peaking at the right time right now. He's definitely going to be getting a great response in the Royal Rumble with people singing his song. Hey, and what a great time, honestly. To be the United States champion because it looks like you know Triple H and company have tried to elevate that title because you know Roman Reigns is not on Raw majority of the time. You don't have that Raw heavyweight title. You don't have that red that brand championship. So this elevates that champion that title. It elevates Austin Theory and, and it makes everyone in it real important. Hey, look again. You know we're we're beating a dead horse here. We we talked about Austin Theory just. He's over, he's done, and now he's become one of the big 
one of the big names on Monday night. And when you, you have Seth involved and Lashley involved, usually at this time when we have these matches where we're having a challenger just chase the champion yet again, I don't feel that here. I, I, I think the names are big enough. Theory is hot enough. And, and it's and, very, and it's different enough, right? It's, he's, it is, he's, it he, his character is tweaked. Seth yes. has well, – well, that's, that's a great point that you were hitting on. Think about all three of these guys are different versions of their character than they were just a month ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hell, Barry was was done. You know, Lashley was 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 one of the biggest faces on Raw. And Seth was the heel. And now they're flipped. They're like all three in different roles and and different, you know, places. So, uh, yeah, it feels feels fresh here. Austin Theory looked good. Him and uh, Ali had a match there. we ended up getting a DQ, and then Ziggler looks like him and Ali are going to have a, a little bit of a feud. So, hey, you yeah, know that's, what? That's, that, that, I, I have no problems with that because I'm Dolph Ziggler's number one fan. It's just curious to me why they keep putting him in a situation. Remember, he, he was attacking Theory for a while, and was he a face? I just, let's, look, Dolph can go. I, I would love to see a Dolph-Ali uh, Ali match 15 minutes on Raw. I just don't like the way they use some of these superstars. They're a face kind of a couple of weeks, then they're a heel. Let's just keep Dolph a heel now. That, that's that's what I want to see. That was the only little nitpick, but I do like Dolph getting involved because he's too good of a worker not to be on TV every week for the WWE. Okay, let's uh, keep rolling for Monday Night Raw. We had... The OC, oh, this is, okay, this was one of the matches that got set up from poker. So, Corbin and Gable and Otis were, uh, faced AJ Styles and the OC. We had a a, a fun match there. We had, um, you know, Gargano and Loomis come out of that and talk with Candice a little bit in the back, so... We got to see them sort of reconnecting a little bit. I didn't think this was like a banger night for Johnny Gargano, but this felt a little bit better just as far as like direction for him than where he had been before. Like, I don't, he kind of reminds me of Ricochet. um, Sure. In in that when he came up to the main roster, it's just going to take a little while with him because he's, he's one of those guys that's like genuine. And it's kind of hard to get genuine across on like quickly. You got to like, watch Ricochet for a while and then you're like oh man this guy's like a good dude and he's like really good in the ring and then you start to care about him more I think Johnny's kind of that same way yeah that's a good comparison because you know a couple of weeks ago we were we were a little afraid with Johnny G you know uh he he came back cut that that real interesting promo uh that he was back the crowd was into it then he you know the Miz situation with Loomis it kind of got watered down a little bit and drug along but you know, I, I do like to see him every week. And I think there'll be a payoff eventually. I'm not saying this guy is going to be the next Daniel Bryan. But again, you know, when you have this much potential, this guy is really good on the mic and in the ring. You've got to use him. And I think this will lead to something that's going to be really good. I don't know if him and Loomis, uh, I don't know if him and Miz come back and circle around. I don't know. But I would like to see him have a, a, a really good match on Monday Night Raw coming up pretty soon. Me too. Me too. And we did get the uh, the OC versus that Gable, Otis, and Baron Corbin match. OC picks up the win. They're a team that that is possibly getting built up for uh, maybe yeah. a tag team match with the Usos. I could see the OC getting a you know like a tag team title shot at some point soon. And maybe I'm like think about it. 
if you need something to do for Raw, that could be a, a group that maybe has a little bit of a feud with the Bloodline. Yeah, good point. You know, you could have yep. AJ go up against Sammy and the Usos or Solo or even Roman if you want. Like AJ versus Roman at the Royal Rumble for the title. And then you have the OC versus the Usos. If you just want Roman to win, AJ would be a credible challenger that people would get excited for. And if he loses, it wouldn't be a problem. No, and he needs something, right? Even right, though he's yep. been in the, even though he's he, he's in this faction, he really needs something. I'm not saying the time is running out, but you can see the direction the WWE is going in, right? Over the last couple of months, uh, since Triple H has taken over, you just see it. I'm not saying there's writing on the wall for any of these older superstars. I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. But you can see a direction in which the WWE is going, and it's more younger. And you have to do you have to do that because. You know, time is not on your side when you've been around uh, the ring like an AJ style. So I could see him having one more run at a title, and, and I like that booking. I could definitely get behind that. And, hey, look, I love those. See, I love Carl Anderson. I would love to see them have a match with the Usos. That, that's, that's, that's some good booking there. I like that. Let's book, let's book that on over. We got a little tease when Alexa Bliss was getting ready for her match. Yeah, yeah. With Bray Wyatt in the back. And so – Alexa ends up, of course, getting the win in the triple threat match against Nikki and Becky. And a lot of that was because Dakota Kai and EO came out and interfered. So I think we're going to have Bailey and Becky as kind of a side feud for a little while. This kind of felt like what they were doing with Rhea. Like they didn't want Becky to get beat in this match. Right, so, right. you know, protect Becky. Let's put Alexa there. I could see Alexa winning this match. Alexa getting the match against Bianca at the Rumble and having some weird sort of yeah. now and then, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope the opening I, I could bet on uh, a television match, a number one contenders match, it would definitely be this one, and I would put a lot of money on Alexa Bliss. That, I, I don't think that it was just a coincidence that we saw that little logo in the back. I think the doll, uh, it, it somehow returns, but I, I think the only problem I had with Raw is you had a lot of matches, if not all of them, that you, that you had a lot of interference with. And I understand I what they're trying to do. Um, it got, it, very, was, it got it a little AEW-y, though. We complain about this it, stuff. It did. It, when we, and so it would only be it, fair to complain it, about it when it's, it feels like every match doesn't have to have it, that, it, right? You're trying to protect too many did, and it happened on Monday night. Yeah, it's okay. And, yeah, and... and and I and, and you know I think Becky is going to interfere in this match with Bailey and cost her the match. I really I, that's, do. No, and, you're right. That's, and, that's and, exactly I think we, and I think we have this lead on with Alexa, uh, a tweener, and uh, Bianca. Bianca is the championship match at uh, Royal Rumble. And we had Dominic pick up the win against Tazawa. There, um, Dominic's wearing his "I'm Your Mommy" shirt. <laughs> yeah, the Rhea, the Rhea shirt there um so dominic gets the win i think they just wanted to pick uh give dominic a, a win on tv yeah. and then the street profits make the save so judgment day leaves so you know what the male tag division right now feels like there are some options it's right because maybe you have you could put dominic and and uh Greece together kind of and have a team you got you know street profits who are back now so good stuff there and uh 
yeah, our main event was that women's triple threat that we talked about where Alexa Bliss picks up the victory. So we get Alexa Bailey next week as a number one contenders match. We also get Lashley Rollins next week as a number one contenders match for the U.S. title. Let's move over to NXT. We've got Deadline coming up this weekend, Koopa Loop. And so we uh, we have a, a pay-per-view to preview. Let's preview the five matches on the NXT Deadline card. We have Alba Fire versus Isla Dawn in a singles match. Kind of glad that Alba is away from the uh, the title. The title. Picture. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't really feel like she was like a strong, credible challenger. It just never felt like she was going to win or she had been like built up all that much. I don't mind this as a match for her because if you want Isla to get over, Alba is a credible enough opponent to come over and beat right away and like have her look impressive. So I, I'd imagine they're going to have Isla get over here and and probably look like a strong, you know, strong player in the women's division. Yeah, and I and I think having this match on this pay per view. Uh, says a lot uh, about this type of match. I'm expecting it to get some time again. There's only like five matches total, so I expect this one to get a lot of time. And I think it tells you what they think of Isla Dawn. Yes, 100%. I the fact that they're over. giving her this spotlight, I'd this expect early, to, yeah. to see some big things from her moving forward. We have the awesome tag team championship match that just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. The, the New Day show up. Because they don't really have a whole lot going on right now. So this is this is how you should use the guys yes. on the main roster. We saw it with Ziggler, Apollo Crews now, who we're going to talk about in a second. But you bring the New Day down. You give them, you know, a chance to have a really good match with Pretty Deadly. They can have, you know, some fun little back and forth with these guys who have a lot of personality also. And hell, if they let the New Day win, I wouldn't even be <laughs> mad. I wouldn't. I don't think, I don't think it's going to happen. But if they let the New Day have, like, a, a short reign, like, between now and the Royal Rumble, and then have another team beat the New Day to get a little bit of a rub, I would have no problem with that at all. Either way, I think it's a good use of the New Day because it makes this match feel bigger. We didn't really have anybody set up for Pretty Deadly. They've kind of faced a lot of the teams that are in the division right now. So, you know, I think this is a good use of the New Day. I, I love it. I mean, again, this is what you do. We've seen it on the women's side. Daddy has come down um, from the main roster and worked. You know, you don't think it's going to end walking. There's not going to be a DQ because then that would lead to something else. So if Pretty Deadly retains, who who goes over? You know, Kofi's kind of hot now again because, hey, look, he's declared for the Rumble. I think Xavier is... I think Woods come, is coming back off injury, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens in that match. Does another tag team on the NXT roster get involved in this match and cause uh, someone to win or lose? But I would not be mad for, for New Day to, to go down there at NXT and hold those tag team titles for a couple of weeks. I wouldn't. I Me wouldn't neither. at all. They're, they're really not involved in too much of anything on Friday night. And, and they're not like – It'd be different if they were going to go and like end the reign of a team that had some incredible reign for like a long yeah, time, right? Somebody's going to get written off or something you, like that. That's you could thing. have them lose and come and then pretty deadly beat it, beat them back in a month, or have them put another team over. Either way, yep. I think good use of the new day here, and uh, we get to the NXT Championship match. Man, Braun Breaker and Apollo Cruz—they're fishing. <laughs> they're fishing, man. They're out there. <laughs> that, I'm not. I. I really don't 
know how to feel about it because me neither. Let me say, I feel like I would have been more negative on it if I hadn't have seen it. Like, I'm not saying it was great. It was just kind of goofy and different. Like, I didn't hate it. I don't think it's what you really want to see. I've never seen anything like this in a setup for a, a world title match. Like, two guys who are, like, teaching each other how to fish before the match. It's just, <laughs> like, we've seen guys break into each other's homes, like, threaten <laughs> each other's daughters. These guys are like, hey, what move are you going to steal of mine? Oh, I love your move set. It's... I, it's the thing is it's so so heavy-handed one of these guys has got to turn right yeah yeah and, and look i, I don't want to spoil all my cards you know I, i've talked about the royal rumble here i i, I think Braun breaker they i think he's going to be in the royal rumble if not the wwe is making a big mistake here so i i don't know uh, does apollo cruz turn heel and win this title I don't Does know he if do that, like or a healy move like it could or or I just I don't see Braun turning heel. Me neither. I it, think Apollo I, I just don't think it would work for that character. For Apollo, I, I don't I, I think it would do him some good because uh, you know, from the bleeding eye to going <laughs> fishing, we need something from Apollo. Somebody's turning heel in this match. I just don't yeah, think it's going yeah. to end babyface, babyface match. They but the with these with these uh, segments, they've been so or, funny. Or, you know, it, it, you know, you could have one where they, you know, Braun goes over or whatever, and they shake the hands and raise the arms, and the and then right after, he, yeah, you know, right, something like that. I don't know, but it's 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 so goofy and awkward. It's it's made it a little interesting to see I know. what we're going to do next. It week, has. So. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good point. So we get our two. Iron Survivor Challenge matches. One for the men, one for the women. Okay, so yeah. two wrestlers start. Every five minutes, another wrestler enters until all five are there. After the last wrestler enters, then then the time limit starts. I think it's 30 minutes. Um, so each time a wrestler scores a pinfall, submission, or a DQ, they get a point. So if you get a pinfall, sub, or DQ, if you get a DQ win, you get a point. Then if you get pinned sub or you submit or you get DQ'd, they throw you into the freaking penalty box for 90 <laughs> seconds. And um, so the winner is the person who has the most points at the end. It's a little convoluted, but I'm sure they'll have, you know, scorecards to watch and we're going to see for the women. So we start for a Jade, Roxanne Perez, Kiana James, and Indy Hartwell won on the last chance to, uh, to get in there. So, what do you think uh, on the women's side? I mean, it should be a really good match. Cora Jade is in awesome form right now, but if we think about Mandy being the heel, I don't know if Cora Jade would be the one. That's so the same right. thing with Zoe. I, I, do you think that maybe Nikita interferes and costs Zoe this match? You know, I, I look. I looked at. I looked at each one of them, and this this one was a little difficult to me. And I and I try to look at okay, either they're going to surprise somebody with with okay that person won, or they're going to go with one of the hot names. And I, just over the last couple of weeks, I I know Roxanne Perez is young. I know uh, you know she's she's you know 
going to have that title. I don't think she wins this match. I, I'm a betting guy. I'm going to bet that they go with Indy Hartwell. Me too. I was going to say that That's I've narrowed it. I by process of elimination, I'm down to Roxanne and Indy. Sure. Those 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 are absolutely. And look, Indy had to get in. It's the Cinderella story. She has they, really been, a lot. They've just been mentioning her name a lot yeah, lately. A lot. Right, like they've been talking about her, the heart of the women's division, and she's been earning. Like they've been bringing her up way more than they had before. And her and Roxanne the- had that little fit, you know, scuffle at, at a house show, and they showed that. So that leads me to believe that probably one of the two. And I agree. I, I think Indy Hartwell's the name here. I still have the door open. Uh, of her and Loomis. Me, no, no, that's I was going to say. There, I don't think know? it's a coincidence either that Loomis is getting more time now, and that because you could either. have Indy have this like tough defeat where she loses to Mandy, and then she's like crying, and then there's Loomis. There he is, under the ring or type gimmick. Yes, he pops out yep. from under, and he's there, and then like she shows up with him on Raw, and she's yep. there with Gargano and Candice. Sure, and the family's sure. back. They're, they're I, I just, I, I just, as again, you know, it's process of illumination. Like, I'm not comparing wrestling to horse racing, but look, if, if I'm going to pick a winner here, I, I'm going with the the one that seems to be mentioned the most of the last couple of weeks. She qualified; it was the last qualifying match to get in, and I think that holds a little something in professional wrestling these days. So I'm going to go Indy Hartwell here. Let's uh, get to the men. Putting the title on her. I could too. I could. Me, I could. Absolutely. Here. Let me get crazy here, Gino. Can she win the title? Absolutely. Okay. I think that I think Indy and Zoe are the only, or Indy and Roxanne are the only two that I would think right now I could see winning this match and then beating Mandy. Yeah, that doesn't make sense for a heel to heel with Zoe. Because then Cora will do it when Roxanne gets the title. Yes. Okay. Like those, I think those two might. Be involved with each other for the title again. So I think one sure. of them will end up winning it then, and then they can go back to the other. So it might take, like, Roxanne may end up having to win it off of Cora. Sure. Right? I could sure. see, I could see them doing something like Indy winning the title from Mandy. And, and then, then Zoe bring, could go right into that, you right? Know? And, or Cora, yeah. or Cora. You bring, you go Indy to win it off of Mandy, or, and then you bring Mandy and Toxic Attraction up. Then once Nikita and Zoe are done, you can kind of have like Nikita in the mix there. You can have Cora in the mix there, and then eventually it'll be Roxanne taking it off of Cora. So now they're starting to have like a good group towards the top of the women's division. For a little while, we weren't sure, but this match has kind of done a really good job of establishing all of these ladies at like the top of. The- I knew, I knew you. Were, I look, we we kind of handicap the same, you right? know. I, you know, we just do. And, and I had a feeling your pick was Indy. Yep, I, I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. So let's get to the men's Iron Survivor Challenge. We've got uh, Carmelo versus JD McDonough versus Grayson Waller versus Joe Gacy versus Axiom. Axiom won a triple threat match to earn his way in. He beat Von Wagner and ah, oh, poor Andre oh, Chase, man. We want to chase man. you in the mix. We want to chase you so bad. At least it wasn't Von Wagner. I do not like Axiom. I don't like his chances winning this match, but I do think he'll have some good spots in there. Okay. Uh, okay. So, I mean, who do you, who's who's winning this? Who do you think? Oh man, you know, my I, I'm a Carmelo guy, but I think Me too. he's so close. He's so young, and he's probably so close. Even unless I'm overthinking this, of going up on the main roster 
I don't know what this would do. It all depends on that main event. If you think that Braun is keeping that title, which if you think he's going to the Royal Rumble, then you, then Apollo Cruz. I, I don't think so. Look, maybe my first name like, I think that is Joe Gacy's out. I, I just too. don't think. Yeah, he I, don't I don't think, think Gacy. Axiom, I don't think it's Axiom, and no. I don't think it's McDonough. No, because he was just there. Because I could. Here's and we're both again handicapping it the same way. If if Apollo Cruz wins the match, Apollo and Waller have had a whole lot of stuff. Right. So I could see Waller winning this match and maybe going on to something with Apollo or honestly, especially a cheesy heel, just a cheesy heel. If you have a yeah. face win the women's, I'm not saying the face is going to win the men's, too, but a good cheesy pissed heel. off you know, heel could, could could pull this off. And and then, you know, he could be, you know, he could face Braun even either if Braun just wins and is the baby face. But sure. I think. What would probably make the most sense would be for Carmelo to win this thing. Okay. And and then at the Royal Rumble, Carmelo to beat Braun as basically like the two guys who were the champions for a while, like the okay. main guys of this new because when they did the rebrand, it was basically Braun and Carmelo have been the guys that have been the guys. That's a good point. Along. Good all point. Along. It could be like a passing of the torch moment when it was like, okay, Braun's gone. He loses that title to Carmelo, and then he shows up the next day at the Royal Rumble. Now Carmelo is your champion, uh, you know, moving forward. Uh, I like it. I like it. You know, I and like it. Maybe even becomes a baby face. Good. Oh, like, he'd be a great baby face, man. He you know, would be. And he doesn't really have to ch- to change at all. He just talks trash to the heels instead. You know, like so damn good at everything what he does. I think there'll be some good spots in this match. I know that. Me too. Me too. Okay, cool. So uh, that is the setup for NXT deadline. That's Saturday. Is that Saturday? This is Saturday. Yeah, this is Saturday. Saturday. This weekend. So a really fun show this weekend on Saturday NXT deadline. Let's finish up Coop Loop with AEW. We have AEW Dynamite that begins with the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royal. Now, I got to say, I um, AEW had a really bad week in ratings last week. But what's funny, yeah. it's like, I thought they did a good job, a pretty good job this week on a few different segments. And one of our guys, it maybe feels a little bit rushed, but it was a fantastic night for Ricky Starks, man. It was a yeah, great was. night for him. And I don't think he's going to go beat MJF for the title. But now he has two matches set up with MJF, basically, over the next few months. He cut an amazing promo, and I don't really love a lot of the Battle Royals that they do, but I actually thought this Battle Royal was pretty entertaining because I like a couple of the guys that they had towards the end, and I thought they had a chance to win the field. like me, he likes Starks, and Jungle Boy was able to look decent in this year, too. I thought it was pretty good for, for all of them. I actually thought the opening to the show was was good and i loved seeing ricky starks get a lot of time on on tv throughout the night yeah it was one of the highlights and i think uh i think they have wised up and made starks and mjf as a winner take all for the ring and the title i think that was either announced later in the night or it got announced today i don't think he's gonna do because remember you and i talked about that we were like why is he gonna go you know he's already got the one match why is he going into the battle royal, the, the the diamond battle royal, and winning it? Why would he win it and get another match? So I think they're going to do a winner take all. Um, and, and look, it it was great. 
Um, this is what we've been asking for. That Ricky Starks is a guy that you have to have on TV every Wednesday night. He just is. Look at the promo him and MJF, you know, cut. He talked about the cheap suits. Uh, you know, no one liked MJF. <laughs> what MJF said that Ricky was a knockoff of, of The Rock. You know, it was like a drugstore version of The Rock. I, I, I just, uh, look, you talk about a hell of a match. You may not have, it may not be a headline because of names. A, a Brian Daniels. That'd be a good match. Fox. This is a match that a wrestling fan should be really excited about. I want to see this match. Ricky Starks deserves this push. So this is going to be in a, just a couple weeks, right? This match? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And so, okay, I'm glad that you said that because it was a little bit convoluted. They didn't I explain it well weeks. last yeah, week when they were saying, Oh, he's, you know, he's gonna, he's got the number one contendership because he won the, you know, the tournament. But it was for yeah. the battle. But then he's gonna have to. It felt like a way to maybe keep him strong in one way. But like, I don't like the whole thing. I think you're right. They probably thought we shouldn't have MJF be losing right now. No, even if it's for the diamond no, ring or anything like that. And you don't want Starks losing two matches. No, just, just right. Put it into one. Yes, you don't want him getting beat twice, even if it's wonky. So I agree with you. It makes, makes a lot more sense to do it that way. And yeah, we got that MJF Starks promo battle, which was great. Like, you know, MJF, like you said, calls him a dollar store Dwayne. He said he's (laughs) going to start calling him the pebble. And then um, Starks calls MJF maxi pad. He said, you know, he's a fifth rate Roddy Piper. He said, you do shtick all the time. And, you know, he talked about how he had to, be there and deliver when MJF left and went away and, you know, Love it. did all politics. He mentioned all that, which was great. He said, I've had to live with you in my car. And I work, you know, it was just a great, great babyface promo from Ricky. He got a chance to shine and he really did that throughout the night. So um, I'm a, I am pumped for him. So Moxley did a backstage promo talking about Paige, but Throughout a lot of the night, it was really, you know, kind of setting up for the Ring of Honor final battle show, which is yeah. going to be this end where Moxley isn't really involved on that show, but he was in the corner of Claudio and Wheeler. They had a match against Daniel Garcia and Jake Hager. And you know what? That hat is over, man. That purple freaking hat, that Hager's <laughs> hat. And we got a couple of We the People chants during the match uh, because we had old Cesaro and uh, Swagger going at it. So where's Zeb Coulter when we need, uh, when I we think need Fox and I think Mox and Page is, is their match is Friday night rampage. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, did they? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It so, and it's taped. It's not live, but they are working Friday night. I think that match is because Tony Khan mentioned it in a show. Oh, you know, okay. No, I, it's Moxley gonna... is versus uh, Takeshita. Okay. That's on it. Friday. That's it. That's but it. you're right. They put Moxley on that show. And they want to build those ratings up on Friday night. Man, I got the. I will again be very positive about this next match. Okay. I thought the Samoa Joe Darby Allen match was freaking was. just of like this. It was the, for sure one of the better ones of the last couple of months. And it it was I think the best match Samoa Joe has had since he's been in AEW. Like yes. by Agreed. he looked evil and bad at like this looked like the old Samoa Joe. And Darby, you could tell, is a, like a fan of Samoa Joe because he was just basically like, throw me around right. and do <laughs> See, anything. There was one fight that I felt really 
I'm like, okay. Me too. Dude, holy cow, this kid's going to die in the ring. It will be him. Of all it people, was, it will be him. <laughs> but, but so, great match. Love the Uh-oh. way Joe is being presented. And Uh-oh. then all of a sudden, after the match, they're building, like, you Wardlow. know, he, he goes up, uh, he goes, Joe goes after Darby, and Wardlow comes out to make the save. And I've been critical about Wardlow recently, but they've actually been, they've built up a Joe and Wardlow feud for a while, and the crowd is actually chanting for Wardlow. And so, right after this, Excalibur says, this Saturday at Ring of Battle, it's going to be Samoa Joe defending the Ring of Honor title against Juice Robinson. <laughs> what? Dude, just out of nowhere. Like, like what? Like, what? Not- Why not Wardlow? I know, you've been building this with Wardlow for so long. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't, it just made, it's like, so now, the match with Juice Robinson Sure, it'll be a fine match. There's no build to the match. Why Zero. haven't you been using T? If you like, I complain that they use the TV too much for Ring of Honor, but if they're building to a pay per view match, I, this, this didn't make any sense at all. Because you know, Juice is not going over. Hopefully, no. Wardlow shows up, right? I, I, I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. Why? It just. Why not have Bordlow in that match? <laughs> I don't understand. We're gonna uh, save it for our for for Wednesday I, night. I, I just oh man, so it was weak. We uh we ended up having uh you know Claudio and and Wheeler get the win over uh, Garcia and Hager in that match, and then we had this was funny because I I gotta give them a little bit of credit, but at the same time it this is it doesn't come on like there's no way this happened the William Regal thing. <laughs> okay, so, okay. So we know William Regal is gone from AEW now, and yes. they, what happened was they they had put William Regal as part of you know the Blackpool Combat Club, and so he was like aligned with the world champion and kind of a big a big part of the show. And then Triple H takes over, and you know William Regal wants to go back to WWE or NXT and and work isn't with someone. That, son, yeah, isn't you know, his son? Sign with the WWE? I think so. So now, of course, it it just make he wants to go back there. So it it, AEW is in a little bit of a weird spot because they had to find a way to write him off TV. So they had him turn heel, and then they had MJF beat him down. But it still didn't really make a whole lot of sense last week. Like why? Like because he was never going to get a chance to like get the comeuppance. It was weird. You were never going to give Moxley an opportunity to like get it back or have Regal turn heel. So they had to have like, and people were critiquing it. So the one thing I will say is that Tony Khan listens to the podcast. He's probably subscribed to that's what G said. <laughs> and he does. He, he's yes. on the message boards. He's on the dirt sheets all the time. He's always been an observer subscriber. So he hears <laughs> And then he actually is like, oh, crap, they're right. So let's, like, do something to make it make a little bit more sense. I appreciate that they try that. Because Vince McMahon for years would have just been like, ah, screw I don't care. Who cares? Right. They don't care. I'll tell the people what to care about. Put over Doyle. is like, <laughs> let's squeeze something in. But I, I heard somebody say that, like, this is like in, like, um, in like Star Wars after, like, Anakin Skywalker's dead. And then there's, like, a hologram of him. You know, like in the background, like floating around, like this is what this was like with with William Regal post mortem coming. Like, there's a tape release that William Regal recorded a few weeks ago, which was a promo with uh, with Tony Schiavone, and so it was sort of a way to kind of explain something. It was goofy, but you know what? They tried. It still doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, it doesn't. But you know, 
It is what it is. At least I, I think now we know why he gave the brass knuckles to MJF. You know, this was put in motion. And hey, look, as much crap we give AEW, which most of it is deserving, Tony let the guy out of the contract. I, I think there may have been, you know, Dave Meltzer alluded to it that there was something even in the beginning. Uh, there was an out clause for, for Regal. And maybe he thought, hey, there's some things could happen, may not happen. That's my first choice. So you got to give Tony Khan some credit for giving the guy the go-ahead because that just doesn't happen a lot no. these days. In, in, in not just not just wrestling, but entertainment on music. He could have said something like, no, dude, screw you. I'm going to hold you hostage no, over this yeah, deal, which WWE. And a lot of people now. in a lot of companies do that. And they would have done that and not let the go. music industry and television. Dude, and of course, man. Studio contracts. That works, happens dude, a lot. Networks, you're absolutely right. Networks literally hold actors and hostages. producers and directors hostage. And they yeah. won't let him do anything else. And they just don't even write anything for them. No. And so they I just give sit- kudos to TK Me too. for this. Me too. That, that was cool because now he gets to go back and be with his family and be with the place where, you know, that that working relationship with him and Triple H was what he loved. It was when that, that changed, where things changed for him. So cool that he gets to go back. Uh, we had a promo from House of Black talking about how they've been corrupted. Um... Buddy Verdict, or Buddy uh, Buddy Matthews talked about the verdict being war. Brody King was there. Man, and you talked about just people that are cold, though. Man, I know. It seems like we've out of sight, out of mind. Importance at all in a while, man. We had Jamie Hader do a little sit down interview, and um, okay, this is this is this is my biggest complaint of the show. It, this is the first time in two weeks, or this is the first time since winning the title, which they took the interim off. She goes. She goes over on Tony Storm, and it's a taped segment. That's my I complaint. Know. That's my I know. complaint. And I, dude, the she, women's match is is most of it's through a commercial. She just doesn't feel just something is as important right as the others. It's a presentation thing, you know. And again, like, and I know they're building it. We got a match, right? We've got uh, Jamie, Sheeta, and the Bunny versus, and she's gonna fight the winner of that. Hater. Okay, and then we have a match. We have Britt and Jamie versus Soraya and whoever Soraya brings. So my guess is there's only one of two choices. They're going to bring in somebody like, oh, okay, we didn't know they were still around. Or I think Thunder Rosa comes back in this spot. But Thunder, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe she has so much I think heat the with Britt. I don't know. only option, like, the only person on the roster that I could maybe see that would be okay would be Ruby. That's what, yeah. Oh, okay. But 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 no, you're you're right. Like they do, and and I I don't think it's Ruby. Like that that's my safe. If there's but nothing they, else, most of these most of these spots since they've done these have been duds. And well, they and I think the fact that um I, I'm actually gonna go to the show. Uh, this is gonna okay. be in L.A. I think the show is gonna be at the Great Western Forum on Jan- uh, January the 11th. Um, Perfect. I was talking with a couple of my buddies about it because I'm curious. I've never been to an AEW show, so okay. and you know they okay. don't come out to the West coast very often. So I, and the great Western forum is kind of, uh, the forum has been redone recently. It's kind of a cool place to go watch, uh, watch right. shows. So yeah. um, I think I'm going to go, uh, go check this one out on January the 11th. And I would agree with you. It, that's a month away. Yeah. So I don't think they would talk about the match and start building it up unless they're going to have a surprise. Even if it is a dud, a bit, a bit, I think yeah. it's either I, a, it's, right. So you're, you're right. If it's Rosa, maybe, if it's not Thunder Rosa, it could be 
someone debuting. Sure. You know, someone yeah, do. Who, yeah, yeah. They've been done, so I think they got a chance to redeem themselves here. I just, I thought it was tacky again. Jamie Hayter was not on the show last week. Two weeks ago, she won the title. They took the interim tag off, and now we get a taped segment a with her. I, just, I agree. Something's, I just don't like that with a with a world champion. Totally agree. We uh, we had a women's match between Jade Red Velvet and Layla Gray versus Kira Hogan, Madison Rain, and Sky Blue. They pick up the uh, Jade picks up the victory here. Jade Red Velvet and Layla. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't. The only problem with this is that, like, I like seeing Jade on Dynamite. This just felt like very unimportant and like no, like nothing really yeah. to it. Well, it was right? Like commercial it, most of the match. I know. And, you know. So it, it just. You know, it was, it's hard to get, you know, all excited, all that excited about it. We then had the tag team championship match. We had FTR versus the Acclaimed. And I just, like, FTR just didn't feel. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, as hot as they were before. No. And unfortunately, this was a match that felt like, the okay, first off, the match was great, right? Like, in ring, the match Fantastic. is great. You're never going to get an FTR match that's bad. Like, they are really good, and they're over, but they're not nearly as over as they were. Like, they were hot. They were one of the best acts on your show week in, week out, and right now, they feel cold. And then the problem with this is they put this match on TV because the ratings were bad last week. So they And and he he was asked, he was asked in the media scrum whether or not it's real media or if this was a softball or setup. Why don't we see more FTR on TV? And yeah. there, I don't know if there's been problems. I know there's been some injuries, but they they they've acted like there's been maybe some issues with FTR. And not to steal your thunder, if you're gonna have the Ring of Honor and IWGP whatever champions lose, why are they on the the Ring of Honor? I know. How does this build up title? for their match this week? And they've got they've got a double dog collar match tacky. against. I thought it the, was tacky. Me too. It, it just, Which it'll be fantastic because Mania weekend they sold the show. Those they guys did. are going to be awesome. It's so freaking tacky, man. So tacky. But I don't understand. So you didn't like if they're going to beat the Briscoes this weekend, or even if they're going to lose, right? Either way, either way, sure. have that match next week. Like either way, like just wait till after the Ring of Honor match. But they felt like they wanted to to pop a rating, and the match was good. Like I'm not complaining about it, but. This is something that you felt like you were building towards for a while, and then you just oh, here we go. We'll just we'll just throw it on TV. Yeah. So I sure some really really positive things coming out of the show. Um, it's a hell of a few, match, man. Yeah. Hell of a match, dude. Other few things I I didn't love. Let's just run through real quick. Here's here is the list of all the matches on the Ring of Honor card. We have FTR versus the Briscoes in the double dog collar match for the Ring of Honor World uh, World Championships or World Tag Team Titles. We have Dalton Castle and the Boys. I love Dalton Castle <laughs> versus the Embassy uh, Brian Cage and uh, Bishop Kwan and Toa Leona Six Man Tag Team Championships. We've got Swerve in Our Glory, who I thought broke up a few weeks ago, but I guess they're, they're still not. tagging. Um, versus Shane Taylor and JD Griffey. We've got Samoa Joe. Versus Juice Robinson, just not Wardlow. We've got Mercedes versus Athena. I actually think Athena might win that. They've kind of been going heel with her on some of the yeah, like, she needs to the needs rampage to. and like dark and elevation shows. Um, Daniel Garcia versus Yuta. I mean, they've been at least giving Yuta build in like TV t- 
time more recently in, in promos. I, I probably would lean Yuta. And then they've got Jericho versus Claudio. Uh, so if Claudio loses, he has to join the Jericho Appreciation Society, and it's for the <laughs> Ring of Honor World title. Um, do you think he beats Jericho? Uh, I just don't I, care that much. I just about- don't care. What does it do if he wins the ROH title? He's only going to be you. Well, no. I, I'll say this. Boy, they, they put ROH stuff. Uh, you know, here here's Orange Cassidy with a Mid-Atlantic Championship on Friday on Rampage that's taped already. I don't know. And th- the problem is I like Jericho. I- I'm a massive Jericho fan. I just don't care about Ring of Honor because it's really not real. You're holding a pay-per-view, what, every couple of months? Hell, AEW only has a couple of pay-per-views a year. I just, again, I don't get it. I, I don't get why they're doing this. Um, I won't watch this definitely if it's on the same time as NXT deadline. I, I just, I, this is something that's not getting me over there. I would be intrigued if Wardlow and Joe, I would go check that match out. Me too. Just, just that would have been like, that would have felt is or even I, like, I, yeah, I don't care. I don't look in the, it'll be a fine show. The matches will be great. I just don't see a lot of importance. What does it mean to AEW and some of these guys and girls that are on this I haven't heard Mercedes Martinez's name, and I don't know how long, and she's the Ring of Honor Women's Champion. I know. I don't know, man. Disappointing, disappointing, um, because it's felt like they've spent time, but I don't know how great the build to no, some of these. Again, like, they spent a lot of time building Samoa Joe and Wardlow, and now it's Samoa Joe and Jude Robinson. Like, oh, man. But um, good night for Ricky Starks. Good week for uh, a couple folks on AEW as uh, we finish up here. Koopa Loop. Just Army-Navy this week, but then next week, it'll start bowl season. So we'll still have some college football games to talk about if you want to keep checking in. You, man, had a really, really good year throughout with all of them. And I look forward to uh, diving into all those bowl games. They're a lot of fun. Some of them, you got a bunch of guys sitting out. <laughs> oh, I know, right? That, no, that, look, no, you no. got head coaches leaving. Purdue Leaving. is now getting nine and a half points at LSU. And I'm like, whoa, Some teams have zero motivation, like, USC, for example, Caleb oh, yeah, Williams yeah. should not play at no. all because why? <laughs> like, why play? Don't get the guy hurt. He's going to come back next year. And you have a USC team that just thought that they might have been in the playing for a national championship. Instead of that, they don't even get to play for a Rose Bowl. They get no. to go play against the Tulane team that it's it's like a lose-lose situation for USC. That, that game reminds me of a couple of years ago, several years ago, when the University of Houston went 11 and 2, Tom Herman is the coach, Greg Ward is the quarterback. They get uh, the uh, what was then called the it may be still called the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl, and they get an ACC runner-up in Florida State, Bobby Bowden. Everybody from Florida State says we're out because they lost in the ACC championship, and Houston drills them. Now, yep. look, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. No, but it feels you know, that way at all. But because it, that game feels like that to me. Because for Tulane, they were two and ten last year. Oh, this they, is this is probably a one hit wonder for them, and and this is like awesome for them. They are so yes. excited to be in yes. this bowl game because all of the smaller schools are playing to try to get into this game. And only one of them gets like the smaller schools gets into like a big, you know, uh, big like P5, power, yeah, big, yeah, big yeah. one of these bowl games, like power five bowl games. So, and USC on the flip side, they're going to be playing this team that's so excited to be there, that's so hungry. And I feel like USC is going to be a little bit flat. Maybe not. Maybe they'll be it's first year of Lincoln Riley still. They still overall had a great year. USC, sure. I mean, Absolutely. USC was four and eight last year. So these two teams are kind of fun because 
Last year they were four and eight and two and ten. And look, if Williams, if Williams is not gimpy last Friday night, they win that they, game. I know, absolutely. And it's they so just, hard. It, it just happens. It, it, it happens. They're dominating, it, yeah, and he goes for this awesome run, and then he comes up gimpy from the run. Yeah, it just happens, man. When it your does. quarterback goes down like that, you're in trouble, and there's nothing you can do about it. Nope, not at all. But we're gonna do a lot over the next few weeks talking college football when these bowl games roll on. So I look forward to uh, picking your brain on some of them the next few. Koopa Loop, my man. Thanks so much for helping us out again this week. And I look forward to uh, to chatting with you again next week. We'll have uh, some deadline to talk about, and we'll see what happened with uh, with this Ring of Honor pay-per-view uh, over there. And always appreciate your your help, my friend. Uh, did you make the safe drive back? Yeah, I know you were driving back, right? A safe drive back, and you have uh, you have uh, a good time enjoying that new gorilla position that you're – I know, I'm watching. My son, my son, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, my son just started Ooh. school recently, and they have – uh, an app where if you're a parent, you can watch them in class all the time. They've got a couple cameras set up. So I'm just sitting there all day long watching. And earlier today, I was like watching. I was like, oh, no, Milo's about to spear this kid. He's going to spear him. <laughs> no, no, dude, don't spear him, son. Don't. I will just say that uh, right now it's a good it's a good time because uh, uh, it's sleep time right now. And I can see him. Uh, I can see him <laughs> good. So, awesome for the boy. Um, <laughs> Coop, brother, I love you, man. You have a great week. And we'll talk to you again next week. Talk to you next week, Gino. Don't go anywhere, folks. Give Chad a follow at the Chad Cooper. A lot more to discuss on this episode of That's What G Said. We move from the current wrestling to the old wrestling. It's the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne this week. We talk about Wrestle War 1991 match by match in our recap and review. Everything about Wrestle War 91 from WCW with Andrew Champagne. Oh, yeah. With Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> it's time for another installment of the Old Wrestling Rewatch. This week, Andrew Champagne joins me. Our, our friend DZ is a little under the weather. We have a, a fun show to discuss. It's very relevant, Andrew, because as you and I are recording this on November 29th, it's just a few days after the Survive, WWE Survivor Series War Games for 2022. So we decided to incorporate... Wrestle War 91 from WCW, where they had a really fun war games. It kind of ends in an anticlimactic sort of way because there was a, a bad botch there at the end that we'll discuss. But the match itself, up until the end, was pretty awesome. And the crowd was into it. The spectacle was fun when the lights come off and, and you see, like, the strobe lights coming out and the huge cage lowering. I got to say, we kind of get on WCW for a lot of their production quality and stuff. But with War Games, they always did a pretty fantastic job. Yeah, and this was Dusty Rhodes' greatest creation. Dusty Rhodes, as a booker, was probably the ultimate home run or out guy. There weren't a lot of seeing eye singles through the infield. That's a great, that's a great way of either, putting it. Everything either really worked <laughs> or looked really, really bad. War Games... Everything worked. You wound up getting eight guys in there, one of whom I'm going to contest should have been the biggest star in the company when it was over and wasn't for reasons passing understanding. And on top of all of that, you get an undercard where is there a ton that notably stands out? No. But, Gino, there is not a lot of bad on this not show. At all. And no. there's a surprising amount of good. I completely agree with you. There are a couple things that 
you would look at on paper and go, oh, that's not going to be that great. And they were they were very solid. And a lot of it's like a lot of veteran professional workers on this card, guys who know how to wrestle a match. So, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get a five star match from Buddy Landell. But you know what? In six minutes, that's about fine for a Buddy Landell match. He can go through his few little bells and whistles, his Ric Flair gimmick. And, you know, and that's fine. Even in the opener. That we can, you know, get into pretty quickly because we're in Phoenix, Arizona here. That's what was kind of funny about this is WCW around this time didn't get to come out west all that often. So coming to Phoenix, Arizona was was pretty west for them. And we got the uh, the opening vi- uh, video package in the desert, voiced over by Tony Schiavone. And then Andrew Tony runs down the card right off the bat to get things started. He introduces JR and Dusty. So that's our main commentary team who talk war games. And I got to say, like, we, again, I give Dusty, we give him a hard time for uh, a lot of his commentary uh, and for a lot of his line one-liners or some of the things that he says that sometimes doesn't stand up well. There were some comments in the women's match that we can talk about. <clears throat> Other than that, I actually thought Dusty did a, a pretty solid job throughout the night. I didn't have too many of the, like, notes of, like, what the hell was Dusty saying there? Yeah, the only thing that made me cringe a little bit, it wasn't anything he said. It was that ugly red leather jacket he oh, was wearing. Oh, you're goodness. right. Now, for timing's sake, we should probably just clear this up. Dusty had just come back after a two-year stint with Vince in WWF. Point. Point. His last match as a full-time wrestler was less than a month before this show. Him he and Dusty, back, right? Yeah, he came back to WCW, brought Dustin with him, of course, and we wound up getting Dusty in this capacity in the early 90s where they'd trot him out when they needed a name and whatnot. And it, it, you take the good with the bad in that respect, but he came back and it felt right because War Games was his thing. He was the guy that came up with that. He was the creative force behind that match. If you're going to bring Dusty back, this is a good time to do it. Dusty Rhodes on commentary with good old JR, and they check in throughout the night with Tony Schiavone. And we had an 11 match card. One of them was on the kickoff, uh, a Caprice show, dark match Eddie Guerrero versus Ultraman, or Eddie Guerrero and Ultraman defeated uh, Hoy Call and Rudy Boy. So the 10 matches on the main card begin with the short lived WCW six man tag team championship. So short-lived, Andrew, they didn't even have belts when these guys came out for the match to kick things off. And what a weird hodgepodge of of guys in this opening match. You've got Ricky Morton, Tommy Rich, and the Junkyard Dog versus the Big Cat, who is Curtis Hughes, um, who would become Mr. Hughes. We saw him with a couple different runs in WWE, uh, WWF, and the State Patrol. Lieutenant James Earl Wright and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. So we had a six-man tag to open things up. And, you know, it was fine. I was, you know, at this point of his career, JYD does not have much left in the tank. And it it wasn't like this was supposed to be a five-star match. But I think because it was a six-man, everybody kind of got in and out. They got all of their spots in quickly. I really wasn't offended by this. And I, and I was kind of going through the rest of the card. I guess this probably was the best choice for 
the opener. You know, I was trying to think what would have, you know, with a couple baby faces to get the crowd up. This was probably it. So while this isn't necessarily the opener that we see nowadays, which are usually pretty quick openers, I didn't really have too much of a problem with this. I mean, JYD is really big at the point here. He's just big, big. I mean, this is really basic stuff. Everybody's getting in and out. Now, the one thing I did have a problem with, Andrew, was the finish of this match. Yeah, because- uh, first of all, before we go further, you mentioned JYD was big. Does that mean he was... Grabbing them cakes Waka <laughs> Waka Waka Cue the Johnny Carson music yeah, da, 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 da. Yeah. I mean not Nothing like they're not reinventing The wheel in any way shape or form here I, I didn't mind a lot of the Ins and outs I actually thought that the tag team And like Parker looked decent um, Throughout a lot of this match But then at the end you know They, they built around a couple different spots with Where Cat uh, would come in against JYD and they would sort of have a standoff. And we got a power slam on Parker when JYD was the legal man. And then the cat comes in to break up the pin and Morton just jumps on top of <laughs> Morton just jumps on top of Parker and gets the win. There's no tag, no nothing. I mean, blatantly, he was not the legal man in the ring. The referee saw it. It's just. Anytime there's a bad finish of a match That's the last thing you think about So that's what leaves a sour taste in your mouth I really didn't have a, a lot of the problem With the the nine minutes and a half Leading up to it Yeah, this is basic stuff But the faces are over Especially JYD Look, he wasn't able To do a lot at this point He didn't need to He ha- He still had the charisma that was there. He could still stomp around the ring, do the thump power slam and do a couple of spots. So this was probably the best use of him. And the other two guys on the face team, Ricky Morton and Tommy Richard veterans that have been around the block. You also get big cat, AKA Mr. Hughes. And unlike his later years, where according to various people who worked with him, when he was the bodyguard, he would be sleeping. Under the shades, standing up at ringside. But (laughs) in this particular iteration, he's actually moving around the ring. He's a young dude who's trying. He looks like he's a prospect, right? Yep. I've got no gigantic issue with the overall quality of the match. The finish stunk. But when you have this thrown together, when you have titles but no title belts, and when the titles themselves are going to be deactivated 10 months after this. Yeah, this was just one of those things where you throw guys out there, you make sure the match doesn't stink up the house and then you move on. Yeah, that, that was it. And like we said, these six man tags didn't, didn't uh, live long. We didn't have any belts here. And I can't really remember too many matches on pay-per-views where these things were defended. So just a way to get some of your, uh, your stars on the card, you know, like you said, Ricky Morton, Tommy Rich, JYD, those guys are going to get cheered. Those guys have, have some good, they have good resumes in pro wrestling at this point. So you want to get them out there. It's just 1991. What a funny time for WCW right now, seeing this sort of some of these new younger guys. And then a group like this, where you have some of the older veterans there and they went about 10 minutes or so in that opener. We move along to Tony Schiavone. Talking to Alexandra York, which is who, Andrew? That would be the future Marlena. 
Marlena. She was the leader of the York Foundation at the time. And so her gimmick, we've talked about it recently. She was a manager of Terry Taylor and a couple others, and they were all basically into analytics. They had computers, and they would talk about their computer readouts and what they would find on uh, what the computer programs would tell them. And you know what? This promo was fine. It wasn't bad. They said that they were going to beat Tom Zank in less than 15 minutes and 28 seconds. Because <laughs> that's what the uh, the the program had pointed out for them. And uh, then Terry Taylor said that this would be pain coming. It was just kind of basic stuff. It's funny to see these two in these gimmicks, though, because we would see them as such different characters later on. But and also, we can point out that Terry Taylor stole that line from Clubber Lang in Rocky Three. Mm-hmm. My prediction: pain. He, this, this is pro- like honestly, this is like the best. I think the best version of Terry Taylor. I think he, this is. It, it wasn't as long lived. Like regular Terry Taylor was fine, but this one, this had some legs to it. It did. Like he felt like a good mid card heel with this act. It, you it mean felt... the Red Rooster didn't do it for you? <laughs> no, no, no. And um, so we'll get to uh, we'll get to Terry Taylor a little later on. First, we get to Brad Armstrong versus beautiful Bobby Eaton. And man, Bobby Eaton was so over when he comes out. They're just screaming for Bobby Eaton. He's hailed from the dark side. And we get this really quick start to this match, fast paced. And I was expecting this match to be one of the better matches on the card. Gosh, I was so disappointed with this one, Andrew. I really was with these two guys. I thought the first few minutes were good. The last few minutes were pretty good. I thought a lot of the middle of this match stunk. It was slow. They, you know, we get into a chin lock, rest holds, another one. Then they pick things up towards the end where we get, you know, eaten. Using the ropes, the referee catches him, and then Armstrong starts to, you know, fire back up. And then we get a rake to the eyes. Uh, they go for a monkey flip, then a drop kick by Armstrong. And Armstrong's getting things together. Side rush and leg sweep for two, but Eaton puts a foot on the ropes. And um, and then Armstrong uh, sends Eaton into the corner. He dodges a back body drop. Hits a big neck breaker, and then we get the Alabama jam, which does look great, like a, a strong finish, and it still looks money. But maybe I expected a little more in the middle of this. It felt like the 1250, like almost 13 minutes. It, it felt like it dragged a little bit to me in the middle. No issue with these two guys technically. I just got a little bored, I think, in the middle part of this match. So before we talk about the match, we need to talk about the comment that was made before the match. Brad Armstrong comes out, and of course, he is one of the many wrestling Armstrongs. Jim Ross shouts out Brad Armstrong's brother, who is in the Marines, fighting in the Gulf War. You have any idea who that is, Gino? Actually, oh, I didn't even catch this. You didn't know? Yeah. Your ass better call somebody. Nice. Fun little Easter egg, isn't that it? That is cool. Yeah, <laughs> I totally missed that. Good call, yeah, it's Andrew. Pretty awesome, right? Nice. Now, Brad Armstrong is a favorite of mine because uh, in addition to Nitro, my father would always tape WCW Worldwide, which was basically the D show. They would have studio space in Universal Studios in Florida, and they'd bring out not necessarily jobbers, but 
WCW had about 400 wrestlers under contract. I'm exaggerating, but by nowhere near as much as it probably sounds. And Armstrong would work that show a lot. And he would have these really good eight to 10 minute matches. Well, Bobby Eaton at this point was sort of adrift because a couple months prior, Jim Cornette and Stan Lane, the other two thirds of the Midnight Express, had left due to a dispute with the one and only Jim Hurd, who is still running things at this point. So they're trying to figure out what to do with Bobby Eaton. And for about six months, the solution was, oh, just throw him in mid-card singles matches that are going to be pretty good. That'll work. I like this a little bit more than you did. The one thing I will say is you mentioned it was 12.50, so about 13 minutes. If it was 10, it's probably a better agree. match. Because it felt like there were the about those two minutes in the middle where they were kind of dragging a little bit. Because I actually like both of these guys, too. And maybe my expectations for it were just a little bit more. But again, no no issue whatsoever with the technical. I just I got lost from about the four or five minute point till about that 10 minute point when they started picking up to go home. And when they picked up to go home, they picked up quick. I we agree, talked about very the Alabama much. jam. Brad Armstrong gets that spinning cross body off the top and then reverses a slingshot suplex to try to make the comeback. That was pretty cool. Uh, we got a couple of interesting audience cutaways here. We get the one and only Jason Hervey, a.k.a. Eric Bischoff's best mm-hmm. friend at this point. And we also get the great Muda, which as anybody who has listened to this show for any length of time knows, I'm always going to mark out for a Muda sighting. He's in town and he's just watching. He winds up showing up for a small interview later to promote a WCW New Japan Super Show. They did that but, throughout know, this that, card quite that a bit. Couldn't yeah, have been cheap to fly in Muda no. and not even have him do a whole heck of a lot. You could no, tell they, that there was something going on there, but there must have been they, got. They must have gotten a lot of money because I'm glad you pointed this out because they had a couple different people. They had Hiro Matsuda also. And they were, and even JR and Dusty were pushing the trips that they were coming up on to Japan in about a month or so. They kept talking about how they were going in March and also later in the year. And then we had an incredible match following this a tag team match right after a women's tag team match. So, yeah, this was a big, this show was a big vehicle they were using to promote their relationship with New Japan, going over to New Japan. And so there was they must have gotten a nice little payday or there's there must have been a lot of back money like back and forth because I completely agree with you, Andrew. They this was like, you know, a a big, nice commercial all the way up and down for that show. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, I need to look. I don't think that show is on the network. No, I don't think so either. Stuff that just didn't make it through and was sort of lost in uh in the changeover from the old WWE network, which was everything any wrestling fan could have ever asked for to Peacock because reasons. So on just as I pulled it up real quick um, on that show, you get Scott Norton versus the equalizer. You get Jushin Thunder Liger on the show. You have the four horsemen or you have Arn and Barry Windham against Saito and, uh, Masahiro Chono. You have the Steiner brothers against Hase and uh, Sasaki. Oh, that's El- gonna, that would be good. That'd be right? amazing. Then we have uh, El Gigante versus Big Cat. We have Vader and Bam Bam versus Doom. That, that's probably pretty fun. Uh, Ricky Choshu versus Tiger Jeet Singh, the great Muda and Sting. And then Fujinami versus Ric Flair. 
So that's a fun one. That's in uh, March of 1991 that they were talking about here just a month after this show that we're discussing. And Andrew, the next match, I completely forgot this ever happened. And this was on a WCW show. The next, uh, first we get a commercial for WCW Super Brawl. They talk about it. And we have a women's tag team match. Miss A and Mickey Honda versus Mommy Kitamura and Itsuki Yamasaki. And wow, these women could go. In 1991, just showing you the level of work that the women in Japan were doing compared to everywhere else. This this match, when they come out, nobody in the audience knows who one of these women are. None. Dusty and JR. The crowd don't. is dead. Dusty and JR have no clue anything. They're even talking about how we're sorry, we're going to confuse their names. We don't really know all that much about them. And, and JR is hammering the I don't know if they'll understand the referee angle. I am not accusing JR of being racist 31 years ago. But it came ago. off like, yeah. That would never, ever, ever fly today. No. And, you know, Dusty's talking about how the costume on one of them is missing one leg. You know, and they're making jokes about how, um, hey, Dusty says, hey, when we go to Jap- Japan, I'm going to get you a date with Miss A. And, then, and JR's like, oh, no. Within three minutes, the crowd is won over by these women. It, it literally took three minutes. They Instantly, we get him going off the top rope with a diving arm drag. Springboard. And, and, and then you get Miss A's kicks in the corner. Find Aren't... me anybody else in 1991 that would have won over an audience with kicks in the corner. You can't do it. This was awesome. I mean... You have arm drags, headlock takedowns, big shoulder blocks, and so you've got M- Miss A was the was the big one, right? Who was working like the bigger style, and then yes. you have, and so she's playing. You know, she's obviously more of the dominating type, and like Andrew was saying, she's just got incredible strikes and kicks, and so the others are having this really good babyface fire against her. She's just kind of tossing them out, and they're flying all over the place when. Mommy tags in, we get a belly-to-back suplex, we get big forearms to the face, um, a ro- we, I thought that was really cool, she hits this rolling, like a rolling dive, then she gets up with a headbutt, right into the gut, it was really just unique offense that you're not seeing, northern light suplex, belly-to-back suplex, quick tags in and out, and now at this point, crowd's going crazy, really fast-paced, Non-stop action And JR and Dusty are like Really getting impressed at this point Because they don't really they, I don't think they were expecting this level Of of work JR was talking about how he knew that they were You know good strikers And they would hit a little bit harder But wow It was so impressive We get an Irish whip A big kick A big lariat And then uh, a roll up A victory roll by um, uh, For the win Man, Andrew, I was just not expecting this was like that jumping bomb angels match that you know in WWF that kind of stands out in the early 90s where you had women that were just doing things that we didn't see the men doing in a lot of these matches. Honestly, if we were talking about work rate on this card, this match is top two or three. It, it yeah. was awesome. Yeah, I wouldn't put it lower than three for sure. 
And the other thing that stood out is we're talking about this match being amazing, and it was damn good. They got less than seven minutes. This is literally okay. At a we cool don't place. Nobody knows yes. you. <laughs> the, and, and the other thing is, talk. let's think about the pep talk behind the scenes for this match. Okay. No one knows who you are. You're probably not going to work in the United States again for years, maybe ever. You're following a couple of pretty long matches with wrestlers that people in the arena have heard of and have followed for years because you get guys like Ricky Morton, you get guys like Bobby Eaton, whatever, have fun. You have seven minutes. And to say they made the most of that seven minutes would be pretty darned accurate. Miss A, in fact, would wind up having a career of about 20 years overseas on the Joshi scene. Now, some of the Joshi stuff, they're overly stiff for the sake of being stiff. And that doesn't do a lot for me. This match, though, wow, especially by 1991 standards, you put this on any Dynamite or Raw or SmackDown or Rampage or whatever, and it fits. Absolutely. It holds up right now, today. Shout out to these women. This was great and just way ahead of its time. And uh, poor Dusty and, and Jim Ross didn't have any clue who was who. And they're trying their, they're trying their best. Dusty. Dusty was like, whoa, maybe I don't want to date with Miss A after she was hitting, after a couple of her strikes. It was, oh, oh, poor Dusty. But wow. Shout out to uh, these women. Fantastic match and one of the big pleasant surprises on this card. We then introduced Missy Hyatt. This was interesting. So Missy's going to go into the men's locker room for the first time and conduct an interview, Have a be a woman conducting an interview inside the the men's locker room. So she talks about how she's all excited about women's equality and she wants to do this great professional thing. But then she says right after this is her chance to find a babe. Kind of some mixed signals here. Well, with, with this one. <laughs> to, to be fair, if you're waiting for a payoff, they don't disappoint here. No, they don't. The payoff is pretty funny. I will say it is pretty good. And we will check back in with Missy in just a little bit. Up next, it's the Nature Boy, Buddy Landell. I just think it's so unbelievable that they book him on the same cards as Ric Flair. If he's you if know, you don't have Ric Flair, that's totally fine, and you need that like dime store version. But when you have Flair later on, it's so funny that you have Landell in this match. And the thing is, we talk about how Buddy Landell ripped off Ric Flair. It's not just that he called himself the Nature Boy. It's not just that he had the strut or looked like the guy if you squinted or had two or three drinks. Watch Buddy Landell bump, especially when he takes a back bump. He's bumping on his side, not on his back. Ric Flair, of course, did that because of the plane crash he was in to where he just didn't trust anybody to land him flat anymore because of the injuries that he sustained in that crash. Buddy Landell did it just to rip off Ric Flair. And yeah. it's just... It's this unfortunate thing where, yeah, you know, Landell's not a terrible worker. He's been around for a while. He had some name value. And if you're going to use him, you want to use him to put over a young guy. Oh, I've seen this last name before. <laughs> Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes. It, it also felt like around this point, he was, his style was that of like, 
a basic heel territory worker. You yep, know, like middle, sure. middle of the card heel territory worker who exactly like you said, who could come out and help fluff up the new young baby face, the new guy that you were trying to push. At this point in 91 on TV, he just felt outdated. Honestly, he did. Um, and they don't, you know, this match goes six and a half minutes. And honestly, again, it's not as if the in-ring work is a bunch of botches or anything. It's just really basic stuff. But I will say two things. The crowd is very into Dustin, and we get some Landell sucks chance. So, <laughs> you know what? If you're checking the boxes of things in wrestling, like, it does its job in that the baby face is over, the heel is getting booed, you know, the crowd, like I said, fast start, but then it does kind of slow down and it's basic. It's only about six and a half minutes. And then towards the end of it, we get Dustin, um, Irish whip, clothesline, big clothesline to the floor. And then we get the gorilla press, the military press slam and the running bulldog from Dustin for the win. So, yeah, I mean, babyface win, as you had mentioned, Andrew, Dustin was just in WWF also with with Dusty Rhodes not long ago. So he's coming back here and now they're giving him the opportunity to shine a little bit. And you know, Dustin never became a world champ, but he would have a pretty good three to four year run and and have some pretty good matches over the next three years or so, you know, US title stuff, TV title type stuff, some tag matches here and there, um, always kind of in the middle of the card, but it's not a bad couple years now for Dustin. No, and now we're going on a not a bad 30 years for Dustin Rhodes. So as far as careers go, as far as quality of life goes, he he had some major issues about 20 years ago. And thankfully, he's cleaned up and he got to a place where even throughout the 2010s, he was about as active a worker as you were going to find. And a guy that you could throw into pretty much any situation and trust him to make it work. There's far worse legacies to have. Uh, This particular match, though, you could see he's clearly learning. It looks like he's a little bit blown up in certain spots from going a little too quick. They sort of lose their place in the flow of the match about five minutes in. You're right. able to get it back, and it's not offensively bad. It's just sort of there. Yep. That's a great way to put it. Uh, Dustin gets the win at six and a half, and they move along. And they check in with Missy. She's backstage and she's all pumped because she's going to go in the, the locker room for the first time. But when she walks in, it's Stan Hansen. He's like, what are you doing in here? You still, what's going on? You with a woman. full it's mouth of chewing tobacco. Kids, don't dip. Just don't just, dip. It looks awful. Don't do it. It does. But I will. it, it was terrifying. Like, he looks scary as hell. And Missy is just like, oh, my God. And she was screaming out. She's like, I need to call somebody, but I don't know who. She, it, And then Tony Schiavone's laughing at her and Dusty and JR are laughing at her. You know what? I will say you're right. It, it wasn't a bad segment. It did make me laugh because she walks in and she's not in the door for two seconds before Stan Hansen goes, who are you? What are you doing in here? And just starts just tearing her head off. Yeah, it's it's a good payoff for sure. And you take what you can get, uh, especially with a segment like that. And some of the ways they used Missy Hyatt, it was hit or miss. This one made me laugh. You know, check the box. Move on. Yeah, it was fine. 
Next up, we got the Young Pistols versus the Royal Family. The Royal Family, Jack Victory and Rip Morgan. And they come out in like medieval garm. They look like they were just at the Renaissance Fair, the local Renaissance Fair here. And, <laughs> and, um, and I will say the match was better than the gimmicks when they were coming out. I, I really didn't have much of a an issue with this. And we've seen a lot of the Southern Boys recently. They went from the su- Southern Boys to the Young Pistols. They were the wild-eyed Southern Boys. This is Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers. We saw Brad Armstrong just a little bit earlier. And then on the Royal Family, Jack Victory and Rip Morgan. But what was kind of strange about this match, Andrew, is about a minute in, the lights go out. And so they have to wrestle under a spotlight, which is Pretty cool because it's kind of like a house show Actually looked cool This was just a really solid Tag team match Lots of the heels controlling early on Then in the middle you have the baby faces With a, a you know some hope spots And then they get the advantage for just a few moments But it flips back at the end Where it's back to the heels And you know they're dominating The young pistols are much quicker Using the speed Using the agility The royal family They're you know the stronger More powerful tag team And I thought the pace was pretty quick I thought overall I didn't really have a whole lot of knocks on this match It was you know Probably one of my favorite matches of the card So far as we got through What the fifth match on the card I, I really The more we've watched the young pistols now I think three or four times in the last couple months They are really quick They were a very Very good tag team for the time I'm going to come at you with a cutting Edge you know analysis Of early 90s WCW All of the Bookers were awful I mean you look at these guys And you don't see a main Event type thing but you do See a tag team that could have been an Opening match staple for five Years absolutely they Absolutely. didn't they didn't get pushed anywhere near that. You look at Dustin Rhodes, he clearly reached a, a level beneath the glass ceiling. You look at this guy, oh god, he he would wind up losing his hair and drinking a lot of beer and and stunning some guy that resigned <laughs> slash retired in disgrace earlier this year for for a very long time and he wound up drawing a lot of money just not with them. Now Some of that has to do with the fact that three years after this, Hulk Hogan came to town and that changed everything for WCW in ways that were both good and bad. But you look at this card and you look at some of the names that are on it and some of the younger guys and you start wondering how and why weren't these people bigger stars than they were. And Highly recommend reading a book written by Brian Alvarez called The Death of WCW, which goes in depth on everything from, you know, late 1980s through when WCW was eventually acquired by Vince McMahon. They go pay-per-view by pay-per-view and they talk about all the machinations behind the scenes. As far as this match goes, it didn't offend me, but it was just sort of there. The lights going out was uh, during a pay-per-view was peak WCW, it, right? It totally was. Um, it was. <laughs> the, the only thing that I didn't love is you could see on the camera, Smothers was calling several spots mm-hmm. right into the camera. And it, Smothers at this point was still a fairly young dude. Hey, it's right in the name, the Young Pistols. So it, it's to me, it was fine. It's just 
And God, this is a horrible pun, but it's it's not the way that I mean it at all. This to me would have been better served as a dark match. Yeah, no, I can see what you're saying here. Um, the pistols pick up the victory at about uh, 12 minutes or so as we check in with DDP Diamond Dallas Page. He's the new manager of the Freebirds, and he's super rough around the edges. But man, you can see it like right here, right away. You can hear him as soon as he starts talking. You kind of listen, and he he's just got a like a sharper gab than people were talking at in '91. Like he's fat, he's quick talking. He's he, and and he just has a different sound and feel to him. It would take a while for him to get it all together as the DDP babyface character in the late '90s. That was awesome. But early on, you could you could always see why people wanted to give this guy chances because he had a he could really talk and him and Teddy Long had a really fun back and forth where they were setting up a match for later on and none of the wrestlers were out there. It was just the two managers going back and forth. It wasn't like this same segment in WWE would have been produced a little bit better and I think they would have been able to get a little bit more out of it, but just watching two guys who are actually really good talkers. Teddy Long was an excellent talker also. And I think he gets kind of laughed at a little bit for his his run as the SmackDown GM. But early on, he could really talk. I actually thought this little promo was was kind of fine. It it got me a little bit interested for the match later on. That really wasn't much, the Freebirds uh Doom match, but it was kind of cool to see DDP here, early DDP kind of, you know. Just it reminds me of a young horse here, Andrew, like a green, talented young horse that's just kind of zigging and zagging late in the lane. But I saw you just you could see some some talent. You you knew that he had it here. Yeah, that's for sure. And the thing that I particularly liked about this segment is that unlike a lot of the matches on the show, which were fine to very good for a lot of the matches, it didn't seem like there was anything really at stake. There was no reason to care. It's a great this point. at least this at least gave me a reason to care to about this match beyond the tag titles and a situation that would never happen today that I am really looking forward to talking about when we get to this match, because there are some machinations with this particular matchup that are fascinating if you don't know the backstory. And I'm thrilled that we're able to talk about it here because this is one of those things where it shows just how much the business changed. As far as this promo goes, though, it was fine. We then have Terry Taylor versus the Z-Man in a no-DQ match that goes 11 minutes. These two had had a couple matches back and forth that were ended by disqualification. So now the, you know, the, the big end to their... Feud is a no DQ match And again I You know Tom Zank was the Z-Man It was like a fine mid-card babyface Lower card babyface at this time Crowd kind of liked him a little bit He's super corny And I think Terry Taylor Played this role as the middle of the card Heel very well And no real issues With any of the technical here What really bothers me though this is a no DQ match that they never use. It's just nothing about this is no DQ. There's one moment where Terry Taylor uses a cord to like to strangle him for a Z-Man for like a second outside. We don't get any chair, no table spot, no outside interference stuff. It just seemed like why even have a no DQ match 
if you're not going to take advantage of the stipulation at all. That was, that's just what I took out of this match. Yep, I completely agree, and that's one of my notes. Why did they bother? Now, it's a solid match for what it is. Tom Zink was a good worker. Terry Taylor's a good worker. And you give these two guys time, you're going to wind up with a pretty decent match. And that's what we've got. I've got it as a two and a half star match. It didn't offend me. It was fine. You could see the two guys were trying, but there was just no need for that. And on top of all of that, in a no disqualification match, we get a distraction finish. What? I know. I know. Foot on the rope stuff, clothesline, then we get the camel clutch uh, towards the end. I mean, again, like everything you're saying, Andrew, I completely agree. Um, and then what's weird, so this is supposed to be the blow-off, but then after the match, there's some more post-match fighting after a no-DQ match. Like a no-DQ match, both guys are supposed to be walking, at, like barely able to walk out, you know, because that's the end of a brutal feud. It just seemed kind of... Like watching the two, it never struck me as a blood feud when these two guys were wrestling the match. It was like, oh, okay, these guys are wrestling like a Saturday night. This would have been like the main event on WCW Saturday night. Like this that's type well of match. Put. Yeah, for sure. And that's not a bad thing. No, it's not. It's, you know, it's, it's just one of those instances. And I know that there were people a couple of years ago when Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho worked at WrestleMania in what was supposed to be a gigantic grudge match to blow off this huge feud, and the first move of the match was a headlock. Like, I always thought that was a little bit absurd, Mm -hmm. but this is a different limb of the same tree. If you're going to have the build, and you're going to have the stipulation, and you're going to have a gimmick, use all of that. Like, bash the freaking computer over somebody's head. I know. Makes made no sense to me. And we did get the Hiro Matsuda sighting in the audience and a lot of talk about WCW going to uh, Japan the next month. So following the match, we then get, wow, this, yeah, this was bad. This was bad. We then get a segment with Paul E. Dangerously, Paul Heyman, and El Gigante, who some of you may know as Giant Gonzalez from 1993 WWF. He... Was the big man who just could never work. He never really figured it out in ring. Um, they promoted him as a babyface in WCW. And then obviously when he came into WWF, he was the heel that uh, was opposite of The Undertaker. Now, Paul e, Paul e comes out. And Dusty lets us know, or uh, JR lets us know that something's about to happen. Because... Dusty, or because JR tells us, or he says something like, I wonder what Paul E's going to be wearing here. Now, Dusty says that El Gigante is about to be one of the biggest stars in wrestling. I don't know about that, Dusty. (laughs) He didn't hit that one out of the park. This, yeah, this is so cringy. Like, this just, when we kind of laugh about Jesse the Body Ventura doing the, the Chico Santana stuff, like, this is just not good at all. Like, the Chico stuff was... Was it doesn't hold up well, but it's kind of funny. And, and can I maybe make a necessary distinction, please? You can get the idea that Tito Santana is in on the joke. On the joke, hundred yes. percent. He's talking about the going to the bathroom and the and you can and gorillas laughing and everyone's sort of laughing. This was like not only was this cringy, it just wasn't funny. Like there's there wasn't anything funny about it, and. You know, Heyman's a very entertaining dude. It it just they they have like 
mariachi music play as Paul E. walks out. He's dressed like a matador with like a huge, big sombrero. He says, I mean, he just starts ripping on Latin people. I mean, he says, take your refried beans back to Mexico. He says that he doesn't know a Latin person that doesn't lie or steal. I mean, just really racist stuff. And the problem with this segment, even more than all of the obvious racism, right, is that El Gigante can't speak, really. He's not great on the mic, so he's not going to do anything with this segment other than, you know, slamming Heyman, which, okay, what you wanted at the end. I, this was bad. This was bad. This did not hold up. They were trying to build up El Gigante because he was the special guest referee for uh, a match coming up between Sting and Ric Flair. He was like on the babyface you know, side of being promoted as like a top babyface. I mean, even when El Gigante, he can't understand what Paulie's saying. Paulie calls him a jerk. I mean, you're just a jerk. Do you know that word? Gigante says, no hable inglés. And he slams Paulie. Um, Paulie threw the sombrero at him. This was just bad stuff, Andrew. This was really bad. Yeah, it was absolutely awful. Uh, this is another one of those things that was acceptable 31 years ago, is not acceptable now, and we're better for that. We can acknowledge that there are certain mistakes that were made and that we've moved on from and that we will not repeat. It's just, this is one of those things that if I knew that this was on the show, I had forgotten it, and now I wish I had never seen it. It's, I know. No, you're right. It, it, it does brutal. feel that and, way. And also, one other thing. If you look at El Gigante coming up onto the walkway, his knees are already shot. I know. And that's not easy to watch either. Just nothing great about this at all. Nothing great. But um, I will give you a reminder, Andrew, as we finish up, we have the last four matches. You will have our next pick. So if you want to start thinking about that or doing some uh, some mental gymnastics about where we're going to head for our next show, where we head for our next match is a freaking demolition derby. This thing went six minutes and it's, it's hard to even okay. call it. Okay, let's get the two stiffest guys on the planet, throw them out there for seven minutes and say, go kill each other. No finish. No winner. This was this was so great, though. You just have freaking Stan Hansen and Vader. JR said that the last time they fought, they both had to be hospitalized after the match. Vader has that awesome headdress that shoots out all the steam. And I mean, these just these guys just go big blows, headbutts, chops, knees, kicks to the head. Throwing each other into the guardrail. I mean, just stiff shots all over. I loved when they are outside of the ring and they're right behind JR and Dusty, the announce crew. And JR's like, oh my, they're starting to freak out. Like, these two big dudes are right behind us. I don't know what's going on. And and they're just getting into it. And Dusty says they knocked his curvassier over and uh, they get back in the ring. And I, I mean, just awesome. Awesome stuff. Hansen, they're just beating the crap out of each other, and they're they're both on their um they're on their knees, and they're just throwing blows. And the ref's trying to get in between them and break it up. And then Hansen just kind of tosses the ref to the outside, and the ref comes back in and just double DQs the two of them. 
it was a fun six, six and a half minutes just watching these guys beat the hell out of each other. I totally forgot that we ever got this in WCW, Stan Hansen in WCW against Vader. Yeah. Um, if, if you have not seen a Stan Hansen match from Japan, let me give you a little bit of a picture. Take the stereotypical big 40-year-old cowboy from Texas, wad of chewing tobacco in each cheek. It, not just not a guy you don't want to mess with, but a guy that by all accounts was legally blind. And his way of compensating for being legally blind was to basically hit his opponent as hard as he physically could at all times. And it's hysterical now because if you watch interviews that he does, he came over to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, and he sat down with JBL and he did a couple other things. He looks like the kindly old grandfather who would be telling stories to like, you know, five or six year old kids and everyone would walk away feeling warm and fuzzy. That is not the Stan Hansen. That's not this guy. (laughs) Wrestling fans saw from Japan to the United States, anywhere else. Also, if you're not familiar with his story from the AWA about when he won the world title and how that ended, go look it up. That's a fun one. And speaking of fun, I love hearing JR when the action spills onto the floor and these two guys are just beating the hell out of each other. He's going, what's wrong with these guys? They're both crazy. <laughs> it's it's the authentic. Foley commentary that he would use later, years later, yes. right? The and, same sort of. <laughs> yeah, and in the meantime, if you look really closely, you see Dusty Rhodes, and it's almost like he forgets to call the match sometimes because he's enjoying watching these two. He's loving to- it, dude. He's laughing. He's <laughs> dude. He's so he's so into this. Yeah. And you know, at least part of him was thinking Vince would never do this. <laughs> but it, it, it's fun for what it is. There is no finish. And that's right. So it, yeah, there's no finish, but it doesn't matter. No, Th- this who cares if Vader won. to have a finish. No, <laughs> this was just supposed to be something that I would give WCW a lot of credit for though, through the years, because as much as, you know, things weren't always perfect for them. They really did put out shows like variety wrestling shows, even all the way through the Nitro era when they would have the cruiserweights out there. They would have a, the bigger man match. I mean, even on this card, you've got a fantastic women's tag, and then you've got this style of match, which is so different. And that's what it was supposed to be just something different at the time. And I, I popped for it. And that, that is what is cool about this show. Like, like you were hitting at, and then when we, Intro to Andrew there were a few things That were like surprisingly good But there really isn't Anything anything On the entire show that you go Yeah I need those five minutes back Nothing yeah yeah It's so that's like that's the Mark of a solid show That's one that you don't just go eh At the end right and Also let's not forget This is a show from 1991 yeah. If you ran this show in 2022, the internet wrestling community would say it was the worst show they have ever seen in their lives and da 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 da, da because everything wasn't at least four stars. There's not a lot bad on this show. No. This was this was fun. This match in particular was fun and you look at the next match for the US title, this was a banger. Dude, this 
I gotta say, and I saw one or two spots that said they didn't like this match. This match was excellent. I thought this Lex Luger versus Dan Spivey match was fantastic. Um, and again, another match that I really wasn't expecting to be this good. And it was pretty basic in in how they did it. I mean, these are two big guys, Andrew, but they can both move. <laughs> hey, everybody, they, drink. They were former partners, and. Spivey dominates a lot of this match. Luger plays a very good babyface in peril. Luger has some awesome, like, Hulk-up spots here. You know, and it's funny, when when he tried to do that in WWE, in WWF in, like, 93, you know, when they're pushing him to be the next Hogan, you kind of cringe. But you look, and when he's the babyface here, and he's, you know, firing back up, it didn't seem out of place. I thought he did a really good job here. I was extremely impressed with Spivey. Um, there were a couple spots that Spivey had in here, Andrew. He hits an elbow drop off the top rope. It was fantastic. We got some a uh, couple pile drivers. We got a tombstone, big um, big slams from Spivey using athleticism for the big guy. And then towards the end, what I loved is. You could tell both guys were exhausted. It just, but it felt real. It felt like a fight. It didn't feel like the guys were blown up and missing spots. It just felt like, hey, these are two big dudes who have been going at it for 12 minutes and now they're gassed. And whoever can capitalize on, you know, big move at the end will get the job done. And that was your baby face Luger. Spivey was going for a power slam, but Luger actually rolls through. So, you know, the finish. Could it have been better? Yes, as we were talking, the booking, not fantastic. But damn, 12 minutes and 30 seconds of this, you know, maybe the last 20 seconds or so with the finish, this was probably one of the most surprising matches on the card to me because I never really know with Luger in this time period if we're going to get one of the hidden gems or if we're going to get one of those where he's kind of mailing it in. But he was invested in this match. Obviously, I think with his former partner, he had some chemistry there too. I really like this match, Andrew. Yes, I enjoyed it too. I have it as a legitimate three and three-quarter star. If you want to bump it up to four, go right ahead. The problem with Luger wasn't that he couldn't work. That's a misconception. The problem with Luger is, as you mentioned, you never knew which Luger you were going to get. If you got motivated Luger showing up for a match of about 10 or 15 minutes, perfect. You, you knew you were going to be in for a really good time. If you got non-motivated Luger going longer than he probably should have, then you're in for a little bit of a problem, especially later on in his career after he had been wasted by Vince in some of the worst booking you'll ever see for a top baby face. This was before that, though. You get Luger flying around the ring. In fact, he bumps into the other ring early on in the match. And that's when you're thinking, okay, this is going to be good. That's not a bump he had to take. And then Spivey gets the upper hand and he drops this beautiful elbow. If you haven't seen Dan Spivey or Waylon Mercy, as he was known in the mid nineties, if you haven't seen him work, he's a legitimate six ten, six eleven. And, and that's the thing. Like you, when you see him as Waylon Mercy, you don't realize how big he is. Right. You see him as Dan Spivey as part of the skyscrapers with Sid before this. 
Yeah, you could tell why there were some people that were very high on this guy. And you're right. Luger got a couple of spots where he looked like another muscular blonde dude in another promotion. Then you get the finish. And this was, it was almost Steamboat-esque what they were doing here. Because Luger winds up rolling through that slam off the top rope. And I don't want to say it was perfect, but it was smooth. It was well executed. This was a fun match. And if you haven't seen this match and or you think, oh, Lex Luger was all look and couldn't actually work. Watch this match. You're going to love it. Honestly, I I was so pleasantly surprised with this. And Dan Spidey has held up very well. In a lot of our rewatches, especially this early version in the early 90s in uh, WCW, Spivey. Now, following this match, Luger walks over because they're going to present him with the new U.S. title belt. So it's Tony Schiavone, Grizzly Smith, and Nikita Koloff, a former now, U.S. champ. Really quick before we move on, seeing Grizzly Smith will give put a bad taste in your mouth if you yes. know the story of Grizzly Smith. If you don't know the story of Grizzly Smith, I will not tell it here. You can find that out on your own. If you know the story, it's, oh, God. Very, very upsetting. Yeah, not fun. This was actually a pretty good heat segment, though, um, because Koloff had a a history with Luger, and Koloff says that he's going to present Lex with a new belt, and he hits him over the head with it and just blasts him. And he said that he wanted a shot at the WCW championship, And the WCW powers that be, the executive said that he was not worthy of holding gold since he's been retired for a few years. He said he wants to prove that he's worthy, so he's going to beat Luger and show that he's worthy of a a top championship. So setting up a a Luger Koloff, bringing Koloff back, you know, his gravelly, you can't really barely, you can barely understand what he's saying, but he has a ton of passion and... Just a quick little segment. This got a lot of heat, too. It wasn't a bad segment at all. No, no, it was fine. Nikita Koloff, for about five minutes, was a gigantic I know. It was so 80s. quick. It was quick, though. Yes. And, and then he got hurt. He came back. He would have one excellent match after he came back. That's called foreshadowing, kids. But this particular angle, where he comes back as a heel... Eh, it looked more like they were just positioning him as like a monster of the month type for Luger to crush. I, I wasn't really feeling it too much. A couple big matches that still remain. And we actually have first up DDP to come back out and help set us up for the tag team championships. So these were the WCW World Tag Team Champions, Doom, Ron Simmons, and Butch Reed with their manager, Teddy Long, against the fabulous Freebirds, Michael P.S. Hayes and Jimmy Jam Garvin with DDP. They also had the Diamond Dolls, and we brought out Big Daddy Dink, Oliver Humperdink, as DDP basically said that he was going to be kind of passing the torch and that Big Daddy Dink was going to be the new road manager for them. Again, you know, it it's like this is the type of segment that if you had a good production team, they could have kind of fine-tuned this kind of carved off the edges a little bit and made it a, made it a little bit better but I think the same sort of thing like you can see DDP that he has something here he just talks about how they're going to uh, to make the transition and before they set up this we go match. into this match please go ahead when 
I mentioned earlier that there was a fascinating backstory. Here is what that backstory is. Going into this match, Doom are the champions. The Freebirds are the challengers. I'm glad you mentioned this. Yeah. The Freebirds had already lost the titles at a TV taping before they won them. They were the, they are negative champions. (laughs) They are negative champions. They are literally their reign is negative. And what was so weird about this too, Andrew, like in some of the, the shows that we've recently talked about at this point, this tag team was not high up on the card. The Freebirds were losing to everybody at this time period. And they were totally 100% completely a transitional champion that doesn't even hold the belts actually. Cause like you said, they had already lost the belts and we're going to see them lose them on TV. Not long after this, but I mean, I guess I can understand where it didn't really matter who it was. This wasn't about the free birds. It was just getting the belts off of doom and on to, I think it was the Steiner brothers in a, I think a week after this sounds but, right. I don't know. I mean, like we're talking about, like, wouldn't it have been fun to see the young pistols in here, maybe getting a shot instead of the the free birds? Or I, it it just felt a little bit weird with how the free birds were booked at this point, and and because of it, like the match goes seven minutes. It's really not much, honestly. I mean, you just have some of these veterans doing exactly what you would have expected. The you know, Doom, the big power guys here, like really, really basic stuff. And and we had like a dusty finish with our guy Dusty out there. Um, Reed pulled out a foreign object. He went to go hit Hayes with it, but he ducked. He hit Simmons and Garvin basically fell on top of Simmons. Uh, actually, Humperdinck kind of pushed him on top and set it up. So they were able to use their new manager to help them, but yeah, not not really much here. This was just more more about the angle getting the belts off of Doom so they could be on the Freebirds and then quickly off of them and onto the Steiners. Yeah, this was what it was. And also they were clearly earmarking Ron Simmons for a singles push. That singles push would come. And in the course of this match, you sort of see why. Butch Reed still has a ton of strength. He's an incredibly powerful dude, but he's starting to have a little bit of trouble moving. Like you can sort of tell he's carrying a little bit too much weight for his frame. Yep. And Simmons is clearly the guy they're earmarking for the push. He's smoother. He's got that college athletic background that I'm sure impressed the hell out of Jim Ross and anybody else. Also in this match, you hear Dusty say, I don't see signs of doom having problems with attitude. Well, that's a spoiler. Thanks, Big Dust. Um, Yeah. What made me laugh, though, was so the Freebirds get the win. And um, after the match, we see that Ron Simmons turns on his partner, Butch Reed. And so does Teddy Long. Teddy Long talks about how it's going to be him and Ron Simmons moving forward. It, we we get just a little quick check in again about Super Brawl. They tell us, you know, they show us a commercial that we've seen a few different times. And then following this, we have an interview with this poor kid. My god, this kid. I feel it, so bad for this me kid. Me too. The poor kid just saw his favorite tag team break up. 
And I mean, think about it. You're like nine or 10 years old. You don't really understand what you're seeing when the team breaks up. You're like, oh, they'll probably be back together next week. Or you don't really get it. And so the kid, he won, he won tickets to the show and he gets to have an interview. This poor kid is nervous as can be. He's freaking out. He's on TV live here. And JR asks him, who is his favorite team in the War Games match? So first off, the kid doesn't really understand what the question was. So he says, doom. (laughs) JR says, well, I don't think they're going to be a team anymore. (laughs) And the poor kid's just like, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, it was like, man, he just... He just grabbed on his poor kid Who you could see it in his face He was like my heroes were just fighting each other What the hell happened I loved Doom Doom was like an over babyface team here And I I just This like made me laugh for the wrong reasons Andrew Yeah that poor poor little child Um Oh dear No that was <laughs> that was that was not great for sure Certainly awkward And I, I'm I'm honestly a little bit surprised they kept that in and I know. rather than just cut straight just cut to the out. war games. It's literally 30 seconds that they just could have cut out. It's like yep. it's so short. Anytime they try to do the fan interview or fan comes on, it just never, never works out well. I love you do I love when you do it, but you don't need to interview the fans on live TV. You really, you really don't because it's never it just never <laughs> comes out well. And <laughs> this made me laugh. Oh, we get ready for the big one. We get ready for the war games. And man, I will say again, as we we've kind of mocked WCW a lot through the years for the production value and their video packages and the way they set things up and booking the visual for this was awesome for 1991, seeing those two huge cages drop down. Hearing the music, seeing the strobe lights with the fireworks coming out of the cages, it was kind of gives you goosebumps if you're a wrestling fan. It it really does. Like it this is exactly what Dusty had hoped for and pictured in his head, and it and it played out. And they gave us a video, uh, a clip of some of the build-up to this war games match where Brian Pillman had been just destroyed by the four horsemen previously. They also showed us that Arn Anderson was out of the match due to injury. And Larry Zabisco would be filling in So we have the babyface side With Flying Brian Pillman The Steiners and Sting On the heel side We have Sid Vicious, Barry Windham Larry Zabisco and Ric Flair With an injured Arn Anderson coming out Tony Schiavone reads us the rules And it just Andrew this felt like a main event This felt like a huge match I loved everything Honestly, I love like everything about this match up until the very end, and we'll get there. And I, I am not, I don't have ever ever have problems with war game style matches, but they're not my particular favorite because you know that nothing's happening till everyone's in there. And I don't mean nothing, right? We get incredible action leading up to it, but we know there can't be any fall or any finish. And it's even different than like an Iron Man match where you know that there might be a fall. In between some of these war games matches or matches like this where they have these timers, I I can like get a little bored in the middle waiting until the ramp up spot. All of that being said, that is not at all the case with this match. Every time somebody came in, 
It was well booked. It was well set up. They had their perfect counterpart to have interactions with. It was as well done as I could remember. I mean, this might be my personal favorite of the War Games matches, maybe leading up to the end, and then it kind of stinks how it finishes. But the first few minutes of this match, because we start out with Flying Brian right off the bat, and it was like he wasn't even supposed to be in the match, but he wants revenge. So Flying Brian goes in, and for five minutes, he just beats the crap out of Barry Windham. Windham is busted open in about two minutes, and he's bleeding. And again, you and I talk about it all the time. I don't need blood in the matches. I don't love when AEW has blood two minutes into a random TV main event. But when we're talking war games and you just tried to injure Brian Pillman, I'm fine with the blood. And I mean, talk to us a little bit about the like the start part of this match, Andrew. It'd be so hard to hit on everything so we can go back and forth a little bit. But I normally don't love these types. This match was so good. So much fun. In those first few minutes, Pillman was just kicking the crap out of him. JR nailed it. He's the littlest man in the war games, but he's got the biggest heart. My question to you, Gino, given everything that happened in this match, and given that Brian Pillman did not die, how was he not a gigantic star after this match? I don't care how small he is. I don't care about any other limitations that people may think he had. If you think he can't talk, give him a manager. How was he not a gigantic main event level player after this particular match? He's another guy that got up to that upper mid-card level and then just stayed there. And then what happened? He became the loose cannon. He went over to WWF. He did that angle with Steve Austin and a gun that was pretty horrible. And then his demons wound up getting the best of him. But like after this, you're telling me over the next couple years, you couldn't have have built feuds around a babyface Pillman and a heel Sid, a babyface Pillman and a heel Flair when he was around, a babyface Pillman and a heel Luger. All. All would have been things that would have worked with this I mean, guy coming out of this. Pre- you could have presented him as Daniel Bryan 20 years before Daniel 100%. Bryan, and it would have worked because in addition to Pillman being able to sell a beating, that guy could work. And I have no idea looking at this match, why he was not a bigger star. He would have matches that are world-class that stand the test of time. The series of matches that he had with Jushin Liger are some of the best things of that time period in WCW. And he'd have a couple of other really good matches as well, but he should have been so much more than he was. And um, so he, he gets things started and I mean, it is such a blast for five minutes in there. He's biting Wyndham. And then next up we get uh, Who is in next Is it Flair Yeah Flair comes in next He goes all uh, over Pillman But Pillman's like out chopping Flair Going right back at him Sting comes in uh, as the next one to counter Flair So we get a lot of fun with Sting and Flair Going at it there Then we have uh, Zabisco coming in next And Steiner comes on for the babyface side To match Zabisco so we're evened up here. Then Sid, and Sid just goes nuts. Rick Steiner, he tosses him into the cage. He just kicks Rick right in the nuts, I think, too. He goes, 
Sid and Sting go off. Flair at this point is just gushing blood everywhere, all over the place. And then then we get um, Scott Steiner. So now it's the submit or surrender part. And man, I just have notes as we're going through like, this is awesome. Crowd is going nuts. How cool is this? There's so much going on, but it's not... Sometimes when you have a match like this, it feels overwhelming and you can't keep track. You could actually kind of see like each individual matchup. And like JR was doing a good job of like, oh my God, it's Sid and Pillman in the corner over there. And that is Wyndham over here on the other side. Just JR just going absolutely nuts. And we get the babyface team to lock in four figure fours at the same time. Oh, that time. was great. That what was cool fantastic. Spot. All four baby faces with the figure four in, and um, and then Sid pokes uh, the eyes of Rick Steiner, and now the baby faces are kind of in peril a bit. So now Sid's in charge. He goes and knocks Steiner down. He heads over to Pillman, and Sid grabs Pillman, and he kind of initially just sort of like presses him up into the top of the cage. Now where Sid and Pillman are. The cage was uneven on the top And you could see it was sort of sagging down In certain parts And so Sid goes to do his power bomb, But he can't get Pillman up over his head And situated like a normal power bomb, And he just sort of folds Pillman On the back of his neck like an accordion It is like scary and cringy to watch But you could tell Sid was so scared that he kind of asks Pillman if he's okay, and he nails him again with another power bomb that was like a normal Sid power bomb. He didn't really hit it all that hard, but man, this was this was scary. And and then unfortunately, because of that, it sort of kind of screws up the ending a little bit because they wanted to play into that spot for the end. They send El Gigante out. He comes into the cage. And he just like looks at his friend Brian Pillman and tells the ref that's it. And and that's the match. And so this did get Sid to look like a monster. He was a little bit kind of anticlimactic the way it happened, but almost all of this match was really good, Andrew, and is gonna stack up as one of my personal favorite war games matches. Cause some of them through the years felt a little forced or felt like you had to get a team to put into war games. This did not. This felt like these teams were teams of guys that hated each other, that they needed to be thrown into a two-cage ring like this. And I agree with you 1,000%, though. How do we not come out of this with Brian Pillman, one of the biggest stars on the roster, and someone who you at least give an opportunity in like top matches as a babyface? Really disappointing. Because you know what? We would see one year later, Bret Hart, over in WWF got a shot, right? He was a lot smaller guy that they would not have given an opportunity. And it took steroids and maybe some unforeseen circumstance for that to be the reason. But we started to see Brett and Sean make the push. And it's unfortunate because, you know, a year after this, you're telling me they couldn't have taken six months to build up Brian Pillman and made us all believe that in 92, he was going to be battling for the title, especially when your guy Flair isn't even there anymore. Like, they were looking 
four guys. They tried to turn, and they did a pretty good job of Ron Simmons making him like a main eventer. They were looking for guys to put up to the top of the card. How did they not see the guy that was right in front of their face? It's bonkers to me. And a lot of that, I think, can be put on the shoulders of the revolving door of bookers that WCW had at the time. Because you wound up with just this cavalcade of people that all had their own interests at heart and all had their own booking things to be set in their ways. And the last straw was when Bill Watts came in. And Bill Watts made a lot of money as a wrestling booker, but he hated the smaller guys. He hated guys going off the top turnbuckle. That wound up ultimately being a disqualification. He liked bigger guys that were more physical. And when that happened, that was pretty much it for Brian Pillman in that iteration. But this match is so good. This match is a lot of fun. And there are these cool little Easter eggs that you can find different things with when you rewatch them. For instance, you mentioned the cage being uneven. You can tell when it happens when they're lowering the cage down at the start of the match, it gets stuck on several sets of ring posts and they have to sort of meander and work around it to get it to where the cage is usable. But that probably didn't give Sid a whole heck of a lot of space to do what he was going to do. Sting though, had two of the spots in this match that I really loved. He comes in and when Larry Zabisco enters the match, Sting, who could move and still can move, but is by no means a cruiserweight vaults from one ring to the other (laughs) into the guy. Like that's really cool. And everybody had their working boots on. They had about like a jump in their step. You could just see it. And then you get sting doing the Steve Williams spot where he's got flair and a press slam. And rather than dropping him down to the mat, he pushes him up into the top of the cage a couple of times. That's just tremendous stuff, making the most of your environment. If you stop the match before Sid brings Pillman up for the first power bomb and there's a power outage and it's a draw and everyone goes home, it's probably a five-star match. I have it at four and a half simply because of the ending. Even so, how is Brian Pillman not a main eventer for life after this whole thing? My goodness. And then we would see what was what was kind of sad um, is the things that they thought Pillman didn't have, like the talking ability, we would see that he absolutely did. And so if you would have just given the guy an opportunity and and he was a guy who had a chance to cut some promos and especially promos in a feud like this, right, about guys who had he had personal issues with that try to injure him, it would have been great. And it's a bummer, and that is one of those things that you point out that sometimes it is we have these great matches, but then when we rewatch them and when we know what came next, you feel a little bit less about the match. And and I don't know if that's the case because this was cool and this was fun, and these were a lot of like really big star WCW guys at the time. But you're right, like coming out of this, I don't know how you couldn't feel like they were setting up Pillman to be a big baby face, and they just completely missed the boat on that. Now, after the match, they spoke with referee Nick Patrick, and he talked about how, you know, he didn't want to be responsible for Pillman getting hurt. He stands by his decision, 
and he awarded the match to the uh, the horseman there. And it's kind of a different way to end a pay-per-view. And that that was I do like WCW and watching back in that they their shows feel sports in that way. In that a game just doesn't over end and that's it a minute before and you go off air. You have some post analysis of the match or you have a promo after a match or sometimes they would go backstage and have a couple other interviews which to me always kind of felt like a nice way to put a bow on a show and that was one thing that I really do give them credit for versus WWE who you know end of the match Hogan must pose for a few seconds the music plays and then we're out totally different way of finishing it up and it did feel more real on the WCW side and I thought they put a bow on a pretty good show Andrew like we said when you have a main event that holds up and that an entire show is kind of built around one match and that match holds up, you really need a couple matches on the show to be awful for it to be a bad show. And, and that wasn't the case here. Most of these matches were good to average to above average. I think there were two or three that highly surprised me. And then we have a really fun way to end with, uh, with the war games. Yeah, this there's not a lot of bad on this show. It's two hours and 50 minutes, so it's not an overly long watch. You wind up seeing a lot of big name guys, and you wind up seeing a fair amount of good wrestling, even outside of the main event. You've got a couple of matches that came from absolutely nowhere to be very good. That tag match, the women's tag match, is really worth your time if you haven't seen it. You get Lex Luger and Dan Spivey in a true hidden gem You get Stan Hansen and Big Van Vader beating the living daylights out of one another. There's a lot of good stuff here. This is a fun one. If you're someone who loves to throw wrestling shows on like in the background while you're doing your work, this is one that I'd recommend throwing on because, you know, it's the type of show where you could look down and look back up a few times and still enjoy a lot of it. A lot of the in-ring work is pretty basic, but wow, you'll get a really cool surprise with the women's tag match. Luger and Spivey. Probably will surprise you with their work there. You'll get just a fun six and a half minute brawl with Vader and Stan Hansen. That wasn't like anything they were doing at the time. That reminds us of like stuff they would be doing in ECW years later. But two total pros that just brawled for fun. And then a good way to end with the uh, with the main event though. So Andrew, yeah, I thought a pretty fun uh, fun show on the rewatch. And it made a lot of sense with War Games uh, just having passed. And I think... War Games at Survivor Series feels like a really good fit. I think something you and I and Darren had talked about for a while was the whole idea of Survivor Series, it didn't really fit anymore in in the current modern era of wrestling because we see so many of these guys and gals tag with each other. It wasn't like back in the late 80s when it was really nostalgic to see a bunch of your big stars team up together. Now this happens quite often. We've seen a lot of them interact with each other. How's one way we can step the game up? Well, let's put them all inside of a cage and have these like 30 to 40 minute epics. I think War Games and Survivor Series is a really good match. I agree completely. It beats the heck out of, oh, these guys wearing red shirts are going to face these guys wearing blue shirts. And half of them are going to change shirts at some point in the next in year. Two weeks. Even. <laughs> yeah. War games is a better fit, especially when you get the personalities necessary in order to do that. And 
We've known Triple H was a student of Jim Crockett Promotions. He was a former WCW guy before he hopped over. This is one of those instances where that really works. And you get guys that can shine in these matches. You put them in that element and you give them a new way to entertain the fans while still holding true to some of the core elements of what War Games was when Dusty Rhodes came up with it 35 years ago. It's a really cool concept, and it will always work. That was Wrestle War 1991, WCW Wrestle War 91. So, Andrew, for our next show, it'll probably be a couple weeks from when people hear this. Tell us where we're going to head as your choice. All right. So remember back when I said that Nikita Koloff would have one more great match after his return at Wrestle War 91. We're going to go exactly one year later to Wrestle War 1992, which had a War Games match that, according to a wrestling writer that I like very much, that I respect very much, a guy named Scott Keith, is a five-star match. This is the finale of the Dangerous Alliance at Wrestle War 1992. The War Games lineup on one side, Sting, Nikita Koloff, Ricky Steamboat, Dusty Rhodes, and Barry Windham. On the other side, Rick Rude, Steve Austin, Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, and Larry Zbysko. A lot of star power in that War Games lineup. Now, I'm going to preface this because I've seen this show before. Gino, the first half of this show is hot garbage. It absolutely stinks, and you're going to be cursing me for picking this show. But it finishes with four matches in a row that are at least four stars or better. Yeah, because Big Big Josh is Matt Bourne. There's there's three of them that are four stars or better. I initially misspoke. But you get Pillman and Tom Zink, and Zink could work. You also get the Steiner brothers going up against a Japanese duo that allow them to do some really stiff stuff. And that's always fun. And then you get the War Games match. Basically, it's a three-hour show, and the back half of it makes it worth sitting through the front half. And you get heels getting their comeuppance in the main event with the Dangerous Alliance getting their comeuppance and ultimately going their separate ways. It's a fun War Games match, one of the best ones they ever did. I'm looking forward to going through it. Hopefully, Darren's feeling better, and we can all do it together as a trio. War Games is on the mind, so we will revisit War Games at WCW Wrestle War 1992. Andrew, my friend, I want to give you a, another late happy birthday shout out. We're recording just a few days after your birthday and uh, and Thanksgiving. I know you always make a trip to Vegas with your pops there. Tell us uh, what can we look forward to from you over the next month or so leading into the holiday uh, to the Christmas holiday. Sure. So a lot of the work that I'm going to be doing is actually going to be centering around the launch of sports betting in the state of Ohio. That goes live January 1st, 2023 at 12 a.m. local time. Yeah, that's going to make for a pretty busy month (laughs) of December. Having said that, though, still going to be doing a lot of horse racing stuff, still going to be doing a lot of sports betting stuff. At Andrew Champagne on Twitter is the best place to find me unless Elon Musk breaks everything. Uh, which I would not bet the house against. So we'll see how that goes. But at any rate, yeah, uh, I appreciate that. Gino Vegas was a lot of fun with my dad, did a lot of really cool stuff, had 
a tremendous dinner at the Smith and Walensky at the Venetian. That is a fantastic steakhouse that I cannot possibly recommend any higher. Uh, it's always a good time. Uh, it winds up being a very convenient time for both of us with our birthdays and Thanksgiving. So that's always really cool. And we had a great time. At Andrew Champagne on Twitter is the follow AndrewChampagne.com If you want to find out more You'll hear him talking old wrestling with me Talking racing with me all the time New podcast out there too And all sorts of great content But if you follow him on social media At Andrew Champagne That's probably the best place Where he'll uh, usually post everything going on there Andrew buddy, thank you so much A lot of fun um, talking WrestleWar 91 And now next time we can talk WrestleWar 92 And uh, check another one off the box. It's it's war games time right now. I think I feel like we need to get. I mean, I mean maybe send Regal a check to just come in here and say it for us. Maybe how about that? Hey, I mean that's what <laughs> Triple H wanted, and he tweeted as such. That's uh yeah, and some of the rumors are that uh Regal may be on his way back, or who knows? They we'll were, but now they're saying the deal was longer than initially anticipated. So we'll see. But yeah, I, it, 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 when that deal with AEW ends, you know there's going to be Triple H there with, at, the, at a minimum, a Legends contract where they just bring him out of the mothballs once a year to say war games. Because nobody, nobody does it like Regal does. Andrew Champagne, very few do it like you, my friend, too. Thank you. You cover everything very well. You're always uh, going to have some fun while you're doing it, and we appreciate all the hours that you've given us here through the years. Make sure to give uh, Andrew, my good friend, a follow at Andrew Champagne and tune in for our next episode. So the homework for everyone out there, WCW Wrestle War 92, another really fun War Games match to discuss. But don't go anywhere. We still have a lot more to talk about on this episode of That's What G Said. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Thanks to Andrew for helping us out with the old wrestling rewatch. Thanks to Koopaloo, Chad Coop, for helping us out with This Week in Wrestling. Eric for talking NFL with us. Already in the week 14 of NFL. Hope everyone enjoyed some of our MLB free agency discussion, college football news. We had Saturday racing. We covered a lot of ground on this episode. Have a nice rest of your weekend, folks. We'll be back again. We will talk about Andor. Um and the and how Andor relates to Rogue One next week. So we're gonna have sort of a Rogue One recap, and we'll talk a little bit about how you know it makes us think differently now about Rogue One after Andor. And we'll have a full deep dive into Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, Black Panther Two. So we'll be talking Wakanda Forever with Tim Kelly, Trevor, and Michael. We'll be talking Rogue One with us, and that will all be next week, coming very soon. On that's what G said. Yeah.